Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky, and as always, I'm here with Matt Stewart. Hello, Matt. Hey, Dave. Quick question. How good is it to be alive? I think it's pretty good. Okay. You don't normally answer. I appreciate that. But let's get a second opinion. This week, we are joined by a very special guest. We are joined by Nick Splitter from the Unplugged Podcast and ZeroHanger.com. Hello, Nick. Hey, fellas. How you doing? Good, thank you. So good, Nick. Nick, how good is it to be alive? I'm rough to be alive. At the time of recording, Saints play in a final tomorrow, and- uh, it feels pretty good. It feels pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah. doesn't happen that often. No. First time <laughs> playing one at the MCG in 13 years. It's been a while. It has been a while. Last time was a grand final. Lionel Richie played. But, but more of that later. Well, <laughs> we don't, we don't sorry, talk spoilers. about that. <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> we don't talk about Lionel. Uh, so, yeah, you're a, you're a big Saints fan, Nick. Your podcast Unplugged. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on a recent episode. It was a lot of fun. Came out, if people want to listen, came out on August 31st. I talked about my journey. Your journey. Your it's- podcast is pretty emotional, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a therapy session. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of a therapy session. We talk about everything St Kilda Footy Club and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bunch of us just talking about how tragic our lives are, really, each week. No, no, I know there's a few of our listeners who listen as well, so that would be pretty stoked to hear you over here. It's the crossover that everyone wanted. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Listeners have been asking for it for years. Been begging decades. for it. <laughs> but Zero Hanger, I, I, that's a website I love. I didn't realise you're like, what are you, the boss? I'm the general manager of, oh, of Zero whoa, Digital. Oh, yeah. okay. We've got a big dog here. Uh, Luke, I had <laughs> no shit. idea. <laughs> yeah, bow down. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, and it's there's AFL is the- so, is, is that how it's split up? There's different sites for different codes. That's right. Zero Hangers AFL. Zero Hangers, the Aussie Rules site. Uh, largest Aussie Rules independent content site in the country. Uh, Zero oh, Tackle. Yeah? Zero Tackle's our, our rugby league site. I was going to say humble brag, but that was just a straight up brag. Just, just a brag. <laughs> yeah. no, no humbleness. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's how we do it. We, we split out all our sites for, for different sports, but um, yeah, it keeps us busy. So, Dave, I don't know if um, you've got any inkling as to what today's topic might be about, because Dave uh, doesn't know until- you get going, Nick. But I think there, I like- there's been a couple of subtle clues so far. Do you want to explain to Nick and maybe any new listeners how this show works? Absolutely. So, Nick, what we do here is we take it in turns usually to report on a topic often suggested to us by one of the listeners. We go away, do a bit of research, then bring it back to the group. Uh, Sally Jess Perkins, our other co-host, is uh, taken ill this week. Yes. She's been benched. But we wish her well. We do wish her well. If she pulls through. We- and we believe she will. <laughs> yeah, we- <laughs> But usually what we do is we start with a question to get us onto topic. Do I have a free hit at this one? Because I feel like Nick might be aware of what yeah, you're Yeah, well, Nick is aware. <laughs> Nick helped me write the report. So, um, which is maybe in part why it's the longest report I've ever written. Oh, it's a two, two-hander. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, Nick, I, I don't know if you know this, but so we asked the question and there is a, a, an esteemed listener at home is keeping track of who gets the most correct answers. Right. And I am currently third. Yes. So, this free hit is actually really good for me. All right, Dave, here's your question. Here we go. Which sporting team is this quote about? While other clubs are defined by the number of premierships or rich veins (laughs) of success, it is the undeniable spirit of blank and its people, which has remained unshakable. Oh, my gosh. It's a tough one. I mean, I don't remember winning any- premierships or championships when I was playing on the Warrandyte High School cricket team in 2004. <laughs> yeah. Did the people have undeniable spirit? Oh, it was huge. Yeah. I was the, the 13th man. I made up position so I could go along on the tour uh, on the bus and g- g- give out orange slices to the other guys who had actual talent. Um, I'm going to lock it in. I'm looking around the room. I'm just going to say whatever I see here. Um, St Kilda Football Club hat. St Kilda Football Club hat here. Is it the St Kilda Football Club? That's right. We're doing a report on the St Kilda Football Club hat. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that's what people have been asking for, the hat. (laughs) They want it. They they want it and they're going to get it. Uh, So, this has been suggested by quite a few listeners. Let me read through some of these people. So, they either wanted to hear about the club in general, which is what I'm going to talk about, as they're celebrating their 150th year this year. Congratulations. I've, I've been feeling the pressure of doing this for a while, but I thought 150th year, we've made the finals. We've got to do it. Uh, other people did specifically want the year 1966, uh, but we'll probably get to that. We'll see if we have time. That happens in the first 150 years? <laughs> yeah, that does. <laughs> so, it's been suggested by these listeners. Phoenix from Delaware, uh, Noel White from Waynooth in County Kildare in Ireland, Stuart West from East Malvern here in Melbourne. Uh, he wrote, as a long-time listener and as a first-time submitter, I'd love to hear about the Saints and their one and only premiership. At the time of recording. At the time of recording. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Matt from Missouri City in Texas. Jeff Rossman from Lawrencedale, Georgia in the US. Maddie Layden from Melbourne here. Uh, Corey from Pleasanton in California in the US. Josie Penning from Brisbane. 
Yildiz Basol from Istanbul in Turkey, uh, who wrote, because I love hearing you guys talk about the things you love, i.e. river dance. And I don't think Matt loves anything more than he does this. <laughs> uh, Bruce Kelso from Brisbane, Queensland. Gaddy J from Birmingham. He's, he must have requested that a while ago. He's now known as Gaddy J from the UK. Uh, Stefan Prince from Cardiff in Wales. Jeff Weiss from Snokelmy in Washington, USA. Paul Meller from Oldham in the UK. Julian McMahon Hyde from Curlewis. Alex from Perth, Nathan Damon from Sawyers Valley in Western Australia, Lewis Angle from Cardiff, Wales, Ryan Hoskin from Sydney, Matt Arnott from Mitcham <laughs> in Melbourne. He's a Collingwood supporter who particularly wanted to hear about the 2010 grand final. I'll mention it briefly. Adam Moody from Adelaide, Laura Baker from Victoria. Wanted to hear about the G-Train. I don't know if I mentioned the G-Train much. We'll have to remember we'll, we'll to mention the G-Train for Laura. We'll find a spot. And finally, the first ever topic suggestion in the hat by a guy called Dickie Jones who wrote <laughs> under the section that said, why do you think this would be an interesting topic? Dickie Jones wrote, lol, it wouldn't. <laughs> that might have been me. I think that I was think you. Was, you were, we were testing, testing out the system. That, we were testing that it worked. <laughs> I forgot Dickie Jones. So that's so funny because that's how long we've been talking about it. That, that must have been six years ago or something we set up that online form. People yeah. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe people from all over the world have suggested this. Yeah, it's amazing. They say soccer or football is the world game. Mm. I'm pretty sure. Move over. Yeah. I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed that there's a request from Turkey to talk about the St Kilda Footy Club. That's incredible. That is incredible. That's that's so good. Well, Uh, this one's for Dickie Jones. (laughs) And the rest. Uh, I watched an interesting six-part YouTube series on the club's history on a, on a little YouTube channel called The Gaz Man, and I'll quote, <laughs> I'll quote him a few times. He had a couple of uh, fun episode titles like As Bad As It Gets <laughs> and The Invisible Men. <laughs> uh, you can tell this is going to be a good story. Yeah. As bad as it gets. I'll, I'll link to As Bad As It Gets in the show notes. Very interesting stuff. Um, and he goes into way more detail than I can. If people have seen the runtime of this episode, which I assume is going to be really long, they'll be like, what more detail than this could they have? Well, they did, wow. okay? Gaz oh. Man went into huge detail. I went to high school with a, a Gaz. He was a Saints fan. Was is he, he a, the Gaz Man? Could he be he the Gaz Man? He was on that man? cricket team. I was handing him slices of orange. <laughs> the Gaz Man. So, I thought to get us in the mood, I've asked a couple of uh, Saints supporters to uh, tell us what they think about um, being a Saints supporter, why they love the club and that sort of stuff. And first up, I thought I'd play one from Charlie Clawson from Two Guys, One Cup and Tofop to try and explain what it's like to be a Saints supporter. Hi, Charlie Clawson here, actor, writer, podcaster and Saints tragic. When Matt asked me what it is I love about the St Kilda Football Club, I thought of the words of the great John Legend, who in his song All of Me described his lover by saying, I love your curves and all your edges all your perfect imperfections. And that is St Kilda to a T, a collection of perfect imperfections. You think of the most bizarre trivia in VFL, AFL history, and the Saints own it. The only team to lose uh, a premiership on countback. The last team to play in a draw, the most amount of wooden spoons. Yet despite all this, they have this fiercely loyal 
fan base and to be part of that group is something special someone once described it like having a family member who was just dysfunctional like a drunk uncle or something that you know could be so much better if they just got their shit together and you just love them so much but you also criticize them and you also put them down and you can do that because you're family but the minute someone else says something bad about them you'll defend them to the hilt and that to me is a St Kilda football club a dysfunctional family member that you love for all that they aren't I've got tears in my eyes. So good. <laughs> Nick was really, there was a lot of nodding yeah, there. You're yeah, like, yep, yep. He gets it. He's, yeah, he's nailed that, hasn't he? Charlie's been on your pod a few times as well. And yeah. Yeah, he's a great bloke. I think that that could sum up, that's such a good summary of what it's all about, I think. I think so. Is, yeah. is that the end? That's the end. That'll do for us. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I've got so many words written here, but I think that'll do. Yeah, it's more about the vibe and he got it. Um, so you can stop recording, but just for you, Dave, I'll, I'll let you know about the Saints history. I need to know. Okay, great. Well, let's go all the way back to 1873. Uh, the Saints, or the St Kilda Football Club, was born on the 2nd of April, 1873, when the South Yarra Football Club merged with the St Kilda Cricket Club. South Yarra themselves were formed in 1858, so you can make the case that the club's history stretches back even further than the 150 years. So you're going to cover those? Yeah, right, let's go into it. <laughs> 15 extra years. Yeah, it's interesting that cl- clubs were sort of being formed and dying a lot in those early years. It was, it was sort of like, I guess, humans um, back then. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the life expectancy wasn't so high for football clubs in the 1800s. But um, being formed in 1873 makes the Saints among the oldest football and sporting clubs in the world. For context, the oldest Major League Baseball team, the Chicago Cubs, were formed only three years earlier in 1870, and the oldest NBA, NHL, and NFL teams were formed many decades later. The oldest football team, as in soccer, is the Sheffield Football Club, which was formed in 1857, just a year before South Yarra. So this is right at the start of clubs coming together. Uh, The Saints' famous red, white, and black colours came about with the merger, taking the red and white of South Yarra and merging it with the black and white of St Kilda. I get is it, do you know where the black and white was that the St Kilda Cricket Club? The Cricket Club had yeah. had yeah had the black it. and white. Yeah. So yeah, um sometimes teams colors come about over a long time or newer clubs they'll have a you know like GWS they'll have a a, a committee will come together and they'll do like um testing. <laughs> People come in, what does this orange What does it say to you? What does that make you feel? Got what the, does this the, charcoal do for the you? palette swatch. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah. You go down to the Dulux colour wall. But for, for the Saints, it was, oh, we'll just merge those two that we've got. That makes sense. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah that, it works well. So, But even when you look at it now, do you think that half the white is one and half the yes, white is to the me, other? that's right. So it's split right down the middle. Yeah, half is cricket to me. Yeah. Cricket whites. <laughs> Uh, so, they did have the red, white, and black, but it wasn't the tricolour design that's now synonymous with the club. You know, the famous r- big, thick red, white, and black stripes down the front of the Guernsey. Uh, it started as a horizontal black and red with a white handkerchief tied around the neck. Oh, bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> and so, looking at those old photos, it's fun. Like, you know, the coaches are wearing top hats and the players are wearing long, you know, long trousers and... It's a different time. The, the big, like, big leather boots and stuff, like, it's, it's really interesting to watch. It's yeah. like, how do, you, like how, how do you run around in the mud wearing those? <laughs> there was a recent episode uh, where Dave talked about the origin of, of uh, shoes built for sport. 
And um, this was before that, I guess. I think it was. Wasn't <laughs> a long it? time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, which is so funny. Uh, the Saints' home ground initially was somewhere called Alpaca Paddock. You know much about that, Nick? There's there's not a whole lot of information on it, but from what I can gather, uh, it, it's just about where the, the St Kilda Railway Station is now. And it was essentially- um, Named that way because the, the council of St Kilda wanted to raise alpacas uh, as a commercial venture. They wanted to be able to sell them, sell the, <laughs> sell oh, yeah, the wool of the and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, which obviously worked out really well because <laughs> there's like- people wearing alpaca clothes <laughs> all over St Kilda these yeah, days. Yeah, we know St Kilda. We think of St Kilda, we think alpacas. Yes, That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Next to Luna Park, you got the alpaca pants. <laughs> I, I think I read somewhere that it's it's uh, or, uh, maybe partially where Albert Park is now as well. But yeah. It seems it's so funny. It wasn't that long ago, but people don't seem to be able to lock down where this yeah. place was. I think that's a fun place for the Saints to have started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, move out of the way! Like it, just, I'm picturing alpacas all around at their, as they're training. It does make sense that the first home ground was a failed commercial venture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the early days were pretty rough. You might be thinking, have the Saints always found it tough on field? Yes, they have. Um, um, the first game was played in June of 1873 against University. And while they held University to just one solitary goal, unfortunately, St. Kilda didn't score at all. So, they, they got done. I love this is so long ago that it's not which university. It's just a university. <laughs> the university. <laughs> yeah, I guess is. maybe that's what it was. It was Melbourne University, I think. And their team was called the University Students. Which <laughs> <laughs> is pretty fun. Uh, it's fair to say things were a little less professional than they are today. In their second season, one of their games was delayed by over an hour because there wasn't a ball available, <laughs> which is a pretty key part of, of the game of football. Uh, they had the feet. Yeah. So, they were halfway there. Great. Uh, there w- actually was a ball, but when it was being pumped up before the game, it exploded and there wasn't any others around. So, someone had to, you know, jump on a tram or something. Go to Rebel Sport. <laughs> yeah, go to Rebel Sport. <laughs> Pick up a new one. Um, can we get a refund on this one? It exploded. <laughs> Uh, the Saints website has a great history section, which I'll quote a bit, which I'm guessing was Russell Holmesby, who's like the Saints official um, historian and has been for a long time. Uh, fun fact, he babysat me once when I was a kid and I was pretty starstruck because back then he wrote the in the red, white and black section of the Moorabbin Standard, which um, was the local newspaper. And every week there was a section about the Saints. And then he was babysitting me. I couldn't believe it. What was the family connection to get him in? I think he must have just, he must have had kids in the neighborhood as well. I'm not sure what it was exactly, but I think my parents maybe were in some sort of babysitter's club. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's it was always- a different time back then. He's always lived around Bentley, that sort of area, Bentley yeah. and Moorabbin, yeah. What a- so, and then I met him uh, a few years later on a, like a booze bus. He was, uh, was like a cricket club fundraiser, maybe the big Bentley Cricket Club. And I, and I think I told him the story about the babysitting and he was enthralled. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I'll be quoting Russell quite a bit throughout uh, this episode. And uh, he gives the early years a slightly more positive spin, saying the club, quote, saw a spirited beginning to life as a football club and showed themselves capable of pushing the most skilled teams in the state. But lulls in morale and drop-offs in form saw the club come incredibly close to extinction. Despite a short-lived merger with University in 1875 to stay afloat, St Kilda competed well enough to become a foundation member of the body that would govern Australian rules football, the Victorian Football Association, or VFA, in 1877. 
The Saints continue to surprise every now and then with their knack for rallying together against the best sides in the competition, serving as a precursor to the fighting St Kilda spirit that would manifest over the following decades. But their brilliance would never last. Flippant form, inadequate playing numbers and general inconsistency saw St Kilda dip in and out of the VFA's senior ranks, with the club finding itself on the brink of collapse several times. Lingering stories tell of players missing games to go to the races or simply not showing up. You were telling me about there was one guy particularly you heard of doing this. Yeah, he was the first captain. Yeah, not any guy. Not just any guy. He was the first captain who literally missed a game because he went to the races. (laughs) What was his name? I think you should name and shame. Uh, Name and shame is Billy Shaw. Billy Shaw. The Billy. Come on, Billy. Although some people won't be like, name and shame. They'll be like, good on him. (laughs) Footy's footy. But, you know, the races is life. If he had known about the next 150 years of of history, he probably would have said, good decision. Yeah, yeah. He probably would have gone to the races every week. Uh, the Saints stabilised during their absence from the VFA and achieved full re-entry in 1886, now adorned with the famous red, white and black vertical stripes and a new residency at Junction Oval, uh, which became the gateway to the new VFL competition with its central location and size guaranteed to draw large crowds. Another merger with Paran in 1888 left the Saints as one of the strongest clubs in the South and saw a slight alteration of the uniform with the inclusion of blue shorts. The amalgamation was all but forgotten as St Kilda kept its name, home ground and colours with the blue shorts fully discarded uh, in 1909. What do you, You're a bit of a fashion man, Dave. Oh, yeah, I love, love a pair of blue shorts. Blue, blue short down the long too, beyond the knee. With red and black. With red, white and black uh, jumper. What do you think? Obviously, I'm not sure what the, the colour blue they were using, but that does not sound good. It was a rich blue. It was a very navy, very right. navy okay. blue. Navy next to black, I'm not sure. Not your traditional yeah, combination. Yeah, but I love the idea that, that that other club that they went, oh, this is obviously a mistake. Whatever, just, just get rid of it. We'll, we'll take your shorts. This, we'll pretend this never happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll merge with you. You'll get, uh, you won't get the name or the okay. club, uh-huh. the ground. Well, I'm going to- the fans. Okay, but I, I can't. Leave without driving a hard bargain. You're wearing our shorts. <laughs> right, deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, the blue, the navy and the black. That's how I remember as a kid because I couldn't tell the difference sometimes. I'd get in an argument with someone like, no, nah, it's black. And they're like, no, nah, it's navy. And then I'd put it next to a black thing. I'm like, oh. That's only when you know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Then I'd go to the uh, Saint, watch the Saints in the late 1800s and i go, and I'd put it up next <laughs> to their <laughs> uniform and go, oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, and you also mentioned to me, Nick, when we're talking about this, that wasn't the only reason they, they kept the blue shorts for a while. It was cheaper. Yeah. For some reason, it's just about the, the dye for the <laughs> fabric or, or whatever. It was just cheaper. The, the navy was cheaper. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I always was told when I was growing up that you don't wear navy and black together. It's just, you just don't do it. Yeah, no. that makes sense to me that you wouldn't. Yeah. Mm. I've heard also as a kid, blue and green should never be seen. Have you heard that one? <laughs> mm. But I think it a lot of good. that is the rhyme. It sounds good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like, I mean, it could easily be blue and green should always be seen. Yeah, that's right. Together. Also sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, easily swayed. <laughs> now I don't know what to do. In the VFA, the Saints had their ups and downs, uh, though their ups were never particularly high and their downs <laughs> were as low as you can go. <laughs> In Here's a great quote. You want to read this quote from the Australasian, Nick, from 1894? <laughs> the Australasian wrote, there are two classes of men who play football. With one, the pleasure of participating is more than sufficient recompense for defeat. The other class thinks the win is above everything else. To the first class, I think those happy, genial saints belong. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think really, it's it's like in the sports world, that would be seen as a put down. But to me, I, I kind of like that. Happy to be included. I just happy to be playing. The proof what? is in the pudding in that we're sitting here laughing about this football club. <laughs> 
But they have been playing this whole time. Mm. Mm-hmm. And like Charlie said, like- we can. Dave, yeah. if you start laughing about them, it's trouble. <laughs> In 1897, a group of the stronger teams wanted to form a new breakaway league. So, there's all these teams in the VFA and they were, apparently they were a bit unhappy with how the VFA were running things, that they were trying to split income evenly amongst the clubs and stuff like that. And like, hang on, we're the rich, powerful clubs. We should be getting a bigger share. So, they broke away uh, and formed the VFL, the Victorian Football League. Uh, And that was with teams, eight teams including Collingwood, Essendon, Fitzroy, now Brisbane, Geelong, Melbourne, and South Melbourne, now Sydney. And then they brought in two battlers as well for some reason, Carlton and St Kilda. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, I don't know why. We're possibly lucky to get an invite. There are other clubs who were much stronger at the time, particularly lucky with the Saints. At that point in their existence, they had a less than one in three winning percentage. And I've heard that Port Melbourne still thinks it should have been them. I think- Have you heard that? I've heard that. I think think it was the- the stadium. I think it was the ground that kind of got St Kilda the that final ticket. Yes. So it just isn't it so funny. They just had a great bit of land. They were the only <laughs> the alpacas <laughs> saved them. Oh, they'd moved to Junction Oval by okay. this time, which is there right at the junction between. You know, it's still there. The you know the Junction Oval, Dave. It's right where all the uh, streets split off. I've explained that pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I think I know. It's these sort of junction. You know what I mean. Like St Kilda Road there, I think. It's, it is an oval right on the junction. It's an oval on the junction. Checks out. Okay, Nick was able to put that in words a bit easier than me. <laughs> That's why you're the GM. <laughs> uh, you're just the M. Yes. Matt. <laughs> so, yeah, and, that, and Holmesby agreed with you there, Nick. He said the home ground of Junction Oval was a contributing factor in their invitation. The ground's central location and size... Help uh, draw large crowds in the fre- in the fledgling lead, but success proved to be elusive early on. St Kilda received six consecutive wooden spoons from eighteen ninety seven to nineteen o two, winning just twenty out of one hundred and sixty eight games in the first decade of the century. Whoa! Do, do you have to explain what a wooden spoon is? The famous wooden spoon. Oh, please do! I don't know what the origin. You know I, the origin. I, story. I don't know the origin story of the wooden spoon, but it's just for, for those who don't know about the wooden spoon. It's, it's what you call the the team that finishes last. Yeah, it's the reverse premiership. Correct. So yeah, the, the premiers get a gold, you know, shiny cup, and the losers get a wooden spoon. Wooden spoon. Yeah. Is it the same spoon? I don't know if they handed they, down from generation to generation. I don't know if they ever literally gave out a spoon. I, I bet you they did. Do you I want to check, see if you can find the origin of the wooden spoon while I um, talk a little bit more about these early successful years? I've, I've said generally, Dave, they got off to a pretty rough start. But the fact is they couldn't have got off to a worse start uh, in the VFL. They didn't win a single game in their first three seasons. Whoa. Some of the early losses can still be found in the record books for all the wrong reasons. For instance, St Kilda's score of one point in 1899 <laughs> is the lowest score in the league's history. And that came against Geelong, who scored 162. <laughs> Geelong's score that day remained the highest in the league for over a decade until round 16, 19, 11, when Essendon scored 163 points. Their opponent that day, St Kilda. No. Geelong's yes. winning margin of 161 in that 99 match also remained the league's biggest for many years until round 12 of 1919, when South Melbourne won a game by 171 points. Their opponent that day, Dave, any guesses? Oh, no, don't tell me. It was St Kilda. <laughs> they won 189 to 18. It wasn't until their fourth season in the VFL before they recorded their first win, finally breaking a 48-game losing streak. 
Is that because people stopped going to the races finally? Yeah, yeah, they're like, all right. It just happened to be a day where the races were washed out or something. (laughs) Fine, I guess we'll play this week. Yeah. Uh, According to Holmesby, the win came about in unusual circumstances, uh, writing, the round one match against the eventual Premier's Melbourne originally ended in a draw before St Kilda protested the result due to a scoring error. You know a bit about this, Nick? A little bit. From memory, I think it was that uh, there was a a ball went through for a, a point, but it was given as out of out of bounds, and so they they didn't score the point, and because they didn't score the point, the score was a draw. Yes, uh, and then the, the the St Kilda Footy Club challenged that decision and took it to the High Court of the VFL. Yeah, they took it all the way, <laughs> all the way, all the way, uh, and a week later they reversed the decision and and called a St Kilda win. So good. Yeah, that must have been triumphant. Oh, you get the call. Actually, you did win finally. Yeah, it's an brutal. Imagine the celebrations. <laughs> imagine the celebrations. <laughs> And so, because you're like, you want to just, you want to celebrate as the siren goes, but even that we weren't able to do. We had to do it midweek while they're all probably at work plumbing or whatever. (laughs) Uh, Alpaca farming. Yeah, probably riding alpacas or whatever. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I heard it that way. I also heard it that Melbourne were awarded a point that uh, was after the siren sounded and then they they took it off midweek, you know, to give them the win. So, either way. Uh, St Kilda climbed their way off the bottom of the ladder by 1903, but victories were sandwiched in between hefty defeats. The recruitment of Tasmanian duo Vic Cumberland and Vic Barwick gave the Saints upside, and with the addition of talented forward Dave McNamara, Long Dave, the success-starved side began their painstaking crawl up the ladder. The Gazman found an article in a 1904 edition of the Pran Chronicle that says at the Saints' annual general meeting that year, New player Vic Cumberland entertained the audience with some sleight of hand tricks. <laughs> just doing a bit of magic on yeah, the side. Just a line. bit of magic at the AGM. And I think that's, you know, I, I don't really know if that was worth mentioning, but I thought, how could I not? <laughs> as well as being a magician off the field, Cumberland was a gun footballer. As was McNamara, whose nickname was Long Dave, which is so fun. Uh, any guesses as to why I'd be called Long Dave? You're, have you ever been called Long Dave? No. no yeah. Short Dave? Short Dave. <laughs> Ironic. Re- regular Dave. <laughs> regular Dave. <laughs> just Dave. Just Dave. Yeah. yeah. Emphasis on the just. Plain Dave. Uh, so, he was named Long Dave because he was a huge kick of the football. Once kicking a goal from 86 yards out. Uh, he also had a shot that travelled 93 yards. This was with the now defunct place and dropkick styles. That were his two favoured styles. So, you're putting the ball on the ground and kicking it. Kind of like a rugby league player right. converting are a you, try. Are you allowed to do that now if you wanted to? Uh, I don't know. You can't put the ball on the ground, can you, Nick? You can't put the ball no. on the ground. So, so, your teammate can't hold it there sort of like it's sitting on a car. Oh, I guess you could do that if the ball's already on the ground. Ball's on the ground. Can you just sort of put your hand on top of it? <laughs> like, you probably could. Like it's on a tee. <laughs> yeah. And then they come in and just boot it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe you could you do that. You've got to make sure that no no one else on the other team comes anywhere near you. Yeah. <laughs> Get a big run up. The drop kick you don't see anymore. Okay. I think maybe there was one accidentally done a few years ago, but yeah. They're, they're meant to be kick styles that can go further, but they're also way less accurate than the drop punt, mm. which is a relatively new invention. Wow. So, yeah, his his two big kicks that I just mentioned, they're 93 and 86 yards. They happened during games. Or actually, those two, I think, happened during one game. He also, no wonder balls were exploding. Like, that's a long way. Yeah. That's a long way to kick a ball. Into what? He kicked them into oblivion. <laughs> he kicked them so far they didn't exist anymore. <laughs> he kicked them into the ocean. Yeah. Um, so, 
They happened during the games, but one time uh, that he was invited to have a crack for the official world record, and that happened on Thursday, the 9th of October, 1913, at the Royal Launceston Show, and he set the official world place kick record with a kick of 86 yards and one foot, which is uh, 79 metres, which is like it. I don't think there'd be an AFL player today who could kick that far. It's huge. It's a long way. Uh, Cumberland, McNamara, and these other new talented players had the Saints on the improve, winning seven games in their seventh season alone. <laughs> Which obviously it wasn't enough to make the finals. <laughs> so good. It's just like I think it's like they won seven in a row, or the last seven something. <laughs> seven in the, the season. Well, when you compare that to the first six seasons total of okay, two wins, right. two wins in six seasons, and then their seventh season they won seven, like. People couldn't believe it. Like, what's going on? We're not... And they didn't win the wooden spoon for that reason. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, by the start of the 1907 season, they were flying, winning their first six games in a row, Dave. Now oh, we're getting wow. excited. Yeah, six in a row. I was expecting more. It's huge. Yeah. But, I mean, what happened after that? Uh, things took a bit of a turn <laughs> mid-season. And that was in part because their star fullback, Harry Lever, got injured. At his day job, Lever cut off two of his fingers in a sawmill accident, but he dressed the wound himself and still played the following day against Geelong. Oh, my God. Uh, but unfortunately, <laughs> in more bad luck that day, their train was late, so the game was <laughs> delayed, and they finished playing in darkness, and uh, the cats overran them. I guess they could see better in the dark. <laughs> Kick it to I me. Guess cats can. Kick it to me. I don't know where you are. And they lost by five points in the end. And that sort of... And and maybe unsurprisingly, Lever didn't play another game for the rest of the year. It's missing two fingers. It's missing two fingers. And he, like the wound would still be open. Oh my God. Yeah. Maybe become gangrenous. Yeah. He's risked it all for that game. Uh, and yeah, things sort of went downhill from there. Lever did return the following year and continued playing in, until 1922, becoming the first Saint to play 200 games. Without Lever, they were only able to win three of the last eight. And this would still be enough for the team to make their first final series, though. Oh, great. Uh, which they got eliminated in the first game of Carlton. But they made it. And that's the main thing. That's like where you are right now. That's where we are right now. So at the time of recording, we're playing in a final at the MCG tomorrow. This podcast will come out after that. But win or draw or lose, which I guess is an option, <laughs> it doesn't matter because this podcast always will exist when the Saints were a current finals team and premiership threat only four wins away. <laughs> A forever story of hope. That's right. This if, will be lingering out there. And if you lose, which God forbid, of course, it won't happen. Are you out? It's knockout. It is. It's That's literally it. called the elimination final. Um, there's only two finals through the whole series where uh, you can stay in if you don't lose. If you do lose, sorry. And they're the two qualifying finals in the first round for teams finishing the top four. Every other game is cutthroat. Where did you finish on the ladder this year? Sixth. Sixth. A beautiful spot. In a, t- in a, in a competition of 18. That's, that's top that's third, gr- Dave. That's great. Yeah. And people said all year we were not a finals team. And actually, journalist Caroline Wilson said that this week. Which is strange. How because- can you say that when we are literally a finals team? I don't understand how you can still be saying that. <laughs> Caroline thinks it should be a little recount? Yeah. Or- <laughs> There's two finals teams that she think are finals teams that are below us. They finished seventh. She thinks that the final eight should go from 
one to five. <laughs> and then I guess from six seven to nine. To nine, seven to nine maybe yeah. she thinks she should pick some wild cards. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, what else can you do but win enough games to be in the top eight? Anyway, good on her. Um, and good on all of them. She's not the only one. The footy media in general has not gone on board this year. They have not. Uh, we'll teach them. Yeah. We'll, well teach them. you got to remember when this Maybe. episode comes out, the lesson's already been taught or flunked. <laughs> either uh, way. Either way. Either We're way. a finals team. You That's can't right. take that away from us, no matter what the media says. Uh, the Saints made the finals again in 1908, finishing third, and things were looking up. Obviously, it was still a smallish competition then. I think there were maybe nine teams at Still top stage. third as well. Exactly. You're where you're born to be. <laughs> That's right. Top three. Uh, but they weren't up there for long. They won another wooden spoon in 1909, which, of course, was famous for being their final season with the blue shorts. Oh, yeah. The, the blue shorts curse? Mm. Is anyone saying that? Yeah. So, people are like, ah, oh, finally, the end of the blue shorts curse. From <laughs> 1910 onwards, things are going to be going much better. But they were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they only avoided another winless season in 1910 with a final round upset victory over top of the table Carlton. But that wasn't enough to avoid another wooden spoon for finishing last. So, so they only won one match. Yeah, the, the last, last game. Yeah, Against the best team in the league. Yeah, that's a weird thing that we've got a history of doing, we beating do. the eventual premiers. Well, Russell, Russell wrote about that, I think that you mentioned earlier, that there's a, a bit of a history of kind of turning up against the good teams and then turning yeah. rubbish against everybody else. When you say Russell, you're talking about the guy who babysat me? That's right. You're yeah, all yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Wow. I must have told you one of those nights, but bedtime. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, the other thing I had of his at the time, because he uh, published a book called The Encyclopedia of VFL, AFL Footballers, and I had a copy of that, which was Dad's uh, public, his uh, school library was getting rid of books. And he brought that home for me. So, I had a copy of the encyclopedia. And then I was getting babysat by the guy who compiled it. I mean, freaking hell. The guy who knows everything. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> Dave is flabbergasted. Wow. You've never mentioned this before. Yeah. This is like the peak of your life. I know. You never mentioned it? Surely I mentioned when I met him on that booze bus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying booze bus. That's the- that's the- yeah, What did he pull you over and- The booze bus is the bus that stops you to breathalyze you, isn't it? I mean, a, it was a bus with booze on it. <laughs> it's quite the opposite, it's the opposite. actually. Not, not police making sure you're not drunk driving. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, things are bad. But after their 1910 wooden spoon, the Saints started climbing up the ladder once again. And they even made their first grand final in 1913. Do you want to tell the listeners a bit about this, Nick? Where do you, where do you want to start? 1858. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've covered a lot of that already, Nick. Have you been? I know I've got a pretty soothing voice, but oh, did did you find out about the wooden spoon? Origin? I did actually. I did find out about the wooden spoon. So, according to a website called TopEndSports.com, the wooden spoon is the unofficial title for the last place team at the end of the regular AFL season. Why is it called the wooden spoon? The wooden spoon is an award usually given to an individual or team which has come last in a competition. The custom dates back to at least the early 19th century, where a wooden spoon was awarded by the students at the University of Cambridge to the student who achieved the lowest exam marks, but still earned a third class degree in the mathematical tripos. Oh, man. It's got a real nerdy origin mm. story. Dave, yeah. is that piquing your interest? Love that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now you got, I'm listening. You got a maths degree, but you kind of suck. <laughs> yeah. Here's a spoon. Here's a spoon. You're the dumbest smart person <laughs> exactly. I know. <laughs> you still went to Cambridge and got a degree. Okay. But here's a spoon. 
I thought, uh, Nick, maybe you could tell us about the the game leading up to the 1913 finals where we had to beat Carlton to get in. And sure. there, there was a rumour going around that maybe our hearts weren't in it. <laughs> well, one of the Saints' best players was a, a guy named Billy Schmidt. And one of the rumours heading into that game is that he'd been paid off. I don't know where the rumour started, but it had been going around kind of the, the VFL rumour mill, I guess, which would have been in, in hyperdrive given St Kilda were, you know, a, a decent team then. Uh, and the rumour was that he'd been paid off to, to play dead, to not give it his all uh, ahead of that Carlton game. Carlton are a, a massive team and, and maybe they had some some more money they were willing to pay Saints players to, to not play yeah, their best. Yeah, i them to pay for that, that dodgy results. No, the Blues, no, they've wouldn't. never been found out for doing that. Always above board. They have been, Dave. Oh, right. They, they, what, what era? Uh, 90s. All of them. Or 80s. <laughs> Okay, well, they were caught in the 90s, but it went back a while, I think. <laughs> wow. But just overpaying players uh, in brown paper bags rather than through the sal- salary cap officially. So, they had this team of all-stars. So They're, <laughs> they're, all, like- on, they're all on 200 bucks a week. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, they got done for that and it's led to a few decades of um, strife for the Blues. Mm. But they're back again as well. They're also playing in finals for the first time in ages this mm. year. Any brown paper bags? Can only assume <laughs> old habits die hard. So, but it goes back to 1913. This, yeah, it does. Yeah, at uh, least turned out that Schmidt actually had a had a pretty good game, Matt. That's right. Yeah, so much so that uh, he had a shot for goal after the siren, and he made the shot, kicked the goal, and this is the first recorded example of a player kicking a goal after the siren to win a match. Oh, wow. So, do you, for overseas listeners, should you explain sort of how that works? Because, you know, in a lot of, like, American sports, you know, you have- Once you have the a, sign goes all that's over. That's it. Or unless the ball or whatever's in the air, buzzer beater type yes. style thing. But you get a, a shot at it. Yeah. So, he had a mark or he caught the ball and he had a, a free shot at goal. And uh, and that the siren went then. So, he, you know, he had his- It's 30 seconds now, but probably then it was a week or so to have his kick. <laughs> and- um, so he went back, and at the time, it must have been going through his head. If I do, if I kick this poorly, this will you know, make people believe the rumor's true. Oh, yeah. So there's that extra level of pressure. Imagine if he just accidentally kicked it out on, on the full. But imagine if he was actually trying to kick it out on the full. And he accidentally <laughs> forgot, oh, shit, 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 no, shit, no, 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 come on, come on, come on, oh, no, oh, no. I hadn't considered oh, that. Oh, they're going to break my legs. Actually slipped as he kicked it. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> Accidentally just kicked it straight. Stayed him going wild, him crying. <laughs> no, I owe quite a lot of money. Yeah, it was weird. I don't know why, but his uh, knees were broken the next day. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I've read different lengths, but one was that his kick was from 45 yards out, but I've also saw 60 metres out, which is a huge kick, uh, which is a better story. So I think e- Even today, 60-metre kick after yeah. the siren, like, that's, that's a big Not kick. many players could no. do it. So, but does that mean that they won? So they won, and they made the finals. And in the first round of the finals, they met South Melbourne, who they beat comfortably. Top place Fitzroy also easily beat Collingwood in their semi, setting up a showdown between Fitzroy and St Kilda for the premiership, which St Kilda won. What? What? Their famous first premiership victory. Unfortunately, though, at the time, the VFL had a strange system that meant the team that finished top of the ladder, which was Fitzroy, had the right to challenge the result and play again if they lost the grand final. Or any final, I think. Is that right, Nick? I'm, not sure ch- I'm pretty final. sure they, if they lost any final along the way, they could challenge and, and play another grand final. A, what? Challenge? A weird system. 
Uh, and Nick, I don't know, I can't break to the listeners. How did the, f- the following week go? St Kilda lost. Okay. What? It got really close. It I think, did. I they- think Fitzroy kicked away early. Yeah. Saints came back to within two points in the last quarter. Uh, I think they were about five goals up or something at halftime yeah. or, or something. Fitzroy about five goals up. And St Kilda went on a run and kicked four in a row or something. Got got to within a couple of points and then- According to the Gaz man, he tells it quite dramatically. <laughs> of course he does. There was a shot from the goal square to put us up when we were two points down or three points down and it and they missed from point blank range. <sighs> Sounds like a brown paper bag to me. <laughs> Billy Schmidt. <laughs> it was bad. It was Billy Schmidt. <laughs> oh, that's so. But if St Kilda had won, would Fitzroy just challenge again? I think, I think you could only do it once. once. Okay, only once. So if if the rules were as they are now, the Saints would have won the premiership in 1913. Apparently, it all this rule came in because in 1900 Melbourne won the premiership from third last on the ladder. They had this weird system, and they're like, uh the team who finishes on top of the ladder should have more of an advantage than that. So, but the whole system was stupid. In 1900, they split, at the end of the season, they split the competition into two halves, the teams that finished odd numbers, first, third, fifth, etc., and the team that finished second, fourth, etc. And then they both had these round-robin competitions, and then the teams on the top of those two round-robins, if neither of them was the minor premier, they would play off in a grand final, and the minor <laughs> premier wasn't. There, so it just made they took the wrong lesson what? out of it. Oh, that sounds like a Cambridge maths degree. What's going on? <laughs> Wooden spoons would be given out all over the shop. Can you can you just imagine how much how different this story would be if that actually kept that premiership in 1913? It, it, it probably changes the story quite a lot, right? We I go would on imagine to win so. three in a row, four in a row, Abs- five, six, seven. Who's to say? Yeah, undefeated. Maybe never have lost another game. We don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, momentum starts somewhere. Exactly. And uh, the Saints captain that day uh, on the replay grand final was Harry Lever, the man who lost two fingers. Uh, and the team also included another legendary name, Roy Kazali. Does that name mean anything to you, Dave? Up there, Kazali. Is it that guy? That's that guy. <laughs> there you go. So he played 99 games for the Saints and uh, won the Saints best and fairest in 1918. And, yeah, he's also... Famous for his high flying marks, which has been a been a bit of a Saints thing for you know, the the whole journey. I think always, yeah, great players, great players, not great teams, not great teams, right? And so there's often one great player. Ah, uh, sometimes, sometimes it's even more. Yeah, all right. Sometimes it's eighteen great players. <laughs> it's still but they still lose. Great t- <laughs> Champion team beats a team of champions. Uh, so yeah, we were so close to winning our first premiership way back in 1913. And that was, I think that's what Charlie was alluding to when he said we lost the premiership on countback before. Mm. Um, but yeah, that pesky freaking challenge system, which was abandoned uh, about 20 years later, I think. I don't, I don't think we were the only team to lose a, a premiership, though. I think there was a couple of others, right. but it does feel like it. Yeah. It feel, it's, it's a very St Kilda thing to happen. It only happened to St Kilda. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's like you've got a section on your show on Unplugged, That's So St Kilda. Yes. And I love it because it it's just every week it's this thing, oh, it could have only happened to St Kilda. But, of course, every club could have that same That's thing. That's right. It, it, it actually happens feels, to, to every other team yeah. every week, but it feels like it only happens yeah. to us. That's that one of those biases that just makes it feel like it's only happening to you. Anyway, as tough as that stolen grand final was, things were about to get worse for not only St Kilda, but the world. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> According to Holmesby, the heartbreak of grand final defeat was quickly overshadowed by the outbreak of World War One in 1914. Are you suggesting there is some correlation? There? I think there might have been. But history, you said it would change the history of the club, but also maybe the world if you hadn't have been robbed. People talk about Franz Ferdinand kicking it off, but I think if they change their gaze from Europe down yeah, to Melbourne, the real assassination they- <laughs> happened on the footy field. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, 14 saints were killed in action during the bloody war, which claimed the lives of almost 40 million people, obviously. Um, so, yeah. And there were many other saints who went over, but 14 gave their lives up. Uh, you know about one in particular, Nick? Yeah, one of those 14 saints was Claude Crowell, who played three games for St Kilda in 1911. And he actually died in the landing at Anzac Cove, Gallipoli. Uh, and he's one of, if not the first, VFL footballer to die in World War One. Claude Crowell. Hmm. It's a great name. Yeah. Sounds like a Bond villain almost. Oh, Bond villain. Well, I see him as a Bond hero, but maybe that's where (laughs) you and I differ, Nick. (laughs) I got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Many other players fought in the war as well, including stars like Vic Cumberland, who we talked about before. Uh, So many players from the Saints went to war, in fact, that they weren't even able to field a team in 1916 and 1917. Meanwhile, cowardly clubs like Collingwood, Carlton, Richmond and Fitzroy remained in the competition. Ah, uh, white feather clubs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Collingwood, like, you know, it's so funny to me. Whatever. Obviously, not a big deal. And I, I was just saying how we were ripped off in 1913. And I would definitely count that if we won it. But it's so funny that um, supporters talk about, you know, Collingwood supporters talk about all their premierships. A lot of them were happening, you know, in before TV. Before, while people were still wearing long pants, and even while most of the competition was <laughs> in war, they won one of their premierships while uh, there was only five teams in the competition. I think, but they still count that. Whatever. Um, no biggie. No biggie. It Do- doesn't on. mean anything. <laughs> Do you want to talk a bit about this? Uh, what happened next? The war affected the Saints in a kind of unexpected way, I guess. Dave, I'm Nick. Oh yeah, I was saying to Dave, but then. <laughs> I was trying to you, but I was saying to Dave as the setup you there. Nick, cool. tell me, Nick, tell me more. <laughs> well, according to Russell Holmesby, due to the war, the club entered a period of recession during 1916 and 1917, but not before changing their official colours to red, yellow, and black to disassociate themselves from the colours of the German Empire. Uh, it was also a sign of solidarity for the Allied forces and, and Belgium, who stood with Australia and had several current and former St Kilda players fighting in Belgium. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So there was a there was a quite a period there where the Saints were the red, yellow, and black team. It's very noble, mm. very noble, and obviously pretty clever. They got ahead of the game. The kind of colours, if you don't want to be associated with Germany, go red, yellow, and black. I found it so confusing <laughs> as a kid. I'm like, wait, so we started as red, yellow, and black, and then to to get away from Germany, we changed to red, white, and black. And my dad was like, no, we went from Red, white, and black. Two red, yellow, and black to get away from Germany. I'm like, right. But Germany at the time were red, white, and black. Belgium were red, yellow, and black. And then, uh, yeah. It took a while before they they changed back to the red, white, and black. Uh, They returned to the league. This is back to Holmesby. Returned to the league in 1918. The Saints proved a more competitive outfit, but once again fell short of the ultimate glory, this time to Collingwood in the semifinals. 1919 marked a low point in the club's history with a divided St Kilda lineup obliterated by South Melbourne in a 17 goal four final quarter 106 points in one quarter. Oh. 
We've scored. Scored against them. Yes. It feels like that would be the low point in just about any other club's history, but I don't think it's the low point in in our history. No. I mean, we started with no wins for three years. (laughs) Does that mean you- But like for the quarter, you didn't touch the ball? It it would have been close to that, I think. I mean, they would have- There wasn't enough time for them to be doing anything else but kicking goals. (laughs) They would have been like, oh, God. They would have been so knackered this once. That's a scoring shot every minute. Yeah. So, got to get it out, back out from the centre, down forward, through the goals, every minute. Amazing. Yeah, the Saints mustn't have touched it much. Or no, they, they must have the touched races. it four times. Maybe they went to the races. Maybe they were at the races. <laughs> Maybe uh, Carlton had put in a payment, even though they weren't even playing. They just can't help themselves. <laughs> uh, several players were said to have walked off the field midway through the onslaught. Well, that's not going to help. <laughs> oh, my God, what are you doing? That, that's why I got worse. Uh, Everyone left the field and, the, and South Melbourne were like, all right, we're on here. <laughs> yeah, our best defence was having no players to kick in from their behinds. <laughs> it's amazing. From there, we, they actually started scoring less. Yeah. But through the highs and lows, more St Kilda legends emerged. Wells Ike championed the red, white and black and claimed the club's inaugural best and fairest award in 1914 before adding another two to his name in 1915 and 1919. So there's a lot of these names are quite famous, at least in the Saints world, but I think probably AFL historians would be well aware of all these names we're talking about. Ike, Cumberland, McAnally, mm-hmm. of course, Long, yep. Long Dave. Long Dave. <laughs> Can't forget Long Dave. Uh, no, I mean, like we said, the the football club's always been known for its great players rather mm. than its great teams. And I think over the, the course of 150 years, there's been so many champion players. It just hasn't translated to, you know, winning titles. And back then, was it a draft system? Like you'd get picked by a club and made to play there? Or did you just get, you signed up for whoever you wanted to? I think, oh, I wouldn't put my life on this, but I'm pretty sure it was just you, you recruit your own players. Right. However you can. And that's why we got a few great players from Tasmania. So they were obviously thinking outside the box a little bit. Um, and we've done that a lot over the journey. Got some some of our best players ever have been from Tassie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which is why we played in Tassie home games in Tassie for a while. But I'd for still, a, for a period, for yeah. A couple of years, yeah. I think that was the one we shouldn't. Anyway, talk about that later, Nick. Off air. <laughs> uh, Vic Cumberland returned from the First World War and fronted up for a final season in nineteen twenty. Uh, this was after a four-year absence, suffering multiple debilitating injuries during the war. Oh, gosh. His comeback was the cause for celebration, as the eventual AFL Hall of Famer was 43 years old, uh, which is still the oldest player on record to ever play VFL-AFL football. Wow. And he'd been through a world war. Yes. <laughs> and severely injured. Yeah, that's right. Incredible. Uh, according to Holmesby, the wily veteran helped stabilise a divided St Kilda the moment he returned from service with his wisdom, experience, and skill guiding the Saints to one of their two victories for the year. At the time of his return, 29 out of St Kilda's 36 players had not been born when Cumberland first made his debut all the way back in 1903. Is there a better descriptor for a 43-year-old multiple injury war vet than wily veteran? (laughs) Yeah, wily veteran. Yeah, it feels a little (laughs) underwhelming, doesn't it? He's pretty wily. He's a goddamn legend. All right, Russell. (laughs) And if he ever babysits me again, I'll say that to his face. (laughs) (laughs) You're looking forward to another babysitting session. Uh, Cumberland was a ruckman, the position, for people who don't know, the position the tallest players generally play. And to show how things have changed over the years, he was 182 centimetres tall, which is my height, about six foot or just under. 
I'd like to claim six. Uh, Dan Butler, small forward for the Saints these days. Is that hot? Or where the smallest players on the ground? Small play? forward, wow. Uh, and Mason Cox, Collingwood's current ruckman, the American, the Texan. Uh, he's 211 centimetres tall or six foot 11. So, over the 100 years or so, it's, yeah. He's grown a foot. He's Yeah, the ruckman have grown a foot. <clears throat> Do you reckon in the next 100 years or another foot? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to keep growing a foot every century. Yeah. I think that's just science, Dave. And science is, like you said, incredible. Wow. So, the red, white and black colours for the footy club uh, came back in 1923 as, as the Saints powered into a decade of success led by Brownlow medalist Colin Watson, an- another great player in the history of, of VFL for football. And by success, I mean only finishing last once and making the finals once while enjoying sustained mid-table mediocrity for the rest of the decade. Hell yeah, that's an improvement. That's, yeah. Look, it's a step in the right direction. And it's sort of closer to our more recent uh, identity as a club, <laughs> mid-table mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the player that you were saying won the Brownlow medal. Yes. Which is like with the best and fairest, best best player in the league. So, you've got- You do have a history of having really good players. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we've won yeah. Quite, way the- more Brownlow medals than premierships as a team. So, the Brownlow medal, like Dave said, that's for the- the fairest and best, or best and fairest. You got to yep. be the, as voted by the umpires, uh, the best player for the year. But also, you can't have been rubbed out for any games, which is only ha- I think that's happened once or twice where someone would have won it if they hadn't been rubbed out for doing something violent. On it the happened field. a couple of times in the nineties. Corey 90s, McKernan, I think, I think. Corey McKernan and, and Chris was Grant. Chris maybe? Grant, yeah, Dave's favorite player. What a guy! Yeah. He was robbed. <laughs> Set up. I think a Saint player won it that year too. Yeah, both, both those both years, those years were Robert Harvey years. Yeah, one of them I think they would have drawn maybe. Yeah, one of them was a tie, and one of them I think he was one vote behind. Yeah, yeah. But I thought the right result was found there. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and th- this period was tricky f- for a bunch of different reasons. There were internal disputes, financial woes, which there have always been. But uh, yeah, players were striking. But during that time, like Nick said, Colin Watson won the Brownlow. Things were, there were high points, but so many low points as well. And you say, like, they're striking. How professional is the league at this point? They're like, people getting paid to play. Yeah, I think they want it and they're looking for it to become more professional. Yeah. And I guess the Saints were struggling for money. I'm not sure exactly what happened. It doesn't sound right. No, actually, no, that can't be right. (laughs) It's got to be something else. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Holmesby talks about Watson saying he had the. Reputation as one of the best footballers in the league, but he left at the end of the year. I think this is the guy who tried to, he got a job in the country or something and he wanted to go play footy in the country, like the year after winning the Brownlow medal and the club didn't release him. So, he had to just sit out the next season. Then he asked again the year after and they, he sat out again and he ended up just playing anyway. So, he was banned from playing VFL football, the thing he was oh. trying not to do anyway. <laughs> well, that's it. Well, if you don't want to play VFL football, you can't play for the next three years. Yeah, that's what I've been asking for. What do you mean you quit? You are fired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, the, and the league expanded during this time with teams like Hawthorne, North Melbourne, Richmond and Footscray joining the league. But according to Holmesby, the Saints hit their strides by 1929, breaking into the top four to snap an 11-year finals absence. While the year would end again in heartbreak, the emergence of a spry youngster from Wagga Wagga would begin a new era for the red, white and black. And his name was Bill Moore. And you're going to tell me about him. Oh, this guy, he's, it's so funny how many of these legends, I couldn't really picture them. In my head, they all look about the same. Like, 
you know, early 1900s men. But- um, <laughs> Which is what they were. Yeah. You know, skinny-ish white guys. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I guess they were all probably units at the time. Probably. But they're pretty- They look all pretty been athletes, slim. Yeah. Very slick haircuts, which was yeah. just the fashion of the time. A neckerchief. But Bill Moore was- Probably of all the ones we've already mentioned, and we've already mentioned a few literal AFL legends and Hall of Fame members, but Bill Moore was probably the first genuine gun, right? I mean, he was one of the first superstars to hit the VFL. Um, yeah, he, he led the league in goal kicking in 1936. He became the first St Kilda player to kick 100 goals in a season. Uh, he led the club's goal kicking for 12 straight years, 12 years in a row he led the goal kicking. Um, he kicked 735 goals in 195 games. When he retired, he was third on the all-time goal kicking list between, uh, behind only Gordon Coventry, who's one of the greatest goal kickers of all time, and Jack Titus, who I think is the greatest Richmond goal kicker of all time still. Yeah, still today. So. Um even today, we're talking 100 years later, nearly, he's still in the top 20 of all time VFL, AFL goal That's amazing. Yeah, that really is quite incredible. Um, and having only played 195 games as well, so his average is nearly four goals a game across a nearly 200-game career. It's, it's just you don't, I don't think there's any current players who have a, uh, a game goal average of- Anything like that, do they? I mean, they maybe, do. maybe Buddy Franklin, maybe, but well, he's not even retired, sure. He's mate. retired now. Okay, just I got you on a technicality <laughs> there. <laughs> there, I mean, there wouldn't be too many players that, that have played that many games that have averaged that many goals per game. Yeah, yeah, I may, maybe five or six. Yeah, if they let me play one game, I probably could average more than that. I probably because I'd probably kick eight goals. Yeah, retire, and then I retire. In the, then, current, in the current AFL? In the current AFL, yeah. Well, yeah. You, you are a unit. I wouldn't play back then. I wouldn't be Because um, I'm not a scab. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like most of the team was striking. But um, So, what, what do you think of what- Dave, you don't know the Saints that well. You don't really follow f- football that much. What are the things you think of when you think of the Saints? Like, iconic- Like, icon style. Colours? Yeah. The little stick man. Stick man, yeah. What about the logo? The shield? Does that mean anything to you? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it on your hat right now. So I'm feeling a bit of that. Um, Not that is, one. No. More like that one. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at uh, Nick's hat now. I've <laughs> 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 gone from one shield to another. <laughs> yeah, but is that a very- uh, that's a, So, that's a very Saints thing. That's not just a footy- It's a very Saints emblem. thing. Yeah. It, well, this, they're the first club who had a, their own logo on their jumper. Ah, uh, gotcha. And uh, yeah, it's called the Crest. And uh, Nick, I'd love you to tell Dave about it. So, according to the Saints, uh, it's unknown who actually created the crest, but the crest was immortalised in 1933 with the iconic emblem emblem not only commemorating the great fortitude shown in the Saints' stunning triumph against North Melbourne, but underpinning the very values and morals upon which the club was built. The Saints held on to victory at Junction Oval against the ruthless Shinboners in one of the game's most epic encounters, ending the match with just 15 men on the field, seven of whom continued to play on injured, one of the injured players being the legendary Bill Moore, but the steely resolve of the red, white, and black persevered, Matt. So good. And How good the- is that? Just gives you chills, doesn't it? I know, it does. It was like, apparently it was just a ridiculous victory. Shouldn't have won. There's no reason they should have won. And at the time, the Argus newspaper reported, nothing finer nor more inspiring than St Kilda's magnificent win against overwhelming odds has been witnessed at the Seaside Oval. It's, um, it's amazing because the, the world had just come out of the bloodiest war it had ever seen and people were talking about this game as like wartime mm-hmm. environment. Like it was that violent and tough. 
Uh, and that's that's how the 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 crest was commemorated. They they struck shields, they struck medals to give to all those players. That's right. And the Saints president at the time, Fred Arlington Burke, was a veteran from the First World War, and I think he also served in the Second World War. He was so impressed that he made these medals, gave one out to every player. Only a handful of them are still known to exist, but one of them can be seen at the Saints Museum in Moorabbin, which I believe you've seen it. I have seen it. It's very special. This is what it looks like, Dave. Oh, that's a beautiful medal. So good. It says, St Kilda defeated North Melbourne with 15 men, May 27th, 1933. That really is a wartime style thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back to Holmesby. It has become synonymous with the club motto Fortius Quo Fidelius, uh, which is strength through loyalty, and remains as one of St Kilda's most enduring sy- symbols, which obviously Dave proved before when he said, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I recognise that. <laughs> uh, the legend of the crest continued to shine through the remainder of the decade as the Saints consistently pushed for finals and found themselves on the cusp several times in an increasingly strong competition. It wasn't until the end of the decade that the club recorded its first finals win since 1913 with a victory over Richmond at the MCG in 1939, snapping a 26-year dry spell. Do you remember that? Oh, that was a great day. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I was there with uh, my dad. <laughs> and your babysitter. <laughs> and my babysitter. Yeah, we were three of the oldest men in the world and uh, <laughs> we had a great time that day. I don't know if that uh, that year means anything to you, Dave, 1939. Because despite the return to finals, things weren't going so well off the field at St Kilda. And as it turns out, for the world. Again, I think there's some correlation here. (laughs) The world was heading back to war. Uh, Ten more Saints players died fighting in World War II, including best and fairest winner Harry Compte, who fell at the Battle of Tarakan. And across the two world wars, 286 former St Kilda footballers Serve for their country. Um, Did the other, the other clubs obviously just kept going? Collingwood yep. type clubs, yeah. <laughs> Always. Always. Which is, it's a bit rich they play the Anzac Day game. Won six premierships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Between 1939 and 45. So, yeah, I don't know. Makes you think, doesn't it? Hmm. Uh, hey, what do you think about the Saints as an emblem, Dave? If you were going to pick a, a, an emblem, a mascot for a team called St Kilda, what would you go for? You happy with Saints or are you thinking something else? Oh, as in, like, am I happy with that being the nickname or should it be something else? Yeah. Hmm. No, I like St Kilda Saints. Yeah, makes sense. I'm from St Kilda. I mean, you could be Kilders. I don't know what that is. <laughs> you go with the Saints. Yeah. It's easier. Yeah. I imagine that you start, you know, you got Roger Moore as the Saint. Okay, oh, yeah. Good one. Ready to go. I think Val Kilmer played him as well. So, there you go. Two of the great actors that, representing your club. They could be our mascots. Yeah. Roger would- and Val. <laughs> We could be the St. Kilda Roger and Vals. Sounds like a sitcom. <laughs> yeah. Which is pretty much what this story is, <laughs> just a comedy. But, but it, it, even though it does feel like that's what it always would have been, it's not It's not always been the case. Really? Yeah. Oh, I've assumed it had been. When, when you think of St. Kilda, St. Kilda Beach, like the seagulls. The seagulls would oh, make sense. Oh, seagull. Okay, yeah. yeah. Or you could get a crab. <laughs> Fish and chip shop. Can of crabs. Can't minimum chips. <laughs> That's not bad. Okay. The mini chips. But it, it actually was the Seagulls for a little while. For oh, you were serious? Okay. I was serious. In, in the late 30s, early 40s, the club actually used a Seagull logo to relate to St Kilda's famous beach. Okay. St Kilda Seagulls. You got the alliteration going. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. St Kilda Seagulls. Count the gulls. Count the gullies. 
<laughs> but then in 1945, the club again went for a different mascot and they went for a panther. You couldn't really go <laughs> too different. Obviously, people that don't know St Kilda are famous for two things. is the beach and the panthers <laughs> patrolling that beach. In, in the famous St Kilda book, The Point of It All, which I think Russell had a, a bit to do with as well, actually, um, the, the historians write, the hierarchy perhaps hoped the team would show more tenacity, but the new nickname did little to change the direction of the team's play. <laughs> the Panthers, battered and beaten, finished at the bottom of the list again. Yeah. Okay. Worked, they out, that, worked out real well. I thought the mascot was the problem. They were hoping to do a bit of nominative determinism. <laughs> <laughs> they should have called us the winners. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd come last that year, that would be incredible. Apparently, uh, at some point I read only yesterday uh, that at one point we tried to be the penguins as well at one point, which is... Oh, yeah, there's penguins down in St. Kilda. I don't That's mind good. that. Penguins mm. are all right. Um, yeah, Panthers doesn't seem to fit in at no, all. I don't think I've ever seen a panther in St. Kilda. No. Well... They're very good there at fighting. Was, there was that one time. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. But, the, yeah, the I think it, around that time, a lot of clubs are going for more full-on um, emblems. Like, that was around the time the uh, Fitzroy became the Gorillas. Although they had the Lions, which is- The Gorillas are vegetarians, aren't they? I feel like Lions are more ferocious. <laughs> well, didn't Hawthorne become, like, the Mayflowers? I think or they the, started out The Mustard some, Seeds or something. Yeah, yeah. There were some real fun names early on. Uh, I'm pretty sure I went through most of them in episode three or whatever of this show. Maybe episode two, which uh, we recorded a while ago. Okay, so. There's been a bit of history since. Bit of history since. Wait, obviously, that that was on the history of AFL as a game. But what about, has there been any mascot changes in the last eight years that we need to get people up, up to no, date No, I don't with? think there have been any okay, stuck more recent that. ones. Yeah, I think there's a few that probably should. I think Gold Coast Suns could probably redo mm. their whole thing. The Bombers? The, the bombers, bombers are a- talking about taking the the jet plane off their mm. logo. I don't think they're talking about changing the name though, just um, changing the logo. But and that's got people up in arms. You know how people like getting up in arms. That's oh, bloody. What about the history? What about the history? We someone drew that logo twenty years ago, <laughs> and you're going to throw that away? We've still got the Photoshop file. It's a- <laughs> It's so fucking. It's like the original. Lo- yes, you got the original. Yes, we do. Logos get updated all the time. <laughs> uh, or not the Saints one, obviously. We've stuck with our same emblem basically since 1933. Um, so at this point in the history of the club, Second World War, we haven't won any premiership flags, but the trophy cabinet wasn't completely bare. So this is something that I didn't really know know much about until a couple of months ago, and and. The Saints actually released for their 150th year a, a website that showcases a bunch of this history and their triumphant, tragic moments. And and that website, saints150.com.au, says, The VFL Lightning Premiership or Patriotic Premiership was organised between rounds 14 and 15 of the 1940 VFL season to raise funds for the wartime effort, which had broken out the year prior, obviously. The one-day knockout competition saw all teams compete in 20-minute matches with the last team standing awarded a fine cup in reverence of their accomplishment. Bill Moore recovered sufficiently from injury to take part in the tournament, playing a hand in steering St Kilda to victories over Hawthorne, Carlton and Richmond, leading to the team taking out the trophy. And those teams were all pretty good teams at that point in time. Hawthorne, Carlton and Richmond were all pretty strong teams. Right. And I don't even think it makes sense that we'd win the Patriotic Cup. Yes. Not the Premiership. No, not the Premiership, but we're the ones- Collingwood obviously weren't mentioned there. No, we're sending and our guys to war. Well, we're sending our the, guys to war to what, put the flag on. And what you didn't mention, but was that game played in the trenches? 
I imagine. Metaphorically speaking. <laughs> Metaphorically. <laughs> they do love that uh, football commentators to use a bit of war imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, be there in the trenches. Even it's so funny how Australian culture does, gets into a bit of that. I, uh, back when we were, me and friends were having our 21st birthdays and the speeches would be had. And I reckon every second speech I went to with some mate, the speech would be like, you know what, Jono, he's the one guy I'd want next to me in the trenches. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you're, you're studying a hospitality degree. <laughs> when are you going to the trenches? You're not going to the trenches. <laughs> But then at my, my 21st, my mate goes, we've heard at other people's 21st, we've heard a lot of people say they're the only one I'd want next to me in the trenches. Well, that's not the case with Matt. He's the last guy I'd want next to me in the trenches. <laughs> he said something like he'd probably be filling an online form in about animal welfare or something. <laughs> <laughs> got me. Got that. Got me a beauty. So, we've, we've, we've got a cup. We won something. Yeah. And I read yesterday as well that in- in the 1800s, in the brief time that uh, I think it was South Yarra, but you know the team we formed out of, mm-hmm. they won a trophy, which went missing until uh, I think the last decade. It turned up in Bristol, and it was someone in the some, UK. Yeah, in the UK, some guy inherited it, and he emailed the MCC saying, "Oh, is this important?" So. Um, they're like, oh, yeah, that's how did it end up there? They, no one really knows why, but it's now on, lo- on loan at a sports museum here in Melbourne on display. Go. Yeah. You so, go. you know, we've got a history of cups. And not they a good history of holding on to them. They didn't try and take that one off us. No. Either. And that's the most important yeah. part of the story. You weren't challenged the week later. Not robbed. <laughs> not robbed. Uh, the Saints also went on to win the reserves premierships in 1942 and 1943, which is kind of inexplicable because the team was not particularly good at, at that point. Yeah, the, the seniors team, but the reserve normally the reserves are the players who can't quite make it into the seniors team. So normally there's a bit of a a flow on effect. If the firsts aren't doing very well, then the seconds probably aren't. But for some reason our seconds were very good at, in the early forties. But the decade again finished without the ultimate success. In fact, the uh, the Saints were far from it, winning further wooden spoons in 1943, 1945, 1947, and 1948. Uh, so we're racking up the the wooden spoons. Uh, the new decade, though, the 1950s, brought about more spoons in 1952, <laughs> 1954, 1955, which took the club's tally up to 19, which I think today would still be a, a record in the I league. I think it would still be the most. Yeah. We're, we're, but you're not done yet. No, we're not done yet. And there's <laughs> 70 more years of competition to go. But yeah. they, did, they did start to turn around after that, after those- latest wooden spoons in 54 and 55. That's right, yeah. Things did start turning around for sure. And this was with the appointment of this coach called Alan. And no, Dave, it's not the Alan you're thinking of. Before Alan Yabby Jeans, <laughs> the Saints had a coach named Alan Killigrew who got the gig in 1956. And according to the club, this was a big turning point in the side's fortunes because Killigrew w- was a really tough coach and-, and he famously declared that nobody will laugh at St Kilda. I'm not sure that worked out particularly well because most of the league laughs at St Kilda. But Killigrew undertook one of the most ruthless and substantial list turnovers in VFL history. His astounding clean-out resulted in 17 Saints who played in 1955, never donning the red, white and black again, while 11 untried players were called up for the club's first match of 1956. The tough love approach and Killigrew's insistence for the St Kilda faithful to get behind the boys wrenched the club off the lower rungs of the ladder, but never into legitimate finals contention. 
Yeah, but it was the start, right? It was the start. And sometimes you hear about that. Like a coach will get sacked, but then the next coach will come along and have success. And some of the groundwork was done by the coach before. I think it was just the, the mentality. Like you, you hear sporting teams talk about the culture, you know, winning mm. culture and all that sort of stuff. And, and he brought that in, that kind of ruthlessness, that tough love, um, really driving standards. And, and the club had really never had that before. Yeah. I, I love that line of- uh, no one will laugh at St Kilda. Reminds me of uh, probably one of the best jokes ever written uh, from years ago. This guy, Bob Monkhouse, I think is a, an English comedian. You know, this joker goes, they laughed at me when I said I was going to be a comedian. <laughs> well, no one's laughing now. <laughs> so good. Um, but, yeah, the wildest thing, and I heard this on your podcast, that his list Carl was so great, Alan Killigrew, that- when the new season rolled around, a lot of the players never met before. Yeah. And that happened like two of the players met on the day of a game. Not not just any two, but two who are nearly the most important on the field, the two that start next to each other in, in the centre, the Ruckman and the Rover. So Ray Barrett, who was the Ruckman, and Paul Dodd, who was the Rover, first met on the tram to North Melbourne. Going to the game. That's so uh, funny. <laughs> oh, what do you what do you do for the club? Oh, you play. So do I. <laughs> yeah, they're what like, position? Oh, oh, you're a supporter of the Saints. Oh, no, I play. Oh, me too. It's so <laughs> funny. Oh, yeah, I'll be tapping the ball to you later today. Oh, great to see you there. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, this is when we were turning things around. Real, real professional type standards. Yeah, like I said. But how bad were the previous players for the coach to come in and be like, "You suck so much. I will. I will bet everything on these people." <laughs> I've never met. Yeah. They've never met. They've probably never even heard of the game of football. But they look like they're, they they <laughs> want to know. But and it the- did work. It worked. Yeah. It did work because they actually won something a, a couple of years later. That's right. In 1958, the Saints won another bit of silverware, taking out the VFL Knight Series Premiership, was which was basically just a consolation competition for teams that didn't make the Final Four. But still, it's something. best of the rest. Oh, right. So, it was a playoff amongst the losers. Yeah. Exactly. And played at night? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's exciting. Yeah. It was before they had light towers at grounds, but- um, (laughs) Candle lit. Yeah. Everyone's running around. A lot of our players were just coming back from war, so they were pretty good for (laughs) it. You know, they've got their their pain on their face crawling around. Um, Yeah, back to Holmesby. Although the on-field results did little to reflect it, at the time the Saints boasted some of the best players in the league uh, who were recognised for their efforts across the competition. St Kilda picked up three consecutive Brownlow medals uh, from 1957 to 1959 through Brian Gleeson, Neil Roberts, after he switched from half forward to centre-half back, and Vernard Howell, while Bill Young snared the Coleman medal for most goals in the league in 1956. Good year for Melbourne. That was the Olympics year. Have you done that story yet? Melbourne Olympics? Yeah. No. Mm. We've done the Sydney Olympics opening ceremony. <laughs> It's very specific. specific. <laughs> We've done a few Olympic topics, no, but we haven't done the Melbourne Olympics. I've heard there's a few interesting stories there, like the equestrian at the Melbourne Olympics was um, contested in Sweden, for instance. <laughs> so there's a few. Of course. We annexed part of Sweden for the month. <laughs> yeah. There are, there are some pretty good stories from the 56 Olympics. I don't know if you heard about the Olympic rings. You know, it's normally that the Olympic rings are you know, incredible, you know, beautiful, historical rings and they travel to different countries and they put them together they, they put Wait, them together the actual properly. rings the actual rings i didn't know they were do you know they were actual rings Dave? yeah okay but in in 56 they came off the back of a plane and just lumped on the back of, of a ute and just driven around the just driven around the city 
That's fun. It's very Australian. Back of a flatbed ute. <laughs> yep. With yeah, ACDC yeah. recording a film clip <laughs> on the ute later that day. <laughs> so good. Um, back to Holmesby. Gleason's sudden knee injury and forced retirement in 1958 thrusts a young Alan Morrow into the spotlight, whose profound impact would be etched into the club's folklore almost a decade later. But the 1950s birthed a champion of another kind and one whose legacy would be immortalised in a St Kilda history forever. Yes, Dave. It's time to talk about the great Alan Yabby Jeans. Alan Yabby? Is that, is that a name? What is that? Yabby Jeans? Yabby's a nickname. Oh. Do you know, where, where do you get the nickname Yabby? Surname you know isn't Yabby Jeans. I'm not sure, actually. No, I don't know I'm either. Sure. I'm guessing he just sort of liked to swim he was in dams. He was a cop, he not was a fisherman. A right. But he started so young. So, he was a player at the Saints. Mm-hmm. And he, he played between 55 and 59. Then he, I think he went and coached in the country, maybe. And... Uh, he was doing good things there. And then in 1961, took over the Saints head coaching job. And he was only 27. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, he would have been coaching players older than him, I would have thought. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And players that he played with. Yeah, well. which would have been uncomfortable. And you would have thought, not really the ideal scenario. But as it turned out, youth didn't hold him back. As he took the Saints back to the finals in just his first season, breaking a finals drought going back 22 years, back to 1939. Uh, they were in the frame to make the finals again in 1963, but it came down to their last game against North Melbourne. In the 1960s, Australian music and TV legend Molly Meldrum was a member of the Saints cheer squad. What, how would you explain Molly Meldrum to listeners, Dave? What is he? He's like a, he's a, he's an Australian icon these days, but he's a, a music journalist that's uh, famous for wearing a large, what is it, 10-gallon Cow- hat? Yeah, like a cowboy hat. Cowboy hat. And he, uh, yeah, through the... 70s, 80s, the 90s would interview all the the touring musicians who came out. You know, your Elton Johns, your Madonnas. Rod Stewart. And he was, and then became friends with all, all, all of those yeah, people. Yeah, it seems would, like he's still mates with a lot of them, yeah. Who's, who's that British interviewer, Graham Norton? He's, he's a more flamboyant version of Graham Norton. More, yeah. He's yeah. Graham Norton, only <laughs> more, more flamboyant. flamboyant. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I remember one time, you ever been in the edgy, Nick? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, I was down there one Wednesday night years ago and uh, I saw Molly's hat sort of bobbing through the the crowd and he was just, he just walked in, did a U-turn, walked back out and he was on his way back out of the door. He was obviously looking for someone or something. I said, hey, Molly, how about the Saints? And it was packed like, you know, shoulder to shoulder. He turned around again, came back to me and goes... (laughs) Oh, we are we are on the up, and we chatted <laughs> about the same for like five minutes. That's gross. He looked like he went, his face went from like this sort of concerned, looking for someone to like beaming and wanting to chat about. Oh, someone wants to talk about the same. <laughs> yeah. There's a statue of Molly. Yeah, that's right. In is it Richmond? Is it called Richmond Junction? It's that that kind of little side street next to. Is that to where the- sort of some streets meet? Yeah, that's how I'd explain it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's right. Dave, do you know? Junction? No, I've never heard that word the junction, before. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's he's, a gold. It's, I think it's a gold statue of Molly Meldrum. So good. Awesome. And he, he's also. I think he's got. He's got a Saints tattoo. I think it's the shield on his. Yes, on I his, think so. Um, and he's arm. been known whenever, whenever the the club's been in the grand final or a final series, he paints his front fence, and it's, yes. it's like a tourist attraction. So cool. Um. Anyway, so he's he's part of the cheer squad back in the sixties. The Saints have to beat North Melbourne to make this final in 1963. But he realised that they didn't only have to win. They had to win by a certain amount of points to make it. And he wanted to let the players know during the game. So, he took drastic action. 
as nine news reports. Uh, this is quoting Meldrum. I don't know what possessed me. I was in the cheer squad and for some reason I jumped the fence, ran out onto the ground and the umpire was about to bounce the ball. The umpire yelled stop and I said, hold on a moment. <laughs> At that point, Meldrum made a beeline for St Kilda players Kevin Cowboy Neal and Ruckman Alan Morrow to deliver his important message saying, listen, apart from winning, you need better percentage to get in. And Molly, who was working at a bank at the time, had done the sums. Not only did they have to win, they had to win by two more goals to jump over the top of Essendon, Mel- Meldrum said. As Meldrum was running back to his seat, he was confronted by a burly police sergeant who escorted him off the ground. And there's footage of it. That's him there being talked to by the umpire. <laughs> he's still got a hat. Still got the hat, yeah. The, there's another photo where he's running out with the hat off. But, yeah, he was. he's always been a hat man. I did tell you this report was about the St Kilda hat, football club <laughs> yeah, hat. Yeah, there it is. Uh, while the Saints went on to achieve the result required and make the finals, Molly scampered through the streets of St Kilda hoping to evade police. I told the officer I needed to go to the toilet, but I took off down Fitzroy Street and then down Gray Street, Meldrum recalled. So he- <laughs> he's, he's got, he had a bit of a history of not seeing the final sirens of important games. Uh, that was one time. Corner uh, Hosby, famously Jeans, Yabby, said the Saints could have gone harder after keeping Richmond goalless for an entire game at one point, a feat which had last been achieved in 1921. So he was, he was bringing in an even more ruthless attitude. Mm. Oh, you kept them goalless? You could do better than that. You could have murdered them. Yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, sorry, coach. How could we do better than keep them goalless? Ah, uh, murder. murder them. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't. He didn't want to say, but he sort of just nodded and made just, them just say a wink. Yeah, I'm not saying anything, but you know how you can do it. You know, you know deep down. It was the uncompromising standards, refusal to yield, and insatiable hunger to succeed that would put the Saints on the road to premiership glory. Under Gene's tenure, Saints vied for September action in 1961 and 63, but were eliminated in the semi-finals on both occasions. It was during this time where some of the club's greatest champions began to emerge. The blonde bombshell Carl Ditterich forged himself a reputation as one of the most intimidating players who ever graced the field. With his partnership with Alan Morrow and Brian Minot. Minot? Minot, yeah. And Brian Minot in the ruck, one of the best in the league. Carl, Carl Dittrich, it doesn't sound like it because you're kind of talking about him as, as one of the most feared players in the league, but they actually called him the St Kilda Beetle for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, here comes the yeah, Beetle. The, the really intimidating John Lennon and Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Hello, I'm going to do some ruck work, okay? <laughs> A dibble dabble's bold, okay, and ruck it down to you there. You run it. Uh, yeah, I think it was mainly cause, just because of his haircut, right? Yeah, yeah the that's beetle right. Stole. Yeah. The blonde beetle. The St. Kilda beetle. So funny. Uh, Neil Roberts and Vernon Howard continue to shine down back. Brownlow medalist Ian Stewart, who won three, and Ross Smith, who won one, dominated through the centre, while legendary captain Daryl the Doc Baldock was in a league of his own. With a team of champions and all the ingredients to write themselves into legend, Jeans helped pave the next era of St Kilda's history, furthering their ambitions to be there in that last week of September. As the club was putting together its best ever team, they were also embarking on another big change, moving from their home ground at Junction Oval in St Kilda to a new home at Linton Street in Moorabbin in 1964. This came about after ongoing disputes with the St Kilda Cricket Club over the use of facilities. I guess in those shoulder seasons especially, after finals into cricket season and the cricket club's coming, we're trying to do pre-season here. Yeah, we're, 
We're about to play in a, in a final. We're doing an actual season. We need the ground. <laughs> let alone the... And then the alpacas were probably getting involved. <laughs> According to Holmesby, six months of direct involvement from the Saints stars in building their new footballing residency, right down to walking in lines to pick up stones from the newly laid playing surface, were done in the hopes of ushering in an era of prosperity for the club. They were building, both literally and figuratively, a new home and a new beginning as the Bayside Club entered a new and unknown frontier in the southeastern suburbs. So, yeah, the players were literally, as they're laying the new turf, to the players would line up and go through picking up pebbles and yeah. rocks. Yeah, literally out of the grass, out of the grass. I mean, it's, it's, imagine now you talk like uh, Leo Messi in, in Miami starting a new franchise with David Beckham. Can you imagine David Beckham and Leo Messi walking yes. through grass picking up pebbles? I don't think I can really picture it, no. <laughs> But these these were literally the best players in the VFL at the yeah. time, which is amazing. Yeah, they were just yeah they really bought in, and that that showed in the success they were having on the field. But it, it wasn't without controversy the move, which you can imagine. Like they played at Junction Oval for many decades. They were the St Kilda Football Club had in always existed in St Kilda. So to move from St Kilda to Moorabbin, which is probably today, it's probably maybe. 20-minute drive. If that. Yes. Yeah, it's, not that it's not that far, but back then, <laughs> Moorabbin would have been like the edge of the world because uh, I grew up in Moorabbin. My grandparents moved there um, a little bit of the decade before in the 50s, and uh, when they moved there, it was they were the only house on the street. It was sort of farm. It was industrial and stuff, wasn't it? It was That's factories. A, and yeah, there. there's factories and stuff, and there was also like farmers' gardens and stuff. And, um, I mean, the industrial area is all still there. Back to Holmesby, the move caused widespread division internally and externally, but all was forgotten when a record crowd of 51,370 people flocked to the new home to witness a stunning triumph over Collingwood, which is hard to imagine. I've, I've been to a bunch of games there, never that many. Mm-hmm. I don't think legally in the 90s you were allowed to have that many in there. Um, I think the capacity was more like 30,000. Something about that, 35, yeah. So, I don't know how they got squeezed in. But even uh, more recently when they've played preseason games and AFLW games there, the capacity is, I know it's different, but mm. capacity is like eight or 10,000. Yeah. Now, and it feels pretty full. It's packed. So 8,000 packs it, yeah. It's pretty hard to imagine. I think the, the stands were slightly different and whatnot, but still, it's hard to imagine that many people there. And St. Kilda rocketed to the top of the ladder in 1965 with 14 wins, securing its first minor premiership, which is finishing on the top of the ladder after the regular season. In 1965, it's the first time they finished on top of the ladder, Dave. Finally. So, yeah, a bit of time. Uh, nearly 70 years into the, the competition. About 92 years, uh, to be precise. Unfortunately, Dave, despite their great season, 1965 ended in heartbreak when they lost the grand final to Essendon. Oh. Yeah. Kick in the face. What a kick in the face. Damn it. Still but, hurts. But did Still they hurts. challenge them for the next week? Yeah, well, that's the problem. When they finished on top of the ladder. So, if the challenge system existed, yeah, could they have done it. could have done it. But unfortunately- Damn it. it they weren't using the challenge system anymore. Robbed. Again. Absolutely robbed. Robbed. More. Exactly. I've always said that system's a good system. <laughs> Why'd they get rid of it? <laughs> um, so, yeah. The next season, 1966. I don't know if anyone's got any interest in that. No, let's skip that one. Yeah, I've heard it. Heard it. All right. Well, let's not talk about that then. Let's talk about the theme song. Uh, the song now synonymous with the club is a version of the traditional spiritual song, When the Saints Go Marching In. 
At the Junction Oval, though, they use an adaptation of I Do Like to Be Beside the Seaside as their song. Right, but rewritten at all? Probably. Lyrically? Very. I'd actually probably I'm not, not sure. Then. I don't yeah. think it was, no. Um, they were known as the Seagulls then. Okay, right. That makes sense. <laughs> there you go. But if the song is It's not very rousing, really, is it? It's I not. I do like to live beside the seaside. It's like a Mary Poppins song or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they changed to when the Saints go marching and when they moved to Moorabbin. This is from the Herald Sun. When the Saints go marching in was written by an unknown songwriter in 65 or 66 when the Saints were moving from Junction Oval to Moorabbin. Now, written seems like a stretch to me. Yeah, I don't think that's quite accurate, Herald Sun. I mean, even the- f- I think what they're saying is written is changing, I want to be in that number to I want to be in Moorabbin. And they're like, that's a writer's credit. <laughs> Because nothing else changed. The the melody, most of the lyrics uh, all stayed the same. But, yeah, they just abbreviated it. They took out all the verses. Very unlike the uh, the Herald Sun to get something so wrong. As a media man, should you be throwing stones like this? Oh, I'm picking up stones. Picking up stones. <laughs> <laughs> that is very St. Kilda like. Well done. Uh the Herald Sun continues, there are only 14 words in this theme song. The original tune is an American gospel hymn. This song was famously recorded on May the 13th, 1938 by Louis Armstrong and his orchestra. The current and favourite version of St Kilda Fans was recorded by the Fable Singers in 1972. The Fable Singers recorded all the current team's songs in 1972 and they're still the ones that, for the most part, get played at the games. That sort of yeah. style, yeah. The fans love them. are involved usually. The fans love them. Yeah. Yeah. There was a revolt when AFL had them all re-recorded a couple of years ago. Yeah. And they've brought most of the old ones back. There's again. trumpets and trombones. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's brilliant. The Saints, like the Saints song, it's it's a great song, but they've sucked a lot of the fun out of it by killing the verses. It's basically just, it's the chorus and then the chorus again. Yeah. There's Some a great the verses drum solo. There is a great drum solo. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun hitting my brother in the head with that after wins. Yes. I I guess do you want to explain to international listeners what the song's about? I don't I don't know how unique that is to Aussie first. Probably not that unique, is it? I I don't not sure what it's like in, in other sports, but but in in Aussie rules footy, every club has a theme song that kind of plays on the on the ground over the you know, the loudspeakers when they run out on the ground and all the fans sing along and, and chant and whatever. And then at the end of the game, the winning team goes back in the locker room. They all kind of huddle up and, and the players sing it together, which is kind of a cool little little yeah. thing. Yeah, I don't know. And yeah. they've been doing that the whole time. Like, I do like to live beside the sea. Yeah, I don't know when it would have come in, but it's been it's definitely been in as long as I can remember, and I'm yeah. quite an old man. It happens in, in some other sports. You are an old man, but it, it does happen in some other sports. I know in college football, a, a lot of the big colleges have their theme songs that they kind of huddle up and, and sing or yeah. chant in the locker room. But And, all, like, a lot of the- a lot of the AFL songs are based on old American songs, mm-hmm. like a lot of and, and European. Songs. Oh yeah, uh, the national French, French national anthem yeah. is one of like Geelong's maybe. Uh, Brisbane, or Brisbane, Brisbane. Yeah, I don't think the German anthem is any of them though. No, I don't think it is. No, no, maybe Collingwood's. Sounds right. <laughs> Must be true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that yeah, the, the the players sing it, but it, as the siren goes, they'll play the winning team song as well. So the. Uh, the crowd will all sing along. And now they've got MCs at the games. The MC will often say, should we hear it again, Saints fans? They're like, just, yes. Just, just play, play the song. <laughs> just play the damn song. Nah, good on him. He's doing his job. That's the kind of job that Dave would have done a million times before. <laughs> I know what you're going to say, but they've told me I've got to say this. 
but here's some of the verses from the original, Dave, that were cut. They all start with, um, or they all end with, I want to be in that number when the Saints go marching in. Uh, but what about, oh, when the drums begin to bang, or when the drums begin to bang, I want to be in St. Kilda when the drums begin to bang, or when the stars fall from the sky, oh, or when the stars fall from the sky. Oh, God, It's no. very dramatic. It's so dramatic. When the trumpet sounds its call, when the, when the trumpet sounds its call, I want to be in St. Kilda when the trumpet uh, sounds its call. When the horsemen begin to ride, <laughs> or when the horsemen begin to ride. I want to be there in St. Kilda when the horsemen begin to ride. But my favourite, I think, mm. or when the moon turns red with blood. Or when okay. the moon turns red with blood. I want to be there in Moorabbin. Re- I think we should bring a couple of those back. At least the last one. At I think least. it'd be sick. I think all the other clubs have got these fun verses with fun imagery, you know, like Sydney Swans one, which is definitely an Amer- old American patriotic song, and I think they lifted this line straight from them, but they say, shake down the thunder from the sky, which I think is sick. Uh or Collingwood saying that every premiership's a cakewalk, mm. you know. Um, but we don't have it. We've just got marching in when the Saints go marching in. I want to be there in St. Kilda when the Saints go marching in. Repeat. Let's get the moon blood with <laughs> red with blood. Let's, I, yeah. Can't, you've I got just, links to the club, Nick. Can you? Can I'll, you I'll have a word. Have a word. I'll have a word. But I want to get the horsemen into this into the story too. I want to get those horsemen riding and yep. then the moon dripping yes. with blood. I reckon we take a couple of them. Mm. Horsemen and the moon would be fantastic. <laughs> if I need to sign some sort of petition, I will. Uh, as you might have heard in, in my 21st speech, I love to do it. <laughs> Which I, don't, I still don't know what he was talking about. But anyway, um, all right, Dave, it's time. Nick, you ready? Let's talk 1966. Uh, you, sure, you sure people want to hear this? I think they. I think they do. All right. I guess. I so. mean, if they're still listening at this point, anyway. <laughs> so the Saints got off to a hot start, winning the first eight games on the trot. Oh wow! Things got a little bit wobbly for the rest of the season, but still won six of their final ten games to finish second on the ladder with fourteen wins, just one behind the Collingwood Magpies. In nineteen sixty-six, it was the final four system. The top two teams, Collingwood and St Kilda, played each other. And so did the third and fourth teams, Geelong and Essendon. Uh, unfortunately for the Saints, the blonde beetle, Carl Dittrich, <laughs> was suspended for six weeks during a previous match for striking. So obviously, yeah, I don't know the exact incident, but he must have punched someone. Six weeks back then would have been something pretty bad, I guess. Mm. Six weeks now could have been like accidentally tackling someone wrong. He did get a, he got suspended a lot. Yes. He did get suspended a lot. So it makes sense. Oh, yeah. Mm. We've had a few players like that as well. Um, but anyway, that meant that he would miss the whole finals campaign. The winner of the Saints-Pies game would go straight into the granny, and the loser then would have to play the winner of Geelong and Essendon, third versus fourth. So first versus second, you get a bonus chance. Third versus fourth, it's elimination. Loser's out. Th- the winner of that game plays the loser of first versus second. Gotcha. Um, the Saints started poorly against the Pies and were down by 31 points at quarter time. While they rallied strongly for the rest of the game, they went down by 10. In the other final, Essendon beat Geelong, so the Saints had to play the Bombers in a replay of the 1965 grand final matchup to get their ticket to the grand final. While the Bombers were too strong in 65, in 66, the Saints flogged them. Flogged them. Flogged them. Flogged them. It was a, that was a cakewalk. 
whatever that means. <laughs> and uh, that set up the blockbuster grand final between the Magpies and the Saints, which brings us to the big game. On the 24th of September, 1966, in front of more than 100,000 spectators at a packed MCG, Collingwood and St Kilda went head-to-head with the Premiership and all the glory that that entails on the line. Do you know how many Premierships St Kilda had won at that stage? Uh, we talking night Premierships, Reserves Premierships, uh, Patriotic Cups. <laughs> we're talking trophies that were won before we existed. <laughs> Just, I'm those, if just, I'm counting those. Just day VFL grand finals. Uh, we were at oh, rounding down <laughs> or rounding up uh, zero. Correct. Yeah. And, and Collingwood? Collingwood, I think it won 15. 13. 13. 13. They've won 15 now. So, they but, slowed down from this point, didn't they? <laughs> they did. They all, did. All during the World Wars. Though. Yeah, it was funny. Once- uh, other teams were playing in the competition right. at the same time. They haven't won very yeah, many. Once, once all the other players came back. Of course, uh, I'm in a glass house as a Saints supporter right now, th- uh, throwing stones. But I did pick them up <laughs> in a line. So, I think that was okay to throw. It, it is about as David versus Goliath a, a, a matchup could be in, in VFL. Speaking of throwing stones. <laughs> That's good by you. Okay. Yeah. Have you told that story? That the historical, David versus yeah, Goliath have you told that historical I, story? I, have not, I don't think we have. Mm, there's one. Yeah. I don't know. There weren't- I don't think Russell Holmesby's uh, written a book about it yet, so <laughs> it makes it harder. <laughs> Ask him next time he babysits. Yeah, I will. Um, but, I mean, the, not just the, the histories of the two clubs, but the Saints, obviously, like you mentioned, were missing some of their, their biggest stars, Carl Diderich. Uh, Ross Oakley, who later went on to become the CEO of the VFL, uh, did his knee uh, a, a week earlier against Essendon, and- Daryl Baldock, who was the, the captain of the club, had injured his knee about a month earlier, maybe six weeks earlier. And by all reports, that leg should have been in plaster. He shouldn't have been running wow. around at all. Um, and he like, playing football. It, like all the premiership stars of our team, many Brownlow medalists, legends, like literal le- legends in the Hall of Fame. I think I think they all basically say he was their greatest That's player. That's right. His nickname was Mr. Magic. That's how much people loved him. Yeah. Was he doing he magic tricks on the side? <laughs> Sleight of hand. Sleight of hand. <laughs> Vic Cumberland taught him everything he knows. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I did not- I don't think I knew that, that he- Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Our captain, he was like an undersized centre-half forward. Yeah. But he could sort of play anywhere. Pretty and, much played every position on the ground. And he was just a freak. And- um, I think yeah. it was about- I think 182 centimetres. Right. Just about. Oh, no, so pretty tall. <laughs> <laughs> not say, not for a, 1966. a good size. That, no. that was in 1913. He would have been the Ruckman. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's true. So, the game was tight all day. And uh, a quarter time, the Saints were up by four points. Half time, the Pies had kicked back and were leading by one point. At, at three quarter time, the Saints were back up by four points. It was seesawing, but staying close the whole way through. Then, by the 25-minute mark of the final quarter, the Pies had kicked a further three goals two to the Saints two goals four, meaning that the scores were level, with only a couple of minutes to go. And I'm going to let the great man and the great babysitter, Russell Holmesby, <laughs> summarise the final moments of the game. Hearts were in mouths as hysterical panic and excitement coursed around the ground in the deadlocked final minute. All it would take was one point. As the ball bobbled up in the Saints forward 50 and the crowd continued to scream their lungs out, an opportunistic Barry Breen found himself with just enough space to seize the Sharon and fire towards goal. His tumbling kick sailed high for an agonising few seconds, crossing the line for the most famous minor score in the game's history. 
probably the most famous wobbly punt ever Mm. been kicked. (laughs) With the Saints up by a solitary point, Collingwood were presented with one final roll of the dice, advancing the footy through the centre and barrelling long to centre-half forward. Bob Murray's match-saving mark on the last line of defence all but confirmed the result, with his clearing kick to the boundary averting a crisis that would have shattered the hearts of the St Kilda faithful. So it was in the dying moments, the ball was right deep in Collingwood's forward line. If a Collingwood forward was able to take a mark there, it would have at least been a draw and a replay, but probably, you know, they could have won. So, yeah. And you, you've watched this quite a few times. I've, I've seen it a few it. times. I've seen it a few times. You can actually hear the, the commentators that are imploring St Kilda to, to win this game. Right. It's, it's never happened before. And they're yelling out, hit the boundary line, hit the boundary they're line, barracking. get it out. <laughs> they're absolutely barracking for St Kilda. Ted Witten, the former Footscray player, was uh, was commentating that day and, and he was just telling the Saints to slow down and just run out the clock to the, to the siren. <laughs> sort of just giving them advice. That's interesting, yeah. <laughs> it's so one fun. of the most famous pieces of, of VFL, AFL commentary now. Be up there with uh, Jezelenko, you beauty. Yeah, right up there. And uh, what else? One of Dennis Committee's one. Probably one that I don't want to mention about Thief in the Night or whatever. <laughs> um, that was about a that was a less positive Saints Grand Final bit of commentary. Uh, back to Holmesby. As the Sharon sailed into Alan Morrow's outstretched hands, the siren sounded to end the longest premiership drought in VFL AFL history. We're currently trying to build up to a beat that record at <laughs> the moment. <laughs> no words can do justice to describe the sheer emotion that followed. But the tears that flowed in pure happiness, the unbridled outpouring of joy and the historic celebrations that were 93 years in the making had finally blessed the red, white and black. At long last, St Kilda had its first ever premiership and all of those men were immortals. Man, even just reading it must get hairs on the back of the neck tingling up. That's the, I think that's as much as I'd say the Saints have got a part of that. I think that's all Russell Holmesby work. Mm-hmm. He didn't know how to write. He- Or does. does. Oh, my God. I thought does. you had some bad news for me. <laughs> He'll never babysit again. I read that right and I think, I trust my child with that, man. Yeah. Just like I trust my life. There were a few quirks in this game. It was back in the black and white day. So, uh, you, it was, it, Australian TV was still black and white then. Mm-hmm. So, if all the footage of the game is in black and white, <coughs> which is funny to watch now because you're, you're watching black and white stripes versus black, white and red stripes <laughs> with, um, yeah- they're pretty similar looking. It's hard, it's hard to see. It's yeah. hard to see. But one of the weird things was that uh, generally after the grand final, the, the two captains on the ground would swap their jumpers and swap their guernseys. So, no actual photo exists of St Kilda's captain, Daryl Baldock, actually holding the Premiership Cup. The magic one. The magic one. Um, he's wearing a Collingwood jumper in the in the Premiership photo. Oh. Um, so, obviously, the, there's some versions now that have been retouched with the, with the St Kilda jumper, but there is no photo of, of any St Kilda captain holding the Premiership Cup in yes. a St Kilda jumper. Not is, the day. Not on grand final. Obviously, there's <laughs> photos of Wizard Cups being held up by Saints. Ansett Cups. <laughs> Ansett Cups, yeah. 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 We'll talk about them briefly later, but- um, <laughs> Yeah, my friend had his 21st and it was black and white themed. And my plan, and I didn't quite have the guts to follow through with it because I didn't want to wear, be wearing, be like Bulldog and mm-hmm. being in photos and college. I was, but my my plan was, because he's a big college supporter, he's like, everyone has to wear black and white. I was going to wear, I was going to go dressed as Bulldog <laughs> and hold the, have a fake Saints Premiership Cup. <laughs> you know, yeah, black and white, but didn't have the guts. What did you end up doing? 
I think I plaited my beard and tie it, made it look black and white and put black and white things in it. I just wore whatever I had in the house. I think I wore my brother's uh, op shop white suit. Finding the cup. I said I didn't have the guts, but I couldn't be. I just <laughs> couldn't find a cup. I couldn't find a cup. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one and it's in a pretty well secured cabinet in St. Mm. Kilda in Moorabbin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually the the other thing from that game is that it's the first time that the the winning team of the the VFL Grand Final did a, a lap of honour around the MCG. They oh, invented the lap yeah, of honour. Invented it. That's it had never sick. happened before. The, the St Kilda website says it's still hazy to this day as to who suggested the Saints walk around the MCG with the Premiership Cup. With Coach Alan Jeans and Chairman of Selectors Des Nisbet, the two names thrown up in discussion. The only thing undisputed is that that iconic lap was done for the fans who, according to Jeans or Nisbet, had waited long enough to witness the ultimate success. So good. Long yeah, enough. I love that. It, it's sort of similar to a story about uh, future captain Danny Frawley in the 90s when the Saints were doing it pretty hard. I think there was a game that was pissing down or, or no, it was really hot. It was it, The weather was extreme and maybe it was in, in at the Gabba or something. I'm butchering the memory. But anyway, Frawley- I saw memories of being Hawthorne at Haw- Waverley. Oh, okay, Hawthorne at Waverley. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and then he took- so Frawley took the whole uh, Saints team over to applaud the fans who hung out and watched the game, which yeah, it's just it's just a, that's that kind of club. Mm. Whereas Collingwood's well, all jumping in their convertible limousines, <laughs> convertible limousines. <laughs> <laughs> you know they don't give a shit about their fans, but why would they? All this country, they don't care about anything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Molly Meldrum was also at that game. Oh, Molly, of course. And I sort of uh, alluded to this before that he never actually saw- <laughs> He often didn't see the final siren at uh, important games. He's always arrested. He <laughs> This time he wasn't arrested. Unfortunately, he can't recall the moment the premiership became official, telling Nine News. Barry Breen kicked that wobbly punt to win the match, and it all became too much for me, and I fainted. <laughs> so, in theory, I've never experienced the Saints winning a grand final ever. And that's why I hang out for it so much, he laughed. That's why. That's why, yeah. <laughs> He'd just like to see it. I'm pretty sure I remember a story of him maybe at the 65 or one of the losses he went to. He was so angry after the game, he went to kick a can. I was just like, I was so angry. I went to kick this can on the ground and he kicked through it and into a brick wall and broke his toe. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I'm just, I, I, I remember that, that story and I couldn't find it online, but I'm pretty sure that's true. Holy. <laughs> If not, why not? Molly? <laughs> Kick harder. <laughs> the Saints continue to be competitive with the top teams into the 70s, playing off in the grand final again in 71. But despite leading by 20 points at three-quarter time, the Hawks flew home uh, with a seven-goal final term to claim the premiership. So they, we, we've they been moved close a defender. A few times. They moved a defender into the forward line who kicked, I think he kicked five goals. <sighs> So Which just, is they, yeah. were, they were basically going throwing caution to the wind. Mm-hmm. We're running, running out of ideas. Yeah, let's just switch the team around. Yep. and it worked. Bob Keddy, Bob Keddy, curse that name. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Jeans continued to coach the team to a high standard, making the finals in the first four years of the seventies. But unfortunately, after nineteen seventy three, the Saints' golden era was over, having made the finals nine times between sixty one and seventy three. And that is, I mean, that says something about the Saints. Our golden era mm. meant one premiership. Um, our silver era, no premierships. And I'll live, I think the silver lived era the was, silver was era. That, that decade of mediocrity, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, to this point, I guess it is, yeah. 
Alan Jeans, Yabby, he remained in the top job until 76 and Barry Breen played on until the 80s. So there were some of those premiership legends who hung around for a while. Barry Breen also was the first player to play 300 games for the Saints, which was a record that existed until the 2000s, I think. Yeah, I think it was Burke yeah. Lowe. I forget Burke, which order, but it was Burke Lowe the same and then year. Harvey did That's it. That's right. Yeah. And then Revolt. And then Revolt. Yeah. All of a sudden, in the first 100 years of the club, <coughs> only one player played at 300 games. But yeah, in the last 20, there's been, or last 40, I guess, there's been four. It must have been so many premierships. Mm. Yeah, you assume with that, mm. that many great players in the modern era, we must have got there. Well, let's find out. Anyway, the slide down the ladder was on, and while they were tough times, there were still bright spots with exciting individual players, particularly Trevor Barker. Barker debuted in 1975. Unfortunately for him, he sort of got there as it was all, you know, hitting the skids, and he played during the toughest era, one of the toughest eras of St Kilda's victory-starved history. A little bit like like Daryl Baldock, he he was kind of that undersized kind of player who played pretty much every position on the ground. He played centre half forward, he played centre half back, he played fullback. He just he did everything. And he was he was a bit he was his era's Kazali. Absolutely, yeah. High flying, yeah. take speckies every yeah. week. Do you want to talk a bit about this? Because I said to you uh, when we were putting this story together, I said to you this this next period is it's like the nadir of mm. the Saints. <laughs> But it was also the Saints disco era. The Saints disco era, which is famous in its own right. Yeah. It's, it, professional football club never liked to have fun. But uh, this this team that never really won anything had you know one, one of these eras, this period where they were known for being the party club. They never mm. won anything. They would lose on a Saturday and then have a party Saturday night through Monday. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was known as the as the Saints Disco. Um, really lean years on the field, but incredibly fun. And it's such a well loved period for Saints fans, which probably says it all about, I guess, the history of the of the club. I think it says a lot, but it also probably just says a lot of a lot of people found the club in that period as well, and their earliest memories. You know, people of our generation and older, people younger than us wouldn't remember it, but um, that was you know that were the first games I went to mm-hmm. were at Moorabbin. Yeah. So have such fond memories of it, and it was it was different. It would you'd go there. It wasn't allocated seating like it is now in a big stadium. This is old man talk, but you'd go there. It was mainly standing room at Moorabbin, so people would go, and it, it would be a social thing as much yeah. as anything. Yeah. Now it is, you know, a, a lot more corporate and, and whatnot. It was the animal enclosure. Yes, that's right. Uh, I'll talk about that in in a minute. But you had a story that I hadn't heard of about. Ian Stewart, he came back to the club? Yeah, so in in that period, Ian Stewart, who who was the center, the centerman for the that premiership team in 66, three-time Brownlow medalist, he was appointed general manager of, of the football department. In 1983, he was involved in a controversial clearance wrangle when South Melbourne players Paul Morwood and Silvio Faschini crossed to the Saints without clearance from the VFL. In round four, Morwood played in the game against Geelong without official clearance from the VFL, and the Saints ended up losing by 11 points, but had they won, they would have risked forfeiting the premiership points under league rules. When asked about the risk of forfeiting premiership points, Stewart replied, we were beaten by 21 goals last week. What's the risk? <laughs> like we, may, we can play anyone. <laughs> the risk is not playing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Dave, this is a grim period for the Saints on field. Uh, they added to their wooden spoon collection in 77 and 79 and 83 and 84 and 85 and 86 <laughs> oh, and no. 88. Oh, no. 
Uh, so I think that I think by this point they're up to twenty five wooden spoons uh, by the end of the eighties. Nineteen eighty five started particularly brutally with three consecutive one hundred point plus losses. So this is sort of the time that you guys are starting to get into the club. I I actually wasn't in this this period. I was living in the country and uh, was a Carlton supporter. Right. And Carlton had a great <laughs> decade. I only realised this recently because I don't have any memories of being a Carlton supporter, really. But I was a I was a Carlton supporter when they won premierships. <laughs> so I'm like, it doesn't doesn't quite. It's funny feeling that I'm like I sort of have been a premiership supporter. I just don't have any memory of it. You just didn't like. <laughs> and then what happened? <laughs> yeah. And then what happened? You didn't like that winning feeling. Yeah, no, it was all wrong. Well, I've told you this before, but we, when we moved to Moorabbin, Dad's side of the family's all Saint supporters, Mum's side's all Carlton, and it was like a housewarming. I remember there wasn't even furniture in the house yet, and uh, my uncle John, Dad's younger brother, took me into the front room. And he sat me down in front of the heater and he goes, you go for the Saints now, Matt. And I said, okay, John. And I've been a Saints supporter ever since. <laughs> but mum being like, she of our family, she's the only other diehard footy fan in our family. There's my younger sister also is into it a bit, but my brother and sister don't really care that much. Dad, you know, sort of, but not really. And um, yeah, mum... Tells me about it, how she was unstitching the number four for Sticks Kernahan off my Carlton jumper and stitching it onto a Saints jumper t- to be plugger. And she was like, it was the saddest moment of her life. <laughs> but she did it anyway. What a great mum. I've heard you tell that story a couple of times. I can just imagine in my mind, and this is obviously nothing against your mum, but I have this picture of like this lonely lady, yeah. like sobbing yeah, with a yeah. needle and thread, like unstitching Quietly it. Quietly sobbing. <laughs> Yeah, so brutal. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to know whether or not- Because ever since then, the the Blues, they had one premiership, which they bought with money in a brown paper bag, but- Brown baggers. The brown baggers. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've had a pretty tough time since. We're, we've now both got the two longest premiership droughts in the league. All right. So, you, you're damned either way then. Yeah. They haven't won since 95. So, but- theirs isn't quite as long, but still. <laughs> but how about you, Nicky? Is it a family thing for you? It is a family thing for me. I, I a bit of a similar story, but I, I had to choose when I was about five. I used to go to St Kilda games and Hawthorne games every weekend. My mum's side of the family was all Hawthorne and dad's side was pretty much all, all St Kilda. Um, and I chose very poorly. I, I think of that scene in Indiana Jones, you know, where he chooses the cup and he drinks from the cup yeah. and his face melts <laughs> off and the knight says- he chose poorly. <laughs> that, that's like that's chose- my life. How that's- many flags have you missed out on from the Hawks? I th- that's a, what's it, seven? Oh, it must be, a, yeah, it must be about that. In your life. They, they won a couple in the late 80s. They won a couple in the- Early uh, 90s. One or two in the oh, early 90s. Oh, 91. 91, yeah. 89. Yeah. Yeah, and then- And they won four in the last 15 years. Yeah, they won 2008. 12, 13, 14? Yeah, the one that's repeats. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's- Yeah. Uh, yeah. But don't you think- I just feel like you'd be a different person. And Matt, you just- It ex- builds resolve. It yeah. builds resolve. One way builds resolve, the other way builds like- You're just soft. You're soft, but all- yeah. <laughs> but maybe it also- I've heard Charlie Clawson talking about this. Is like there's people who uh, have grown up being winners and they just believe that they can do things more. Mm. <laughs> They'll try more things and they'll have more self-belief. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's, 
Yeah, they might Because it can happen. They know it can happen. Yeah. yeah. It's like you just do it and then it yeah. works. <laughs> you know, just do it and win. So, Dave, you, I, I thought you'd bring it up before now, but you haven't. The Saints and their wooden spoons. 27 wooden spoons is, is, the, is what we currently stand at. It is by far the record. You were saying that, like, if you'd stopped 60 years ago, you are yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, my God. 27. Uh, so that's since joining the VFL in 1897. We won more in the VFA as well, but we don't count those. That doesn't count. Uh, Not official history. But, of course, it should be said, I think you, you, we've got to clarify this. A third of those were won before 1910. Mm-hmm. We're talking about horse and cart days. Do we right. really count these? They're wearing long pants and leather boots. Back back when a spoon meant something. <laughs> but it was probably valuable to have. <laughs> and there were way less teams, you know. You had, your chances of winning one were much higher yeah, back then. Yeah, you're right. And then, yeah, we've only won two in the AFL era. So, in 1990, the VFL became the AFL. And, and team, we started having teams in all states. And coming up, when Tasmania gets their team in a few years, every state in Australia will have a team. In that period, we've only won two wooden spoons. Huh. Compared to Carlton, who's won five. Right. And they're heavyweights. So, I mean, I might be sounding a bit defensive there, but <laughs> I just want to say, since things have been made more equal, we haven't been as bad. True. Yeah. <laughs> as bad. <laughs> we are only the equal worst team. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It was the the times were very tough in the eighties, late seventies and the eighties, but they were good times, like Nick says, back to Holmesby. It wasn't the poor on field performances, substantial defeats, increasing collection of wooden spoons, rapidly increasing debt, or even the risk of folding that defined the club <laughs> in the eyes of the St Kilda faithful. Instead, it was defined by those who proudly represented the red, white and black and provided a light to cut through the seemingly endless darkness. And Trevor Barker was the absolute hero who championed those values. The idolised saint with the blonde locks, Hollywood looks, and a penchant for spectacular marks gave fans a reason to cheer week after week. Barks took out the club's best and fairest award in just his second year before adding another to his collection in 1981. That very medal would later be named in his honour, with the Trevor Barker Award to this day one of the most revered accolades that can be bestowed upon a saint. Oh, is it for the hottest player? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Named after Hollywood Trevor. <laughs> the um, the Saints uh, mascot's actually now- Saint Trevor. Saint Trevor, named <laughs> yeah. after him as well. And he's got the, got the long blonde locks. Speaking of the Trevor Barker Awards, have you been before, Nick? Uh, I haven't, actually. Ooh. I haven't been to the Trevor Barker well, Awards. Let me do a little humble brag here, because I got a plus one invite when uh, Aaron Goxy Gox, stand-up comedian and Saints fanatic, was going- He was going to be performing. Didn't end up happening, but he- um. He took me as his plus one, and it was really great. So I thought I'd message uh, Goxie and see if if he wanted to let us know what he feels about being a Saints fan. I guess I love the Saints because, you know, there's always interesting characters, and even though they're not a very successful club, um, you know, it's always something fun going on or something interesting. It's very rarely dull or boring at Saints, so... uh, yeah, I wish I could say it's for the greatness of the on-field product, but yeah, that's that's probably how I sum it up is a uh, quirky and fun club. <laughs> that's how I sum up Goxie, a quirky and fun guy. What a guy. Oh, that's great. How good's Goxie? I love Goxie. I love Goxie. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, <clears throat> a natural treasure. 
Next to Molly Meldrum. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I think it, once Molly goes, and heaven forbid if he ever does, I think Goxie steps into that that role. I think Molly's already been embalmed, hasn't he? <laughs> I think Molly's still kicking. Uh, but the um, yeah, there's a few roles at same. There's probably the the Hollywood role, which Eric Banner's currently in as the Hollywood Saints fan. Uh, Have you had one bef- before Banner? Was there another Hollywood? Yeah, there's all. Oh, there's all. Oh, there's Great. Graham Kennedy. Graham, Graham Kennedy, Kennedy was. The- yeah. He was a Saints fan. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Shane Warne. Mm-hmm. Of course. Hollywood. Hollywood Shane. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Hitchner. Oh, the Hitch. The Hitch yeah, is the a Hitch. Saints yeah. supporter. Bloody yeah. hell. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people in news are Saints supporters. Yeah. Because they did a they the club did a video with the ambassadors <laughs> a few years ago. Yep. Coxie was probably in it. Jane Bunn. It was like. Majority, yeah, news reporters, yeah, Jane Barn, Alicia Loxley, Peter Hitchner, yeah, there you go, that's right. People who, who are Tim in the Gossage, know. Tim Gossage, the, Saints. the Goss, yeah. Uh, anyway, back to Barker, he was offered big money to play for other clubs, but he stayed loyal to the cash strapped Saints. He even donated a car he won back to the club to help with their money issues. <laughs> How did he win a car? He won Sale a- of the century, no, he won <laughs> yeah, in a raffle, no, he won- come on down. <laughs> He, he wanted it for uh, being the best player of the year. I think maybe the cl- mark of the year, or oh yeah, it was a it was a something like it that. was something like that. Yeah. Not only did he did he not take more money from other clubs, he took less money from St Kilda, yes. who just couldn't afford to pay him. Isn't that wild? He could have been yeah, he could have gone anywhere and got paid proper cash, but he stayed. I think in that in that period, players I think it equaled out to something like thirteen and a half cents in the dollar they got paid. During that period. That's how bad it was. And they talk about it now. They should be getting paid that money now, right? They should. I think there is something kind of going on behind the scenes. There's some sort of acknowledgement or something, whether they actually get paid cash or there's just some sort of acknowledgement of what those guys did. Yeah. Bassett will come out and say sorry. (laughs) And say, does that clear everything up? He's our president at the moment. Yeah. Billionaire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to take sometimes. You're like, really, we need the members. He founded six, didn't he? Can't he just- Chip in yourself. <laughs> he, Which found he, he founded Seek. Oh, that's your president. Yeah. Oh, right. Him, so yeah. the president for people who don't know footy, the president's like a. It's it's an unpaid role. It's an honorary. Yeah. It's an honorary title, but and it, it's normally like a, a business person mm, or yep. some sort of yeah. someone who's got some clout. I yeah, think. that's right. Yeah. Um, anyway, after two hundred thirty games, Barker never played in a final and only tasted victory twenty nine times throughout the eighties. So it was. It was tough. Um, but it, wow. isn't it amazing to stick with that? There's Like, there's no nearly no upside. Worse pay, less success. And other clubs sort of gladly taken him. Yeah. That's oh, right. yeah. They, really they good. wanted him. Yeah. Yeah. He did go on to have premiership success in the 90s, though, as the coach of Sandringham uh, in the Victorian State League, which confusingly is now called the VFL. Uh the VFA became the VFL when the VFL, or after the VFL became the AFL. That's confusing. <laughs> but anyway, so he, he coached a couple of premierships uh, with Sandringham. But sadly, he died of cancer at only 39 years of age. Oh, gosh. Mm. And at that time, he was seen as the, the next in line yeah. to be the Saints coach. There was there was a, a, a somewhat of a succession plan kind of put in place that Trevor Barker was going to become the next coach of St Kilda. And the captain of St Kilda, Danny Frawley, was going to become his assistant coach. And that was going to be the dream team kind of coaching team at St Kilda moving forward. And never happened. Yeah, sad. Another bright light for the Saints in the 80s, as well as Barker, was Tony Plugger Lockett. Okay, now we're talking. 
Now that's all I've heard of. <laughs> first one. Oh, that's the no, first one. Kiz- yes, you knew that one. You didn't know Ross Oakley? The, the player who went on to be the president of the whole league or the CEO of the league? You didn't know Billy Schmidt? I did know Long Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Back to Hosby, the arrival of one Tony Lockett to Moorabbin took the game by storm, with the boy from Ballarat going on to become a legend of the game. Making his debut at 17 years of age, Plugger fast became one of the Saints' most iconic heroes, with his hulking presence, strong hands, surprising speed, and aggression making him one of the best players of all time. In tandem with the great Nicky Winmar, the duo formed one of the most dangerous partnerships up forward, despite their side's minimal success. Winmar's chemistry with Plugger inside forward 50 was truly magical. Without him, Lockett wouldn't have kicked anywhere near as many goals as he did. It's for Tism, one, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, Dave, one of my all-time favourite bands. They had a song called Father and Son, and it was all about uh, the, the dad taking the boy down to watch footy at Moorabbin, and the chorus was, Winmar, Winmar, Winmar to Lockett. <laughs> they also shot a, shot a video clip at Moorabbin as they well. They did, that's right. I'm going to mention that a bit later. Um Lockett registered his best season in 1987, booting 117 goals to lift the Saints off the bottom of the ladder and taking out best and fairest Coleman and Brownlow medal honours as a result. Wow. Does anyone ever win three at once? It's very, very rare. Yeah. Very, very rare. Because Brownlow medals sort of seen as a midfielder's award now. Forwards never really win it. Um, so, yeah, I'd, it's probably unlikely to ever happen again. I mean, it did. They, full forwards never really won it ever. No. It's very no. few, I think. Um, yeah. Plugger was also feared as a player due to his size and physicality. While only standing at 191 centimetres tall, short by key position players' standards today, he weighed over 100 keg. He weighed over 100 kegs during his playing days, and he wasn't afraid to throw his weight around. This was true off the field as well. In 1988, he was in hospital with an ankle injury when journalist Eddie Maguire attempted to barge in for an interview. Eddie Maguire, who went on to become the Collingwood president. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have a problem with Collingwood. It's just been, it's a fun thing today to be. Yeah. Um, and it's Jess's team. And while she's not here, really lay the boots. <laughs> <laughs> you would have thought the pies would have been Dave's team. Anyway. Um, I love a pie. <laughs> there you go. So, Maguire's trying to barge in for an interview and lock it through one of his crutches at, at Maguire <laughs> like a spear. Uh, the footage was captured and shown on the news that night. Well, as far as I can tell, there were no repercussions for it. It was a different time. <laughs> Surely not the last person to want to throw something yeah, at him. He was like, back then, he was like a real doorstop kind of journalist. Hey, you know, like a, on a you know, current affairs type show. Trying to barge in. Yeah, going through people's rubbish and stuff. <laughs> so inappropriate. Yeah. Someone's in hospital. I'm probably talking up a little bit. But yeah, he re- really, I think he was just trying mm. to- I think he was, he was a junior journalist at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of tenacity that show that got him to where he got that's, now. That's that's how he got the Collingwood job and the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. <laughs> uh, something that's quite well known when people talk about Moorabbin Footy Ground, there's a few things they talk about. One of them is the cold showers, Dave. Uh, it was also in the days where footy was still only semi-professional, so things were a bit loose, according to an article by Paul Daffy. The visitors' rooms at Moorabbin were considered among the most inhospitable in the competition. The biggest bugbear was the cold showers. After almost every game during the 1980s and early 90s, Moorabbin curator Brett Sullivan was called to the rooms about 20 minutes after the match to try and get the hot water going. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm matching every week. <laughs> you like it? Oh. Hey, mate, sorry. It's happening again. But the funny thing is, his first protocol was the gas tap at the back of the rooms, just a few steps away from the stairwell that leads up to the back of Bay 9 in the grandstand. This was one of the main thoroughfares on match days, Sullivan said. So, Saints supporters are walking past this wall where the, the gas tap is for the opposition room's hot showers. Uh, the easy access to the gas tap for anyone who wanted past enabled supporters to develop a habit <laughs> of turning it off. A measure of a measure that instantly cut off the hot water. When the tap was taken off, supporters brought so th- they eventually went, All right, we'll just take the tap off. For so like after years. Yeah. <laughs> so once they took the tap off, supporters brought pliers and continued to turn the hot water off manually. <laughs> <laughs> one one of the stories is that Ian Stewart, who was the general manager of the footy department at that stage was one of the first people to to kind of click to that idea that hey we should oh, really? give the other team cold showers. That's yeah. so funny. Because he comes up again, we'll talk about the the muddy ground at Moorabbin as That's well. Right. He like he was one of the all time greats. One of the no one ever won four Brownlow City. He won he was one of a few that won three. Three. Yeah. And one of the all time great players. But he's like after football, he's like this guy t- turning up hot water. <laughs> Being a real so a prankster. A prankster. <laughs> like as an older man. That's so funny to think about. Uh, after 23 years as a curator, Sullivan believes it was the cheer squad members who discouraged the hot showers, saying the cheer squad never admitted that they turned off the tap, but they were the main suspects. <laughs> Bill Cobb, a member of the St Kilda cheer squad for 36 years, was horrified by the suggestion, saying cheer squads get blamed for an awful lot of things. Uh, Cobb's now a, an administration officer at Australia Post, and he said... But I'll fight tooth and nail to protect the good name of our cheer squad. <laughs> Sounds like one of those whodunit stories, like, it was the cheer squad at the gas tap with the flyers. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that it, yeah, it's like, how dare you? And it, which kind of, it doesn't convince me either way. Like, that's exactly what a cheer squad member who yeah. turns off the hot water would say. I'll fight to- tooth and nail. How dare you? Our very good name in the cheer squad. <laughs> like Nick was saying, the sprinklers was another one. Uh, that Moorabbin was famous for. During the tough years in the 80s, to bring the visiting teams down to their level, the Saints turned the sprinklers on overnight to make sure the centre square was a muddy bog. This was confirmed by 1983 coach Tony Jewell in a 2018 radio interview, saying that one time they used a program timer to turn it on for a few hours at night before the game, but the timer failed to turn it back off. And Jewell remembered that the following day, the game against the Tigers was, quote, like a fair dinkum swimming pool. <laughs> when the journalist asked him after the game why it was so wet, he told them that it was a localised shower. <laughs> famous. <laughs> the famous local showers in Moorabbin. But again, I think it was it was Ian Stewart who did that. And there were there were nights where he'd be out walking on the on the fa- on the field with hoses and turning the sprinklers on and all that sort of stuff in the centre square. That's right. Jill said that him and Stuart would be out there sometimes yeah. drinking a beer. <laughs> Holding a hose out there on a Friday night. So. But the Saints have to obviously play in it as well. Are they better in playing in mud? Than- no, it just brings the opposition down to that level. <laughs> <laughs> there was a... Yeah, so one of the one of the stories out of that, that era is from uh, Rowan Sawers, who, who was a, 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 one of the professional umpires in, in the VFL, umpired over 400 games of football. And he had to say this about his umpiring debut at Moorabbin in 1977. And he said, my first bounce in league football didn't bounce. The ball got stuck in the mud. <laughs> Paul Callery, the St Kilda Rover, plucked the Sharon out of the bog and played on. <laughs> it didn't bounce. <laughs> it just got swallowed by the bog. 
So, yeah, that, that basically it, it kind of had the effect of making opposition teams dreading to go there. Mm. Like, you go there, you're going to get muddy, even on a nice day, and it's just hard work. It's a slog. Slog in the bog. That's <laughs> what Moravin was uh, famous for. But the Saints players and fans love Moravin, you know, despite all this. Uh, we were talking about Danny Frawley before, Spud. He said there was nothing like it. You would walk out in the middle, especially in the 80s, and you could just sense the atmosphere of the place. According to the Herald Sun, after a fiery game in 1978, Essendon President Colin Stubbs described the Saints as animals, and the fans embraced the tag. A small area fenced in between the umpires and St Kilda players' races became known as the Animal Enclosure and was home to the most rabid fans. Spud Frawley later said, The Animal Enclosure was famous for all the right reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone outside the club was like, it was feral, it was gross, it was awful. I I don't think anyone has loved the St Kilda Football Club more than Danny Frawley. No. No. Yeah. He is, yeah. Like, he went on to be in the media a lot after he coached other teams and stuff. But, yeah, he was always flying the flag for the Saints. By the way, he gets the name Spud, Dave. It's not the most interesting way to get a nickname, but he grew up and worked on a potato farm in (laughs) Bungaree. That's how he got the nickname. Which, I guess, begs the question, did you grow up in a snake pit, Dave? That's why I, uh, in year eight, Nick, for context, I tried to rebrand as Cobra. It did not take off. (laughs) Nick doesn't look convinced. I could see it. I'm trying to bring it back. I'm trying to bring it back now. So you want to call me Cobra? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. okay fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> no, Cobra, let me go on. Um, <laughs> one of our listeners who suggested the topic is Maddie, uh, who in her submission wrote, I'm a massive Saints fan, just like Matt. Danny Frawley was also my family friend and school coach. He was the person who introduced me to football when I was a kid and moved to Australia. He's the reason I love this sport so much and was the person who made me go for the Saints. But also the reason I love them too. Danny was not only an absolute legend of the AFL, but also a huge advocate for mental health. Um, yeah, so that's Maddie's me- message. He said, "Hope you can consider this as a topic." And yeah, I couldn't agree more with Maddie. He was an absolute legend. I remember me and my brother. So I had number four. My brother Tom had number two. Spud's number. And um, yeah, they were full forward, full back, and they're just super dependable at each end of the ground. Both grew up in or around Ballarat. We had a great period of getting players from Ballarat. Was mm. that a zoning thing? I, I think it was, yeah. we Every club had their kind of their club zone. So, we at one stage had the Mornington Peninsula as well. Yes. Uh, and we lost that We lost that part of, of the zone. And that went to Hawthorne and they got a bunch of incredible players. But, and there was also, there was, I think there was a story that Brereton, didn't he like fudge where he was from? On the like you said, it was from the other side of the road or something. So we went to Hawthorne instead of the Saints. A lot of dodginess sure. forever. Dog. We've been dog forever <laughs> by the system. But we w- we would have had Dunstall and Brereton, I think, out of that out of that zone. And I think it only changed like two years before or something. Jeez. Hawthorne Hawthorne petitioned the the VFL to to get that part of the zone. Dogs, dogs. Um, Makes way more sense for it to be ours as well. It's so much closer geograph geographically to us. Mm-hmm. One of my favourite ever footy memories growing up was going out to Western Oval. It was the first time I went to the Western Oval, the, your home ground, Dave, the now known as Witten Oval, and I went to see Spud's last game. Were you there, Nick? I was there, yep. And did you run out? So after I the didn't game, run out, no. Normally it'd be after uh, someone kicks 100 goals, the crowd would, use, or it still does, run out onto the ground, and uh, we all ran out when he 
finish. And there's the some great photos of him with his arms up, just bawling his eyes out. Such an emotional guy, mm. but he bled for the club. And um, I met him years later in a pub in Ireland, and he was so nice and welcoming. Like Molly, as soon as I told him I was a Saint supporter, he's run into him. Uh, I did, yeah, just bumped into him, but it, uh, he was over there as an assistant coach for Australia in the international rules when Australia was playing Ireland. And, yeah, he just kind of got light up a room with his warmth, warmth and humour. A little little personal story. You know that photo of him holding up the flowers and he's on the on the shoulders and, and stuff? Um, the players actually got him a, a copy of that photo, a framed copy of that photo, and, and my dad had a, a photo store in the city and uh, – a lot of the players used to go there to get their photos done and and whatever, and they actually got that photo developed and framed and and a plaque put on it to give to Spud at Dad's shop. Oh, and sick. so when they came in and they, they ordered the the thing, um, they said we'll come back on whatever day to come pick it up. Dad actually kept me out of school and took me in the work so I could be there when Robert Harvey that, and Stuart Lowe came in to pick it up. That's awesome. So yeah, that was that was cool. So you met Banger. Yep. And and buckets. Buckets. Banger and buckets. Amazing! Oh man, I was I went to the Saints training at buckets uh, the week he was retiring, and I went to the training uh, with me and my friend Arnie, and I brought my little uh, Sony camcorder. To everyone's getting photos with him and stuff, and he's been real patient and nice after training. And I go, Arnie, get get a photo, uh, get a video of me shaking a Bucket's hand, and we're standing there, and Arnie's going, "Oh, it's not working, man." Stewie Lowe standing there shaking hands, looking at <laughs> and he's going, it's not working, something's wrong. He's like, I don't, I can't get it working. And Stewie Lowe sort of be- between his gritted, smiling teeth goes, you guys taking the piss? <laughs> <laughs> the problem was you couldn't see your hand. It has been engulfed yeah, in his, right. in his think, mitt. He's, yeah, there's this great photo of him during his playing days holding like 12 eggs. His hands are so big, he just hold 12 eggs in his hand. But you were like shaking hands with him for about 25 seconds. Yeah, and he was just like, you know, being kind, but just like, all right, guys. I think there, there is about three seconds of video of me shaking his hand somewhere. No, we're going to try and dig that up. That's so great. Sadly, uh, Spud Frawley uh, also died young uh, at the age of 56 in 2019. Really shocked the footy world. And to commemorate him, the Saints now play an annual Spuds game, uh, which I don't think we've won a single one of. There have been three of them. No, we haven't won one. Yeah. I think we've been thumped a couple of yeah. times as well. Um, and the Saints have also opened the Danny Frawley Centre for Health and Wellbeing at Moorabbin at the, the uh, home ground and training facility. And it's a state-of-the-art uh, facility. And its website says, the centre's vision is to continue Spud's legacy as both a St Kilda champion and advocate for mental health where everyone is welcome and endeavouring to look after their health and well-being. This is a pretty nice tribute for a legend of the club. Have you, have you been in there? I haven't been down. I haven't been inside the, the Danny Foley Centre yet. It's, um, it's a pretty impressive building though. Mm. Yeah. The whole guy, the whole redevelopment's awesome. It is. It and is. I love how you can still just Little go out and stand kick, there kick and, the footy. Yeah. I kicked some great goals somewhere I've been, uh, earlier in the year. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, on that note, let's go for a quick break. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. i got to get something off my chest. Okay. I ate your last biscuit. I was <laughs> saving been, them for my wedding. That has been stress. <laughs> that has been stressing me out. I'm so sorry. I feel a lot better to get that off my chest. You know, keeping things bottled up can uh, affect people negatively, and that had been affecting me. And that feel that's a weight off my shoulder. Yeah, it was delicious. I'm not sorry, but I did take the last biscuit. He, that he was saving for his wedding. I didn't know that. <laughs> 
That is upsetting to hear, but I think I'm going to have to get some uh, positive coping skills, learn to set some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you could give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's very convenient. It's flexible. You can fit it around your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. You too can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash D-G-O today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash D-G-O. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I think one of my favourite early memories of seeing Games of Rabbin was after the games, a supporter... The same guy every week. He'd climb up on one of the big advertising billboards that was sort of on the outside of the stadium and he would be up there with his trumpet and he'd play Oh When the Saints triumphantly after we won or kind of downtrodden. <laughs> he'd still do it if you yeah. lost. <laughs> <laughs> after a loss. And I was like, you know, everyone was having fun. I was like, I was quite young when we were going there, but I was there with... I would have been there with a crew of 30-odd people, my uncles and aunties and friends. Every time, it, always, it just felt like a party. And then we'd walk back to Nana and Pop's place, either commiserate or celebrate the game. It was just the best. It was so you know, good. You know what I remember about that period? And and you were probably there. I mean, you're a, a year older than I am, a very long year. Yeah, but hundreds of years. <laughs> hundreds of years. But that period- following Tony Lockett from goal square to goal square. I used to run around halfway around the ground to follow him from goal square to goal square so I could see him kick goals up close. And there was a bunch of other kids yes. that we did the same thing and none of us knew each other, but we all did it together almost every week. That's so we, Were you part of that? I wasn't part of that. I was running from end to end to watch Spud Frawley defend. <laughs> 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 so we would have been crossing over. And- <laughs> no, I did, I, we all stayed down the, down the south road end. But I had I heard about that and I remember seeing kids doing yeah. it. Yeah. But it was, was probably, never cool enough. There's probably a hundred, maybe a couple of hundred kids that would do it almost every week. So fun. And there's room yeah. for you to like roam to to run. It was and all essentially open. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was all standing room. Apart from there was what There was like, like a this- grandstand on the back on Linton Street. Yeah. And in front of that was just concrete steps. Yeah. So you could just run around, around literally around the boundary line fence. That sounds fun. Yeah, it was so it was a lot of fun. Good times. Um, it was very social, yeah. For there were a lot of kids just sort of going off and doing whatever they wanted to do. All the parents were getting pissed. So yeah, which I, I had no concept of at the time. But yeah, that's obviously. Did what you was stand doing. on cans? Yeah, you could yeah. stand on big old thick cans and. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so I, I, the vibe there was just so much fun. There was also the Siren guy, mm-hmm. which I only really know from from the uh, Eddie Maguire's story, which you can see on uh, on YouTube. He does a report from the final game at Moorabbin, and there's a clip of, I think he's a Siren guy, but he's just like there going, <laughs> but he's only his- Sounds like a siren. He does the siren. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe he was just the character. He's the siren guy. He was the siren guy. He was just a fan of the siren. But do they have a real siren as well? There was also a real siren. <laughs> <laughs> they ended, ended the game whenever this guy decided yeah, he had like, enough. I've had it. I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> We're in front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, play the siren. That was always a, a bit of a funny heckle from the crowd when your team kicks a point to start the game. Play the siren. <laughs> bit of fun. <laughs> According to Andrew Sleverson writing for SEN, back in the 1980s, the St Kilda Football Club was renowned for having a good time. Nick was talking about this before as well, including at the infamous Saints Disco at Moorabbin. One man who recalls the fun-loving days of the Saints is former full forward Mark Scott. And I, he must have had a pretty short time. I don't really... I, well, he was before my time anyway. But in a game at Moorabbin in 1980, Scott kicked a bag of nine goals. Big bag of goals. <laughs> The end result was a 49-point defeat at the hands of Carlton, with Scott admitting it was a little bit tricky for him to fully acknowledge his own individual output, even among the regular boisterous behaviour, saying, Moorabbin in those days was just a quagmire. It was hard to celebrate because you came off and you'd think, oh, I've kicked nine. I've I've had the best day of my life. But all the boys have got their heads down because we were beaten by eight goals. It's because no one else kicked a goal. (laughs) (laughs) Played 34 games, St Kilda. 34 games, Yeah. yeah, right. 110 goals. That's, Not a bad ratio. Yeah. You, that would keep you, could give you another year contract based on that now. Uh, he, but, but like, so it wouldn't have been his choice to retire after 34. Uh, I think he played some other, so he came to St Kilda from Hawthorne oh, right, and then, then went to Fitzroy. <laughs> I was thinking you're averaging four, four a match and they're like, sorry, mate. How's this though? Three, three games for eight goals at Hawthorne, 34 games for 110 goals at St Kilda, 41 games for 57 goals at Fitzroy. It's his best period was at St Kilda yeah. when there was no one else kicking goals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one hogging it. But he would, so he's saying it was hard to celebrate because everyone else was bummed out by the loss. But then he said, but I must admit at St Kilda in those days, they never used the gym. But by gee, they did some heavy lifting in the nightclubs. <laughs> the boys celebrated anything. <laughs> <laughs> biggest loss ever. All right, we're going out tonight, guys. Well, yeah, but, yeah, biggest loss, but... What about that nine goals? <laughs> hey, Scotty, let's go. <laughs> it, was a, it was a party club, you know. And I, people see that as a negative. Maybe they should have been more focused on football. But I think that's glass half empty stuff. Yeah, come on. Come on. Why not party? Hey, how good is it to be alive? You know what I mean? That's what the same, That should be the Latin motto for the Saints. <laughs> yeah, you, can only, you can only play football for so long. Yeah. But you can party forever. Yeah. That's what I reckon. Um, and- Kiss said that as well, I think, who were doing the, <laughs> the grand final entertainment this year. Uh, so, we had Plugger dominating, but we also had other champion players coming up at the club, and they all had great nicknames like Plugger. Well, I should say Plugger. That's obviously where Unplugged Podcast gets its nickname. Yes. Or its name. Yes. Yes, its name. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's name. We've decided that whenever we get Plugger on the show, that episode is just going to be called Pluggered. And then yeah. we hang up the microphone. That's never right. happens again. <laughs> so, and why is he, is he called Plugger for- I, I was thinking about that yesterday. I don't know why it's called Plugger. That's a very good question. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Plugs the girls. Plugger. Yeah. Did he wear thongs? <laughs> like, do you call them pluggers? I don't know. I guess you could. 
There, there would be a story, and Russell Holmes would know it. Russell would know. Russell, let's get Russell. But I'm involved. imagining it's not that interesting. Otherwise, we would know it. Um, but yeah, the, all the other great players coming up at this stage had great nicknames as well, like Robert Banger Harvey, Neil Elvis Winmar, whose nickname was Nicky. His real nick, his real name Elvis. Oh, Elvis is, a, is his real middle name. Yeah, mm. his Neil real Elvis. name is Neil Elvis Winmar, but his nickname's <sighs> Nicky. Right, I thought that that was going to you're going to tell me that's Nicky's older brother Neil Elvis. Yeah. But that's, uh, well, there you go. Then you had Stewie Buckets Low and Captain Danny Spud Frawley. So, the, with all these great players, uh, the dark days were coming to an end once again. Tony Lockett's nickname, Plugger, was inherited from his father, Howard, who in turn had inherited from his own father, a green thumb who used to plug around in the garden. <laughs> Three generations. <laughs> He's plugging the third. Plugging the third, the gardening nickname. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that great nickname. That is, that's a great, that's a great yeah. nickname, and I, I can't believe I haven't heard that story before. <laughs> that's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, because your whole life, it's like, yeah, it's Plugger. You just accept it. Yeah. 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 I'm like, what does it even really mean? I don't know. It just feels right. He's the Plugger. You know, in the, that Brownlow footage where they call him up as Anthony Lockett, mm. it always confused me. When yeah. I was growing up, Anthony. Anthony? Who's, who's that? Who's Anthony Lockett? You mean Plugger? <laughs> And then for a while, you got the wrong lesson out of it. Oh, Plugger must be short for Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> so, with the dawn of the 1990s, where the VFL became the AFL, uh, continuing- uh, oh, Hang on. I've already said all this. This is a problem when you go off script earlier and you come back and you go, oh, I'm just bringing that down later. So, with the dawn of the 90s, the VFL becoming the AFL, a new decade, Saints fans started to feel hopeful once more. Hope, of course, being the curse of the Saints fan. <laughs> always, always sort of, it's this weird mix of optimism and pessimism mm. that I feel like I'm always floating between as a Saints fan. Like other, and it's like what Charlie said at the start, there'll be opposition supporters of the media will be talking about our list. So I'm like, it's not as, it's not as yeah. bad as you're saying. Yeah. Only, only other St Kilda supporters are allowed to say how bad it is. Yeah, that's or right. how shit we are as yeah. a club. Not you. No. no you can't say how that. How dare you? How dare you? I would never. Uh, the Saints started climbing up the ladder, finishing 12th in 89, 9th in 1990, and finally back into the finals for the first time in 18 years in 1991. Plugger won the Coleman again that year, kicking 118 goals in the home and away season. He kicked 127 that year, including including through finals, 127 goals in 17 games, an average of nearly seven and a half per game, which we talked about Bill Moore before. Yeah. Seven and a half per game is double that. That's ridiculous. Seven just- goals- for one game this year would be most full forwards best game of the year. Pretty much. But doing that on average every week yeah. is just unthinkable. Yeah. Um, he missed the first six weeks of that season. He came back in round seven and kicked 12 goals, 10 goals, and 12 goals in his first three weeks. <laughs> the guy was just unstoppable. <laughs> so make it up for it. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you extrapolate that out to a full 22-week season, you get 164 goals. The single season record in VFL, AFL history is 150. So, it's just shows it how one dominant of the great- he was. Patches of yeah. of goal kicking ever. So the Saints made the finals and they met. And, and remembering, this is after these dark years where players weren't getting paid. What were they getting? Paid 13 cents in the dollar. Mm. And they got through that somehow, survived through to the AFL, made the finals in 91, um, and we had probably one of the best teams in the league. Would have been one of the favourites for the premiership that year. Yeah. Like a very formidable team. And they met the Geelong Cats in the elimination final at Waverley Park. And the system was weird for this to be an elimination final, right, Nick? Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, it, under that old final system, 
Uh, there were six teams played finals footy. First played second, third played fourth, and fifth played sixth in the first week. So under that system, you're actually rewarded with a better matchup if you finished fifth than fourth because you got to play the worst team. So fifth and sixth is an elimination, so it's third versus fourth. It just makes That's no right. sense at all. That's right. That's so third, so third versus fourth is also an elimination. Yeah. So if, so if you're yeah. third and, and lose, you're out. You're out. Even though fifth has played a team that wasn't as good. Yeah. Yep. So, so this is in the in the AFL era. This is in nineteen ninety one. It's yeah, so sure. funny that no one's checked this over with a mathematician or someone <laughs> who knows what they're doing. They changed the system the next year. Yeah. Which is yeah, as we know, it's what happens after, yes. after St Kilda failed. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's, right. that's, throughout the whole history that's been the case. You always get shafted. But it was a cracking game. I was there. It's the first final I went to, obviously. It was the first one I was alive for. And uh, Saints got out to a 19-point lead at halftime, but despite Plugger kicking nine goals, the Dirty Cats flew home to win by seven. Is that the game that Gary Ablett took mm-hmm. out? To, um, David Burke, Burke. Uh, David Grant, Nathan, David, David Grant, Grant. And, and, Nathan and Nathan Burke. Burke. Yeah. So when you say dirty, see, they were playing a bit rough, were they? Yeah, like just dirty off the ball. One of them was Ablett. One of them was Hocking, maybe. Oh yeah, that's right. Maybe Hocking was Burke and. Ablett was Grant. Yes, Maybe. that might be it. But yeah. Stretching my memory. Just pretty filthy kind of play. And um, we were robbed because- Yeah, um, what, ha- what happened? You're up so by we, 19. Well, two of our best players were taken out off the ball for starters. And uh, yeah, they just just got over us in the end. Brutal. But in uh, the system today, we would have had a double chance or we mm-hmm. would have been playing a much lower team. Yep. And also, Ablett and Hocking would have been rubbed out for the rest of the year. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> very frustrating. Anyway, Saints played finals again in 92, winning their elimination final against the Magpies, their first September win in decades, uh, before being knocked out by your boys, the Dogs, in the semi final. Mm, sorry about that. <laughs> but Don't sorry. worry, we get, we get our finals revenge on you a few, <laughs> few times. We'll get there. Yeah. Uh, according to Holmesby, that 1992 season would see the Saints close the book on Moorabbin's rich history of football, with the red, white and black taking residency at Waverley Park as part of the AFL's ground rationalisation strategy. The move cleared up some of the club's debt, as well as an opportunity to start afresh with newer facilities compared to those of the ageing Moorabbin. St Kilda remained their spiritual home for training and administrative purposes, with the final game being played on the hallowed turf in round 20 on the 1st of August 1992, but they had an 18-point win over the Fitzroy Lions. I was there. Were you there at that one, Nick? I actually don't recall, which makes me think that I wasn't. Yeah, um, it feels like it's- I think I would remember that. Yeah. yeah. I remember there were kids on the ground picking up chunks of grass to take <laughs> home. And I'd, I'd like to think that they planted them in their lawns at home and now they've got a little bit of Linden Street grass. Got their own oval out the <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah. Picking up pebbles. Exactly. <laughs> it was emotional, but um, yeah, that that year we went on to win a final. After that, so it was interesting. The two first years at Moorabbin, we played finals and won a premiership. And mm. the last two years ended a long drought of finals and played finals. There. So Moorabbin was a. I think that's another reason yeah. why people love Moorabbin, even and though there was a real tough spot in the middle. That '91 team might be the best St Kilda team of all time, really. When you look at the list and the players and all that sort of stuff, it was just an, an incredible. An incredible year. Yes. Yeah, yeah, just the final system was so poorly put together that we'll just never know. But definitely, like, worthy of uh, premiership contention that Mm. year. But, yeah. 
Um, growing up nearby the ground in those years after they moved away, it was kind of fun. So we moved to Waverley, which is a lot closer to where you were growing up, Dave. Do you have any memories of Waverley? Do you ever go to Waverley Park? Uh, or Arctic Park, as that was sort of pejoratively known? No, I don't think I ever did go. Because, yeah, there, there was this idea that the weather was worse there. Yeah. Well, it was like, in a valley, wasn't it? Down yeah. Like, so, it just was yeah. like a- it rained more there. Yeah. So, that's how I got the name Arctic Park. But funnily, I remember- all well, my memories there, for the most part, are just beautiful, sunshiny days. <laughs> uh, the the rainbow-coloured wooden seats they had there. Yeah. And the yeah. brown and blue big screen. Yeah. If you the got big, close the enough, v you could the see top. the individual pixels. That just, <laughs> they were just globes, you know? And the, my favourite uh, jingle used to play there, um, Delta Car and Truck Rental, just call 131349, Delta. <laughs> Matt has an incredible, he's a, a steel trap. His mind is for ads. I don't think there's a number right, unfortunately. I never remember the number correctly, which is the thing <laughs> that they really want you to get down in the jingle. I have one memory from, from Waverley, and it, it is around that weather. And I remember sitting in the outer one afternoon and it was absolutely pelting down. Like these are golf ball size. Oh, was that the stones. Brisbane game? The Brisbane game. Oh, I was and in was, Maui at a friend's place and we were watching it on TV. There but was it this guy looked- who was in the like probably two or three rows in front of us, big old Brisbane Bears jersey jumper. But he was bald. It looked like Angry Anderson. Yeah. And he was just jumping around and the hailstones were bouncing off his head. And I just have this clear, like, it's a clear picture of that, even now. And we, we flogged him that yeah. day, didn't we? Yeah. Yes. But you could, like, the TV coverage was hard to see. It was that- Whoa. The weather yeah. was that thick. Yeah. On the broadcast, it looks like snow. Yeah. It's just white. It's Amazing. Just white. Yeah. Um, and so, during that period when they'd moved to Waverley, I was still living in Moorabbin. So, me and mates would ride down there- after school or on weekends and just be able to play around what was becoming pretty dilapidated stands. We could climb up into the scoreboard and I, I regret it now, although hopefully the club held on to them, but you could, it was unlocked. You climb up the ladder into the scoreboard and all the old team names are on planks, which they put in, you know, when Colin was the away team, they put the Collingwood slot in there and all the numbers for the scores. So I would just sit there like, oh, if they ended up in the tip, I wish I took some of them home with me. But it was just, it was just a real fun Fun time. Yeah. I've got a couple of those old wooden slats from the the benches in the grandstand. Really? Yeah, I've got a couple of them in in my garage. Yeah. You got your name on one of the new seats? I don't. Not yet. Not yet. Our pop, Nana and Pop have got their names on there. They're pretty exy, but luckily we've got a big family. Could all chip in to get one seat. (laughs) I think that cost like a grand or (laughs) something. Something like that. Yeah. 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 But it's for the Danny Frawley club, I think. So. Yeah. yeah, so so fun. Anyway, enough reminiscing about the olden days. Let's reminisce about the olden days. <laughs> uh, so the club was basically paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to move, and I I wonder what if it was possible to stay if they just went. No, we're going to fight it out and stay. And they like Geelong had a, a state of the art mm. ground now in Rabin. It would be the club would be in an even better spot, and they're doing okay now. But um, yeah, they were paid hundreds of thousands to move. But, uh, yeah, as we'll hear soon, it didn't necessarily fix their money problems. But before we get to that, this great team, as Nick says, probably maybe the best ever Saints team, wasn't able to quite get to the big dance and in the following years dropped back down the ladder. But it wasn't the end of the Saints being involved in iconic moments. And perhaps one of the most powerful and iconic moments of all came on the 17th of April 1993 when Nicky Winmar stood defiantly in front of opposition spectators who'd been hurling racial abuse at him. 
Which spectators? Yeah, Collingwood scum. <laughs> uh, the following comes from the National Museum of Australia. I never went to a game at Victory Victoria Park. Do you ever mm. get out there? I went to I went to one. I think it must have been around the time that they stopped playing home games there and they moved to the G. Yeah. Uh, so it would have been early to mid nineties, I guess. Uh, and it was pretty intimidating. Pretty, yeah. Like I, I went to one. I've been to a few Geelong games and it was it's about the same where you're just surrounded by the opposition and they're so loud and so intimidating. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an experience. It's cha- it's changed a lot now, right? You go, that's one of the many things that it's improved. Mm. I mean, we're reminiscing about some things, but footy it feels wasn't a partic- lot safer now. It wasn't particularly fun. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't particularly, and it should be. Yeah. Going to the footy and, and watching sports should be fun. And that, that wasn't particularly fun. Yeah. Ugh. And yeah, it was particularly grim on this day. Mm. But not to say that it hadn't been on many days before this, but this is the day that uh, Winmar in an iconic moment stood up and basically changed Australian culture in a lot of ways that day. Um, so, yeah, this comes from the National Museum of Australia. On Saturday, the 17th of April 1993, St Kilda faced Collingwood at the Magpies' home ground of Victoria Park. The Saints had beaten the Magpies in the finals the year before. So there was animosity, but St Kilda had not defeated Collingwood at Victoria Park since 1976. In the warm-up before the game, Gilbert McAdam and Nicky Winmar received withering racial abuse from the crowd. McAdam and Winmar, man, it was such a fun time to watch the Saints. Mm. Particularly these two players, so so good, but both Indigenous players. And they're getting all this racial abuse. Then McAdam grabbed Winmar and said, Bro, we have to do something today. We have to make a statement. We'll show this mob. We'll make them quiet today. It was a hard-fought game with both teams leading at different times. The deciding factor was the performance of St Kilda's Indigenous players with Winmar and McAdam named best on ground. As the siren sounded, Winmar was standing near the Collingwood cheer squad. Some Magpies fans were not gracious in defeat and continued to hurl abuse. Winmar lingered, raising his hands in in victory towards the hostile spectators and then, as if he had heard something specific from the crowd, he looked at them, raised his jumper, pointed at his skin and said, I'm black and I'm proud to be black. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander players had endured racial abuse on the field from spectators and other players. Winmar's stand, which was captured in iconic photographs, opened the way to a code of conduct that was the first of its kind in Australia. Legendary Sydney Swans player Adam Good said of Nicky Winmar's gesture in 2013, It's something that stands in history, which proves that you can call me all the things you want, You can discriminate against me, say all these things, but I'm still going to be black and I'm still going to be proud. That's exactly what the photo symbolises to me. Even today, 20 years later, it highlights how every Indigenous person should feel about their heritage. The iconic pictures of Winmar's stand taken by photographers Wayne Ludby and John Feeder appeared in the Sunday Age and Sunday Herald Sun respectively. Both photographers had to fight with their editors to get the photos the prominence they deserved. On the day, there was not much discussion about the images, but by Tuesday, everyone was talking about it. In an editorial in The Age, it said, There is no place for racism in football, and the AFL must do everything in its power to make sure players and, if possible, spectators understand this. The following weekend, the Collingwood president, Alan McAllister, appeared on television to assure Victorians that the Magpies were not a racist club. And this is something that's followed on with the Magpies. Even, you know, the, mm. even recently, they had a big what do you call it, investigation of the club that found that there, there was systemic racism within the club. And was they, it the, the Do Better report? The Do Better report. Yep. And, they're, you know, I think they are now doing better, but, they've, yeah. I mean, football in general, I'm, 
not just throwing Collingwood under the bus, but a lot of the bad times have been seemingly Collingwood's been at the centre of it. And this one was pretty gross. I remember even as a kid just being like, mm. the hell are you saying? So Alan McAllister, Collingwood president, went on, on TV, said, we're not a racist club. But he finished by saying that Collingwood did not have an issue with Indigenous Australians, quote, as long as they conduct themselves like white people, well, off field, everyone will admire and respect them. Oh, okay. Whew. Yeah, that was him going on to say we're not racist. Mm. Wow, I've never heard that before. That's awful. Yeah, and it and at the time it was you know it was a big deal. I think it ended up there was a game played with the Indigenous All Stars. I think came out of that from my vague memories. But all all these things, yeah, it just showed how far there was to go mm. at the time and um, how. Like, that's him out there publicly saying there's nothing to worry about, and, but and, by the way. And sections of the community was like, this is normal. Like, that's mm. just normal. There's, he didn't say anything wrong. Yes. That's normal, of course. Like, Yeah. Oh. Um, but, you know, so it was all very grim, but some positive things to come out of it meant that uh, by the end of 93, the AFL promised to establish a code of conduct for players and teams. Rule 30 to combat racial and religious vilification was included, and it stated that no player shall act towards or speak to any other player in a manner or engage in any other conduct which threatens, disparages, vilifies, or insults another person on the basis of that person's race, religion, colour, descent, or national or ethnic origin. The role of umpires in reporting incidents of racial abuse was emphasised, and clubs were liable for fines of up to 50 grand. The league also introduced strategies to encourage football development in, in Indigenous communities and to fund AFL Aboriginal liaison officers in each state. Winmar's gesture ignited a national discussion on racism in sport. The instigation of Rule 30 was the first time that racist abuse was officially prohibited within a sport. The ruling sent a message that racism would no longer be an acceptable part of the game or the culture around it. According to an Australian Human Rights Commission report in 2007, the AFL led the way in Australian sports in trying to engage with ethnic and Indigenous groups. Racism persists in the game, as demonstrated in 2013 when Sydney player Adam Goods was vilified by a 13-year-old spectator, Collingwood supporter. And in 2023, Western Bulldogs player Jamara Ugelhagen lifted his shirt in a gesture similar to Winmar after being racially abused by a fan at a game and on social media. And I think that fan was a Saints That fan, was a St Kilda game, yeah. Which yeah. is... Just hurts so much to hear. It does, doesn't it? That was this year. Mm. And you're like, the Saints have got, we've got so many Indigenous stars on our list now. You're like, and you just you keep thinking that we're moving past yeah. it. Yeah. And then you realise it was still so far to go. But that, you you would be aware of that, uh, that moment with Winmar? Yes, yeah, absolutely know the photo and- like, that's cut the, right the through to mainstream is, Australia. Like, yeah, very, very. There's a, there's a statue of it at- um, At per, the Perth Perth, Oval. the Perth Oval. Yeah, because yeah. he's a Western Australia. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and, <clears throat> yeah, he was- Him and Frankie Peckett, my two flat favourite players growing up, uh, they were my two badges I had. <laughs> um, just absolutely heartbreaking. But I love to see he's still involved in the club. He designed uh, our Indigenous Guernsey a couple of years ago. Oh, great. Yeah, the Indigenous rounds become quite a big thing. Mm-hmm. Sir Doug Nichols round. Sir Doug Nichols round yep. now called, yeah. Because, yep. I mean, he, he we could do a whole report on him. Probably could, yeah. Yeah, maybe that's yep. what, when you come back, I'll make you do more talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, 
that's a pretty heavy uh, part of the story. Um, and we're going to a much lighter one now, which also happened in 93. And I think my dad was up at this match with his some of his siblings. It was up at the SCG in Sydney uh, when a Swans fan smuggled in and released a pig onto the field with plugger and lockets number four painted on it. I say it's lighter. It's probably slight fat shaming stuff, but um, commentator Sandy Roberts famously exclaimed, "There's a pig at full forward." <laughs> and put that up good. there with some of the great <laughs> moments in commentary. <laughs> a chase ensued with officials struggling to catch it until Swans player Darren Holmes dove on the pig, tackling it to the ground. I think he was a he grew up on a farm or something, so he had it covered. Plugger wasn't playing. It's amazing he wasn't even yeah, playing wasn't in that game. No, most people don't remember that, that he wasn't even playing in that game. I think that that game and the game the following year, I think, including my dad, he's merged them into one game. Yeah. He's like, oh, I was only at one of those games. He's like, I was at the game with the pig and when Plugger kicked 12 goals and we- And I'm like, that were two different games. He's like, ah, oh, that's interesting. And he wasn't sure which one he was at. I think it was at the pig one. Yeah, so Plug wasn't playing, but apparently he did see the incident and he didn't find it funny and he vowed to take it out on the Swans the next time they played, which he did. Again, up at Sydney's home ground, he was involved in possibly his most infamous on-field incident. In round 7, 1994, uh, the Saints were having a dirty day at the SCG. The Swans were leading by as much as 51 points. Game over. It's a flogging. Then, in an ugly incident, at full tilt, Lockett ran through Swans defender Peter Caven with his elbow raised, breaking Caven's face. Oh, broke Just his- like oh. smashed. Mm-hmm. It was like if it happened now, I yeah. think you'd get a life ban. Probably. Probably. It was like a car accident. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And Caven, like, I think, you know, he was shaken by it. I don't think he played again that to- season. He did play again after that. He went to the I'm Crows. Not sure. yeah, he went to the Crows. Yeah. But I, I think because Plugger ended up at Sydney- the next year. The next year or yeah. end of And 94. I think Caven was like- Caven was still there when Plugger turned and up. And I think he's like, I'm not- He wasn't ready to be a mm. teammate with him. Oh, and- it, I remember one oh. time on some sort of nighttime talk show, Caven was on and uh, there was a- They had a dummy of Plugger and they said, all right, you get to take on Plugger. You get th- three choices for weapon, uh, baseball bat, Feather duster or some other light thing, and he chose the baseball bat and just <laughs> went to tore the dummy apart <laughs> to pull him off the yeah. dummy. <laughs> it's like okay, there's still some. He's already dead. Yeah, it was. It felt just like that. That's how I remember. It's like okay, there's still some. It's twenty years of rage baggage there. here. Yeah. To- A really funny segment quickly became really <laughs> scary. <laughs> yeah, I've written down here. So Locker got an eight week suspension, um, and but Caven missed twelve weeks. Oh. So eight weeks, like he would, he would get if he did that now. I you don't get know, double that. You get double it. It'd be double. It'd yeah. be the. It'd be the record probably of all time for being rubbed out. But um, yeah. So after doing that, and the Saints still getting flogged, the Swans are the supporters are, are giving him crap. But he played by a man possessed. I think still taking it out on him for the pig thing. I guess. <laughs> And at one point, he kicked a goal low and hard from close range into the Sydney cheer squad. Yeah. Like, he kicked it to, to hurt hit, him. Try and hit fans. Yeah. That's sort of- At the time, it was like, yeah. Now, looking back, it's like, whoa, this is- What a what a weird day at work for um, the big man. He kicked 11 goals to reel in the 51-point 
deficit and Saints ended up winning by a point. What? Yeah. Mm. Wow. It's like one of the all-time greatest comebacks. Yeah. In the last quarter. I think it was, th- it was 51 points at the end of the third, somewhere in late in the third quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Just came from the clouds. Yep. Wow. But he also broke a man's face. Yeah. Fuck. Yep. <laughs> and tried to maim another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I think this is one of those ones where you say, well, it's a, it's a different time. <laughs> oh, my God. You were you would have just been, you would have been in short pants at the time, Dave, back then. Very short. You rarely wear show your legs anymore. <laughs> Uh, in 1995, Lockett broke many Saints fans' hearts by asking to be traded to, of all teams, the Sydney Swans. After 183 games and 898 goals, he moved to Sydney where he continued his career at a similarly high level. Uh, yeah, and like I said before, Caven, unsurprisingly, did not stay at the Swans, moving to the Adelaide Crows. Plugger would go on to become the game's leading goal kicker of all time, finishing his career with 1,360 majors. He, so he, he played the majority of his games at the Saints... Kicked the majority of his goals at the Saints, won his brown low at the Saints. People still, for some reason, seem to remember him as a Swans player. Yeah. But he basically went up there for his retirement plan. <laughs> it, he was he, he was his a rec- much- Because he kicked his record yeah. goal for the Swans, even though the majority of the ones before that- Played in the, the grand Saints. final for the Swans. Yeah. So, I think that those things probably- He was a far better, far better player at St Kilda. Far better player like- at St Kilda and probably a far better person at the Swans. Maybe. 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 Well, I don't think he broke anyone's faces. <laughs> oh, maybe he did. Yeah, who knows? So, things are getting rough. We've lost our star, the all-time great. And despite the move to Waverley, the money troubles were only getting worse. And your colleague, Nick, Ed Carmine, wrote a great article for your website, Zero mm-hmm. Hanger. Uh, this is just giving me a moment like when Russell Holmesby was babysitting me. And I'm like, oh, my God, Nick probably commissioned this article to be written. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was actually, it was Ed's, Ed's idea, this one. It's a great article. Did Ed, give it the all clear, but- It yeah. talks a lot about Tism as well as the Saints, but I'm not focusing on that bit so much. But uh, Carmine writes, The day after his side fell by 17 points to the Demons, midway through 1995, Andrew Plimpton- the Saints president at the time, told the footballing world he could no longer keep the Wolves from his boardroom door. As the president of the struggling Saints, Plimpton had been working feverishly to provide off-field stability to head coach Stan Alves and his now Tony Lockettless lineup. Yet by the close of business on Monday, June the 26th, 1995, the administrator was finally forced to send for help. Plimpton's call to create the Save Our Saints Fund fund was made to draw the club's latent fan base back to their bleachers at Waverley Park and to make sure their wallets came with them. The move of doing the SOS enabled myself as president to say to our members in a very open and honest manner that I couldn't guarantee our future, Plimpton told Zero Hanger. Behind closed doors, this was a time when the AFL was very much suggesting that there were too many teams in the competition. This was also a time when all clubs were talking to each other in regards to mergers and relocations. There was a high level of uncertainty in the marketplace, and we were all somewhat unsure where we were all headed. The bottom line was that we were vulnerable. Throughout the remainder of the 1995 season, the importance of the scoreboard had taken a backseat to the Saints' fight for survival. Loose change was collected in the grandstands, and greater donations came in from those with deeper pockets. But it was the manoeuvres of Plimpton and his board that set the wheels in motion. We had this company called the St Kilda Saints Limited, which was a non-listed public company, he said. We managed to go and speak to all the shareholders of the company to persuade them to donate 
all of their capital back to the club and all of them agreed. That gave us a $260,000 head start to get the process of Save Our Saints underway. So it was, it was a big thing. And I remember at all the games there were tin rattlers. Yep. And I think your co-host Darren Parkin said he was yeah he was outside the I, games rattling tins. I remember volunteers walking around the boundary line at quarter breaks before game, after game with blankets and people would That's throw right. coins yes. onto the blankets. Wow. Which I, looking back now as an adult, you know, yeah. I was 10. Yeah. Looking back now with a kid of my own, I'm thinking, how do you throw coins at children? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that hurts. <laughs> Speaking of Tism before, so I, there was the- I wonder if it was inspired by this at all, but I went to see one of Tism's last gigs before they uh, broke up or went on hiatus, and it was called the Save Our Tism Radiothon or Telethon, and it was like this fake- they had this fake telethon set up at the back of the stage, people taking calls and stuff, <laughs> and they had a host in a tuxedo coming out and- giving updates on how much money was raised, and they need to raise a million dollars to save our TISM. <laughs> <laughs> well, TISM played at all the Save Our Saints events exactly, as well through that that's period right. as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, maybe they did get some inspiration from yeah. that. But at the end, after their last song, they said, we only need one more, or before their last song, we only need one more dollar. One more dollar. And, and um, a few people threw coins at the stage. They played a song and they came back and said, let's go to the tally. Let's see if they made it. And they still needed a dollar. It's like, unfortunately, that is the end of Tism. <laughs> and then the crowd just started piffing coins. Oh, no. And the host who was wearing glasses, um, he's a comedy writer, um, Melbourne comedy writer. His name's escaping me now, but he copped one to the glasses. I think he maybe even chipped his glasses. Oh, holy shit. That's so dangerous. So da- dangerous, so dicey. But anyway, the kids, hopefully they weren't wearing glasses and they were just copying them straight into their eyeballs at, at the footy. Uh, Plimpton said his memory's a bit clouded, but he reckons they raised about 600 grand overall. And because of that, the club was saved. As part of the campaign, this is still from Ed Carmine's article, as part of the com- campaign, sports journalist and Saints fan Francis Leach organised a fundraiser gig at the old Palace in St Kilda, which is where bands like Nirvana played. I saw Queens of the Stone Age there. It's a great venue. Saw uh, Tomahawk and uh, Melvin's play with uh, Phantomars. Is that where you saw Kiss up close and personal? No, Kiss I saw at the Palais. Oh, Palais. Nearby, but not <laughs> quite the same. Good memory, Dave. But very up close and very personal. Yes. Only 3,000 other people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so, Leach put together this gig there at the Palace on the 6th of September, 95, and the lineup was huge. Um, bands like Cosmic Psychos were there, but the headliners were Tism. And that night in itself raised over 40 grand for the club. And then a few days later, the club put on a Save Our Saints fundraiser game. I think it was called Saints versus Sinners. And it was maybe yeah. like ex-Saints players versus- A couple of celebrities and so, yeah, the journalists. Tra- I think Francis and- Leach himself yeah, played. yeah. Um, I went to that as well. I remember getting Wow Jones' signature. Wow Jones? Yeah, you know how Wow Jones got <laughs> I was going to ask if we could tell that story. <laughs> Actually, now this rings a bell, but I'd love you to share, this, share what it is. Well, the story is that he's got a W tattooed on each cheek. So, when he, if he ever does a drops the strides, <laughs> it spells, spells out up. Wow. wow. <laughs> Bit of fun. Uh, that same year, in 95, Tism also filmed the film clip for their hit single, Greg the Stop Sign, which featured my all-time favourite saint of Frankie Peckett, uh, as well as uh, one of the Wakelands and uh, Joshua Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And yep. there was one other there. Yeah, but, one other one. Uh, and then all these shots of 
of the band singing and playing on either on the ground, but also in the club rooms. And there's one famous shot where it's got a spell. There's all these inspirational messages on the walls for the players in the rooms. And one of them's got like a real bad spelling mistake. <laughs> <laughs> or like the apostrophes are the wrong spot or something like that. Very fun. Anyway, speaking of Tism, I reached out to Damien Cowell, who may have been one of the guys in Tism, and asked him if he was up for speaking about why he loves the Saints, and he sent in the following clip. I will say, if anyone's in Melbourne, he's or Sydney or Brisbane, he's doing a tour of his, uh, a bit of a greatest hits tour coming up uh, this month, I think. So I'll be there at the Corner Hotel. You should come, Nick. Yeah, I'll come. Um, and yeah, everyone should come. And we'll see you all cool. there. Corner's a good venue too. Oh, so good. Great venue. Here's Damien Cowell. Oh, hi, everyone. Um, my name's Damien Cowell, and I'd like to start with two apologies. Um, first of all, I'd like to apologise for the fact that uh, I'm about to start reading a passage of my own writing from a book. <laughs> like I'm some fucker in a tweed jacket smoking a cheroot. Um, the second apology is that this article uh, was written in 1998 and is full of people and places that you <laughs> undoubtedly will never have heard of, especially if you're, you know, living in Saskatchewan or something like that. Anyway, um, so I'm doubly sorry about that, but uh, here we go. This is an article called St Kilda Football Club Must Merge. It's a tough decision, but there is no longer any running away from it. The only possible future for the St Kilda Football Club is merger. St Kilda FC must surrender its independence, lock up the club rooms one final and irrevocable time and seek a new identity. St Kilda <laughs> FC must cease to exist because then I can lead a happy and normal life. If you are unlucky enough to be wandering the wind-blown terraces of Waverley Park on a St Kilda match day, you might have to look carefully to find me. You won't find me mugging for the TV cameras with red, white and black paint on my face. You won't find me holding up some witless banner like sensational. You won't find me yelling Aussie, 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 oi, 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 or entertaining the crowd with selected jewels of everyman wit, or joining in the Mexican wave, or even wasting precious match viewing time by queuing up for beer. Nope. I am the hooded inconspicuous figure quietly hunched on my gloomy expansive bench wired with walkman permanently affixed binoculars obscuring a frown of deeply chiseled tension football isn't fun for me i marvel at couples who go to a match wearing the opposing team's colors sharing a laugh or horror of horrors chatting during a match what do they think they're doing what kind of liberated, permissive society love child goes to a football match with somebody who barracks for the opposition? If you lose, the object of your blind, inconsolable hatred has palpable human form right there next to you. If you win, your awful, vengeful gloating is watered down by remorse. No, 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 no. Far better to sit there welling up with fantasies about Glenn Jakovic's bowels involuntarily evacuating whenever he goes near the ball, or Wayne Carey going on a Tourette syndrome rampage, nutting the umpires and exposing himself to the great southern stand. Now we're talking, I'd like to see that. If it's a close game, 
Bruce McAvaney's hyperbole may well runneth over, but I'm not enjoying it one bit. You know that 10-minute pre-vomit ordeal where you feel that all the components of your digestive system were bought at the not-quite-right store? Imagine that stretching out to last 100 minutes and you're in the right part of town. This weekly dose of tooth-pulling comes from experience. As a supporter of the St Kilda Football Club, I have learnt to accept the following. Losing. Being viewed with smug condescension by supporters of other teams. Losing. Expecting defeat, even when leading by six goals with three minutes to play. Losing. Merger and insolvency threats. Losing. Rumours of bottle blonde pests and killer players assaulting team officials at the social club. Losing. And, well, you know, you get the drift. Of course, lately success has been flirting with poor old St Kilda like some kind of Anna Nicole Smith, which is even more reason why we should follow the lead of a late Liberal Party leader and quit while we're having fun. OK, so do we resign from the AFL? Maybe not. It's all very well to just say no, but I don't think I could handle cold turkey. That's why the AFL have their own methadone program, the merger. Yep, that'll do the trick. Bit by bit, I'll lose the reasons why I barracked for St Kilda in the first place. The jumper, with its strong, distinctive red, white and black, will die a grisly death at the hands of some marketing genius who thinks the World Series cricket uniforms are plausible. Then the club's name will change. Change one letter of St Kilda FC, and for me, it's all over. The St Kilda Saints isn't the team I support. So when the AFL comes along and replaces the St Kilda bit of that phrase with, say, Docklands or Homebush, it won't be the same team. Actually, while they're getting rid of that inconvenient St Kilda word, they might as well lose the Saints bit too, don't you reckon? I mean... How are kids going to relate to Saints as a marketing concept? Much better to call them the Lakers or, hey, let's cut to the chase and go for the Yankees. Then again, to make the merger completely non-addictive, why not just merge St Kilda with Carlton FC? The new composite team would be called Carlton FC. They'd wear Carlton jumpers and play at the only suburban ground in Australia that the AFL hasn't condemned which just happens to be in Carlton. I'd be clean and sober within minutes. Ah, and just imagine my post-merger life. Want to go to the footy with some friends? Sure, I'll say. Let's have a few beers. Make a day of it. Only I hope the weather's good and it's a close game. Wow. Imagine being able to say that. I could contemplate holidays during winter. I could appreciate the promise of a sunny winter's Saturday. I could stop reading books about migraine prevention. I could give a crap about the Olympics. It's certainly a beautiful idea. Bill Shankly, manager of Liverpool, once said football was much more important than a matter of life and death. Hmm. So if they played that speech over the loudspeakers during the Hillsborough disaster, I guess everyone would have felt guilty about complaining. But not me. Football for me is a matter of not having a life. So come on, St Kilda, rise to the challenge, raise the bar, dare to dream, take the bull by the horns and 
give up. <laughs> Do it for me, Saters. That is brilliant. Thanks so much to Damon Cow for sending that in. He got into the Saints because I think he's a great uncle played for the Saints for a few games in somewhere in the, the middle of the 20th century. And uh, yeah, as you can hear, <laughs> and he's not really mucking around. He does, he bleeds the team and it's like almost to the point where it's not that much fun. It's like it's actually a curse. His <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> burden to bear. That's right. Um, he wrote that by the sounds of it 25 years ago, but he read it this week and it sounds like he still means everywhere. Yeah, there was a lot of belief in that. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. So, the Save Our Saints happens, get a bunch of money back into the club, but also a lot more buy-in, you know, because now everyone's in it. We're all... And the club now is owned by the club again. It sounds like it was owned by shareholders before this, Nick, which I didn't realise until yeah, reading that article. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, but now it's, it's a member-owned club again now. If it, yeah, anyway. And then in 96, things started to turn around again. This has come up to... Maybe what I would call the Silver Age. The following 20 years are pretty good. Right, we've turned around so much, I don't know which direction you're facing at the moment. <laughs> is this good? Is- we do, yeah, we turn, turn things around a lot. <laughs> so, 96, the Saints are on the up, and they won the pre-season premiership, their first pre-season premiership, then known as the Ansett Cup, which... <laughs> It's a, it's a now defunct air one. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> Couldn't have been anything better. Uh, my family rocked up. So I don't know if you're that one, Nick, but we got there and we weren't allowed in. It was a lockout. It was packed. We, yeah. we were there. It was the biggest crowd I'd seen at that stage. Yeah. So great. It was amazing. Such It was that night, probably for another decade, was the, the biggest event that I'd been to, really. Yeah. It was just it was just an insane atmosphere. And Saints, Saints fans were just in party mode. Yes. It was it felt it felt electric and so mm. hopeful and I guess it was coming out of the Save Our Saints and all that, but it just felt like a new a new dawn kind mm. of. But yeah, they they won. The rest of the season didn't go quite as well. It was an improvement on, on the seasons prior, but didn't quite make the finals. But blooded a, a bunch of young players, Ozzy Jones, Joel Smith, Tony Brown, all these guys. Matty Lappin. Matty Lappin. You've interviewed yep. most of them yeah. on Unplugged. Yep. Um, Jason Trinides oh, kicked that I goal in the Answer Cup. Yeah. Uh, number 32. 32. It's funny how like yeah. the players, most of their numbers are still somehow stuck in my head, especially from back then. Back in those Waverly days, I remember my auntie one time asked me a question about one of the young players. I said, oh, he looks taller than last year. And I said, oh, yeah, I reckon he might be. I went home and before the next week, she forgot about the comment, but I got out uh, records from previous years and that year and I wrote a comparison of every player's height from the year before and their height that year and their differential. And I gave it to her the next week. She, she clearly had no memory. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> who was who was the player and had they grown? Oh, I, I can't remember who the player was, but they, yeah, they, they had grown by a few centimetres. So, like, she was on the money, but it was just, it was sort of half heartbreak. She's like, oh, oh, thank you. No, you can keep that. <laughs> uh, one game that season that still gets talked about was the game against the Bombers at Waverley Park. It was a night game and late in the third quarter, the lights went out. Russell Holmesby, the great man, was there that night covering the game and later wrote, Suddenly, Waverley was plunged into darkness as the lights failed. Television viewers were left baffled as the power outage cut off Channel 7's cameras. What the hell happened? At first, people said that a car had run into a nearby power station. It turned out there was no car accident. 
It had just been a fault within a United Energy substation which caused the problem and blacked out an area from Glen Waverley to Cranburn, a huge area of Melbourne. On the field, the two teams formed huddles. Saints coach San Alves was addressing his players over the boundary fence. Fans had lit cigarette lighters to see what was going on around them. It was soon obvious that things weren't going to be fixed quickly and the clubs took their players into the room so they wouldn't get cold and be unprepared for a resumption. Many years later, then Essendon captain Gary O'Donnell reflected on the game and said that the aftermath on that night reminded him of the book Lord of the Flies. And that was a fair enough analogy of a situation where the wheels fell off and normal civilised behaviour went out the door. There was anarchy as fires were lit on the ground and in the seating areas. Hundreds of fans jumped the fence and ran onto the oval. The point posts were ripped out of the ground and paraded in a lap of dishonour around the ground. But they literally <laughs> literally the- like on shoulders of people yes. walking them around the ground. There's yeah. great footage of that. There's a guy climbing up, yeah. this big mulleted man <laughs> climbing up the one of the point posts. Yeah. Were you there? That I was day? there. There were people literally lighting bonfires on the ground. Like it was just insane. Yeah, just and it just. Amazing how quickly things fell apart from civilized society to <laughs> fires it took on the 18 ground. minutes of darkness. Yeah. <laughs> Just no, the lights going there's out. No light. Well, there's no rules. <laughs> yeah. No light, no rules. That's I what they do say. What I like. Much like your game when you were there for the hailstones, I remember I was at, on a dairy farm outside of Colac. And I was listening to the game on the radio, which was even more confusing because <laughs> it just stopped all of a sudden. I'm like, what's going on? I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. Um, Police reinforcements were called to help bring the situation under control. <laughs> Fucking hell. Police cars with flashing lights ringed around the ground. And when the announcement was made that the game had been abandoned, police urged people to leave the Oval for their safety as officers occupied both ends of the ground to stop further vandalism. The lights failed at 9.25, four minutes and 48 seconds before three-quarter time, with Essendon leading by 20 points. Both clubs agreed that it was impossible to play once the delay went beyond a half an hour. Newspaper reports told of the eerie and uncomfortable feeling in the crowd. One young fan said, It was a bit scary at first. Then people started getting bored. You know what happens when people get bored? They yeah. light fires yeah, and pull point posts out the fire. <laughs> <laughs> The AFL decided that the match would be completed on the following Tuesday night over two 12-minute halves, with time on and teams changing ends at halftime. Clubs could change their lineups for the Saturday teams. The most dramatic inclusion was Bombers star James Hurd, who would miss the Saturday game due to a broken finger. The refreshed Hurd would pick up 10 possessions in the Tuesday part of the match, copping jeers from Saints fans who were aggrieved by his late inclusion. So they wouldn't do this again. I think they've changed the rules now that they would just call a winner if it happened in the mm. second half of the game. Uh, but on the Tuesday night, 17,590 diehard fans attended. And St Kilda started the game well. Tony Brown scored the first goal of the night. However, Essendon maintained the upper hand and ran out winners by 22 points. So they went back and all that extra effort led to a two extra point mm. margin to Essendon. Yeah, so it was a, a strange thing. And the and Saints they- then got flogged the next week. So Something like that. Yeah. you go from every other team, the team they're playing has had a week off. They've basically played two games <laughs> and, and have a four-day break. How the crowd expected just to turn up for this one 24-minute match? Yeah, basically. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> It was. I remember that night. Seventeen thousand ma- making that effort is pretty yeah, yeah. wild. All right, watch it. It was bitterly cold the night that the, the lights went out. It was so cold. I, That's I why got, they did the fires. Yeah. <laughs> it was just for warmth. I got I got really sick that night. I was like twelve or something. I, I got really sick that night, and I, I think I missed like two or three weeks of school after that because I was just really? literally like home in bed. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, you survived. <laughs> you survived the <laughs> just. It was, the I was sick flies. with sadness. So that was that was ninety six and ninety seven. 
the promise of the pre-season premiership, the Ansett Cup, that famous Ansett Cup. <laughs> and I think those photos, they've all got the pre-season cup premiership hats on and it's pretty, they really celebrated the win. Um, but in 97, things uh, went better in the in the season proper. The Saints stormed home to finish on top of the ladder, claiming just their second minor premiership since the start of the VFL. And they won the, the final seven games of the season. And I remember we, I think we beat Port Adelaide in the last round. I remember watching it at home. We had to win to finish top. Mm-hmm. And it was the, I, am I remembering this right? That that was the day Princess Diana died? I think it was. Maybe. Uh, 97. Maybe. I, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. Wow, he giveth and he taketh away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're meant to be celebrating a beautiful day. <laughs> and you take her, you take the people's princess away from us. They also, fate, not only took the people's princess, but also took our two ruckmen oh. uh, mm. in half an hour of football with uh, both being big cult figures, Laser Vitovic was injured at the end of the final home and away game. And then Peter Spider Everett was injured in the qualifying final while the Saints were comfortably beating the Brisbane Lions at Waverley. The Saints then beat the Kangaroos to make it back to the grand final on a nine-game winning streak and oh, went great. in as hot favourites. But we, our Ruckman was really a third stringer. Third stringer. Cook. Yeah, Look, Brett Cook. Brett Cook. Brett Cook. And Stuart Lowe pinch hit a little bit in the ruck. That's right. Stuart Lowe had a, a, had a real- family family tragedy. Family tragedy that week. That week. Nicky Wimmer's dad died. Yeah. So, it was just a real cursed final series. Finishing on top, but everything went wrong. A lot of our stars were either injured or their heads were probably thinking about more mm. important things than football. Anyway, according to Holmesby, the red one black, now wearing a remodeled Guernsey, which featured a large-scale version of the crest, that famous- Black Cross crest became the whole jersey, which is now our a version of that Sarah Waste yep. strip. So they made it to the grand final for the first time since 1971. And I remember there were 1966 Premiership players talking to the media, going, "We can't wait. We really we're carrying the club on our shoulders for all this time. We can't yeah. wait to welcome some new Premiership." players into the club. Oh. The, the whole of the city, the whole of Melbourne became St Kilda supporters that week. It was it was quite incredible to to watch. Even Collingwood fans, Carlton fans, everybody was just rooting for St Kilda. Very different to I think to the Ross Lyon very, grand finals where very. it sort of became a which we'll get to soon. But uh yeah, so first time in what seemed like a long time to fans at the time was our first <laughs> chance to win a premiership in 26 years. Obviously that was whatever. But um <laughs> With a fit and firing side, complete with reigning Brownlow medalist Robert Harvey, who would take out the honour again the following year. And the Crows didn't have their goal-kicking powerhouse, Tony Godra Modra. The Saints entered the game as heavy favourites, despite holding a two-goal lead at the main change. Remember when Barry Hall kicked? Did he kick three in a row? Yeah. He had a burst of goal. Anyway. Yeah. In the second quarter? Yeah. Yeah. And we was just like, it's happening. Oh, my God, it's happening. I I was up in the southern stand. Remember where you were sitting? I wasn't there. You weren't there. I wasn't there. Probably lucky. I remember it was just like watching a slow motion car crash. A hundred thousand people there, and I just remember sitting on my hands in the last quarter and a half as we just slowly got further and further behind. We ended up losing by about six goals, and especially because of Darren Jarman just mm. just went off choppy. Did he kick six in the second half or something? Was it five in the last quarter or something? Yeah, yeah. and it was just like. Oh. Do you know who else kicked a goal that day for Adelaide in the third quarter? 
someone who had his face caved in a oh, few years earlier. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, good on him. Bit of revenge. Caven. Yeah. I didn't realise that. Yep. Oh, I, lo- I-, I love that he ended up being a premiership player. He got that over Plugger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Against us, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Which uh, I'm like, stop taking it out on us. Plugger's not here anymore. <laughs> Please. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that was another another chance. We made the finals again in 98, uh, but went out in straight sets. I think we lost to the Swans and then the Demons. The Demons, yeah. Swans in Sydney. We there was a weird top eight system at the time. Then it was about the they ranked the losers after. God, they've really like, they've made it so much more simple now. A lot over the years. Yes. They? We we started that season pretty well from memory, and then kind of fell away late. Yeah, we lost a couple of games leading into the finals, and yes. then kind of took that form. And yeah. we almost beat the Swans in that yeah. first final. Nicky Wimmer kicked a goal to maybe put us up late. Again, I was listening on a on a radio, so I, the memories are. Uh, I think I was at a house party in a garage. Guys, come on, don't worry, I'll, I'll come back, drink some more Jim Beam in a second. Just got to go listen to <laughs> suddenly by myself in the corner. Nothing weird. Uh, so, yeah, another another era was over. Stan Alves ended up getting sacked soon after that. And we had a, a few new coaches. The turn of the millennium, the Saints were once again languishing at the wrong end of the ladder. But as always, there was hope. According to Holmesby, the team's resurgence seemed like wishful thinking at the start of the decade with a disastrous 2000 season, which included 10 consecutive losses to open the new millennium, marking yet another wooden spoon, number 26. St Kilda moved home grounds once again to the AFL's own Dockland Stadium, now known as Marvel Stadium, which the AFL built themselves, um, notching up just two wins for the year at their new home. But things were looking better with the club trading in gun players like Aaron Hamill and Fraser, the G-Train Gehrig. That's for Laura. That's Laura for Laura. Asked, Laura that's, asked for G-Train. That's right. There's our G-Train man. So G-Train ends up being this gun. He he wins two Coleman medals himself. He came over. He sort of came over as like a wingman slash he was, defender. He came from West Coast. He was a, a running kind of wingman type yeah. guy. And, and I remember one of the, the really weird, interesting stories about Fraser Gehrig is that at one stage at West Coast, he held the record- I think it was for the fastest 400-metre sprint and also the heaviest bench press. Yes. And he, ha- I think he still has the league record for Something bench press. Something like that, yeah. He was huge. Humongous, yeah. They called him uh, on Triple M radio, though. His nickname was the Carpet Snake. Yeah, because <laughs> of the mullet. Around. The mullet, yeah, was the mullet at the back. <laughs> Why the Carpet Snake? <laughs> He's like, oh, he's snaffling another big egg. Another goal there, the Carpet Snake. <laughs> he did kind of like skulk around. But <laughs> yeah, just yeah. yeah. <laughs> He was just a real enigmatic character. Yeah. He opened up a restaurant in Caram Downs, an Italian restaurant called Michelangelo's, and I had dined there a few times. Oh, God. <laughs> he played a season at fullback as well, didn't he? <laughs> he played a season or two at fullback, I think, as well. Yeah, he did. Yeah. 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 And, uh, did you go down there just because he was owned by him? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and But he was, he was like a kind of a plugger reincarnated. Huge yeah. man. Kind of very reclusive. Yes. Didn't like talking to the didn't media. Like the Still attention. doesn't like yeah. talking to the media. Although I did do that weird delivery. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I was there that night. I think that was funny. Um, but he just did it for the club. He's like, um, I think he loves the club. Yeah. And the club needed him. He's like, oh, it's raising money for the club. I'll do it. Yep. But he did a few. Yeah, did a few. Weird spots there. I just found um, Michelangelo's on wordofmouth.com.au where people review things. And it says, Michelangelo's. And it's got a- uh, the tagline is, where every dish is a masterpiece. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and masterpiece has a capital M. <laughs> <laughs> 
I reckon Fraser might have written that one. <laughs> so good. What can he do? It says, restaurant dining with warm decor and tasteful displays of Michelangelo's, in brackets, the artist's artwork. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I found that helpful when I was there. So uh, it said that under anything, in brackets, said the artist. That was like a, a fake sculpture of David. <laughs> Is that so? It's still going, is it? Well, it hasn't been reviewed on this website since January 2010, so I'm not sure. But yeah. it was on uh, Springvale Road, Aspendale Gardens. That's right. I was right across the road from the big um, pub tab at Caram Downs. What is it called? Or, yeah. Not my area. No, your area. I'm no, afraid it's, not, it's not a bit area. further out. You don't, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to report that according to Google Maps, it is permanently closed. Okay. You, you're from south of Yarra, but I am. You, you rarely go south of the Mordialic Creek. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Well, yeah. All my mates, we you know, we all got priced out of Moorabbin, which is now kind of fancy. Where you obviously you've still been able to make it work, obviously. Well, we're, somewhere we're, or another. A, we're a few suburbs still further, further from Moorabbin, but it's south or north. South. Yeah, right. South. Yeah, everyone had to. Everyone got pushed out further. Yeah. I'm like, I just skipped to the north side. <laughs> oh um, my gosh, you're never going to believe it. Only last month, at the end of August, did they have their sort of closing down sale where they started really? selling like everything inside the restaurants now. Uh, closed, everything's at throwaway prices. And then at the end, August 21, everything in the picture is free. Please come on in and take whatever you like. And there's like Sistine Chapel, like paintings. Wow. <laughs> that you could just like buy a copy of, uh, you know. That's so fun. Oh, man. I that's been, amazing. I wish I'd continue to follow them online. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We missed out on a bargain. There you go, Laura Baker. We talked about the G-Train way more than I think... Uh, we're anticipating, but I, I love him. Like, an, yeah. he's just an all-time favourite player. He, much like Plugger, he also retired and then came back. Yes. And didn't quite- Didn't, didn't quite, quite hit the mark. Hit the heights. At, yeah. Both of them were the same. But, yeah, I love the story was like he was- He retired and he had this great game. It was a dead rubber at the end of the season. Maybe against the Tigers? I think I was there and- He kicked nine or he something. He kicked a bunch of goals yeah. and it was- fair. He, he took his shirt, he did yeah. Guernsey off at the end of the game. It was like the perfect finale without being a premiership, of course. And then I think he was away- If I'm, again, might be misremembering, but I feel like he was on a treadmill in Europe somewhere, maybe looking out over the Alps. And he was thinking, I wish I was at the club. And he, that, and he decided to make his comeback. Like before the off season had even started, basically. I'm 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 not sure Fraser Gary ever went on a treadmill at the club. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm loading Europe. Very possibly just absolutely making up that story. Still, good story though. Good story. Great story. And now that I've said it on record, <laughs> maybe it'll become true. Please Sun will do go report on. on it. Thank you. <laughs> so unlike with the Saints first twenty odd wooden spoons, uh, in the modern era even probably 23, 24 first wooden spoons, there was no real prize apart from the spoon itself. But in the AFL era, you win the wooden spoon, you also get the number one draft pick. Oh, right. Has that ever been abused and people like- Tanking has definitely been a thing. And there's been teams that have found- They've looked into it. I don't know if anyone's been officially done for it, but it's- Melbourne Melbourne got done for bringing the game into disrepute or something, but they weren't actually charged with tanking. Right. But it was something- yeah, yeah. Like I yeah. think without saying it, definitely, that's yeah. kind of what they yeah. were doing. So, yeah, it can be ma- manipulated a bit like that. but well, Losing on purpose. As this yeah. year was uh, very different from that. The two bottom teams and the number one pick seems mm. to be clear cut, but the two bottom teams had wins in their final two rounds. So, the Eagles won to go off bottom place 
and put North on on bottom, and then North in the last round won. So people are like, oh, the Eagles, they mucked up there, should have lost that game. And everyone's like, North, you've been handed it. They should just be making sure they don't win. And then they they comfortably won the last round saying winning is more important setting standards than some kid who's, you know, never played before. We don't know what they're going to turn into. Right. So, West Coast end up being on the bottom. So, yeah, Eagles Mm -hmm. go back to the bottom. Um, And, yeah, the Saints, when we got that uh, wooden spoon, we ended up with the number one pick, which turned out to be future grade of the competition, Nick Revolt. Oh, okay. Um, Funnily enough, we actually got the the number one pick the next year as well. Not because we finished last, because Carlton finished last. But what did they get done for? Brown paper bag. (laughs) The the brown bag is- (laughs) That's right. They, they got they done lost for the- cheating the salary cap, so they lost their number one pick. And they we were, were going to have the bottom. first two, remember? Because they That's were given right. a priority pick as well. And, and Goddard was a Blues supporter, yep. I think, and he was. Yep. But we ended up getting him, and he became, you know, one of yeah. our. And he's an assistant coach now, Saints through and through. Yeah, and a big moment that we'll probably talk about. Yes, almost one of the all-time great moments in football history. But and I mean, it, it was, but it, the result went the other way. Yep. It would have been. But anyway, we also brought in. Adelaide Premiership coach Malcolm Blight, just a few years ago, he broke our hearts as the coach of the 97 Premiership Crows and 98 Premiership Crows. We brought him out of retirement with a huge money deal. At the time, I think it was a million bucks a year. A million bucks a year. Which at the time was like ridiculous money. Written written on a napkin at the flower drum. Love that. (laughs) (laughs) That's like similar to the deal the uh, Chippendales owner made with his partner, the uh, male strip club from- LA. We talked about that story a few months ago <laughs> on the show. But they wrote this deal and he yeah, signed this napkin and he's like, yeah, anyway, we talked about that weeks ago. Don't need to talk about it again. Um, <laughs> back to Holmesby. Um, so, we're getting, getting blight. But unfortunately, the same success was nowhere near close to being replicated at St. Kilda that he had at Adelaide. The Saints languished down the bottom of the ladder with a lacklustre four wins while the relationship between blight and the players was stretched to its <laughs> limits. Blight forced the playing group to sit in the middle of Colonial Stadium, now Marvel Stadium, twice after humiliating defeats, receiving widespread media attention and culminating in his sacking midway through the season. So, like, go out there and think about what you've done type thing. Basically, yeah, much, just real yeah. weird old school yep. well, the, sit. It's like the, the rubbing crowds- a dog's face in the piss or whatever. And the crowd's still in there sort of watching on going, this is a bit weird. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was very odd. Very odd. Just and he sit also, in the center circle. Didn't he coach from, like, he sort of- he lived, coached. he lived on the Gold Coast. He still lived interstate. Yeah. And he just flew in for a certain amount of he'd training like, sessions a week. He'd be in Melbourne, day. like, Thursday to Sunday or something, and he'd yeah. live in the Gold Coast. And But this is the, the deal we made with him. He had, yeah. had a real strong- He's like, I'm retired. I don't want to coach anymore. <laughs> Please don't. So, they do made him do it. And he's literally the offer he couldn't refuse. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'll do it, but I'll come. I'm only coming half the week. I'm, I'm going to need to be paid more than- a coach has ever been paid, and yeah, he ended up getting sacked. And I guess we had to pay him out. Or yeah, I, th- I think he lasted fifteen weeks or something like that. Amazing. Year. He says he was hard. His version of the story is very different. Um, but people from inside the club have said since, and I've heard on your podcast, people say that he his heart did not seem to be mm-hmm. in it. Yep. Um, Grant Thomas stepped in as senior coach. Grant Thomas, of course, was on the selection committee for that job at the time. Am I re- remembering that right? Yeah, I think he might have been. So he's basically all right. Well, let's let's cast a wide net. <laughs> I think my favourite one maybe is me. Well, he, he I'm going to give me the job. He says that he didn't want it. He says that he he tried to get out of it. Like he got a call from from one of the other directors or something and said, "We've decided on you for right. the next three years." Probably Rod Butters, maybe because they were great mates at the time, weren't they? They were. They were best mates at the time. Um, not anymore. <laughs> no. Um, 
But he he said he got a call, I think it was on the Tuesday or the Wednesday after or whatever, and they said, you've got the job. And he went, I don't want it. What job? It's, it's, not, my, it's not my job. We need a coach. Right. Um, so, that's what that's what he told us. But, okay. Oh, that's um, interesting. You never know. Yeah. He he had won four country premierships in Warrnambool. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. So, it, just, it was like quite an odd, uh, like he hadn't been an assistant AFL coach, which, you know, the 99% of senior coaches, their job- the year before would be an assistant, mm. co- a senior assistant coach. Anyway, so he he got the job, and he did things a bit differently. He started rotating captains, uh, and I you know, had a few other quirky things like it's uh, all around accountability and yeah, know, lots of stuff, personal responsibility, and he'd have yeah. a lot of uh, you know he'd have players over to the house for big dinners and stuff like that. Just a different vibe. Hamill and Gehrig were huge instigators in the club's turnaround over the next few years, continually driving the lowly club to reverse its external perception. Uh, this is still Holmesby. Along with the likes of Revolt and other top draft picks like Justin Kaczynski, Brennan Goddard and Luke Ball, they all began to build as elite players. And the Saints began their gradual evolution from a bottom-tier club to a powerhouse of the competition. Even with retirements of Stuart Lowe and Nathan Burke, the Saints forced their premiership window open after a stunning 2004 season. So that was the era when I'm uh, awkwardly shaking Shuilo's hand at, the <laughs> at his last trading <laughs> session. I also did you ever go to his bar, Flaming Moe's? I never went to Flaming Moe's. I've seen him. I've seen him around. He, I think he still lives in Brighton. I used, I've seen him at the the New Bay a fair bit. Oh, cool! Um, down he's the still, corner of New Street and Bay photos Street. I've seen. He's still like looks oh, ready yeah. to play. He could, he could still play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And dare I ask, is Flaming Moe's still around? No, it, it became, it went through a few, when I was in my, you know, 18 to early 20s, I went from Flaming Moe's to, and it changed its name a bunch of times. It was called, I think it was called Seduce, but spelled in a funny way, like Juice, J-U-I-C-E. And, um, I'm sure. Yeah, I can't, but yeah, it was like in a block of shops that you would normally expect it to be, you know, a news agency or something. Yep. It's that kind of location near a train station. But it, somehow it was successful. He sold it as a successful business. Right. And then I think it was one failing owner passing it on to another failing owner for years to come. And a lot of uh, brawls between Bentley and other local football clubs. <laughs> they'd play each other that on the Saturday. Then they'd go, both go there and get into a brawl. Bit of fun. Um, <laughs> so, even before the season started, 2004, the Saints won silverware with their second preseason premiership. Then known as the Wizard Cup. So, it'd be going from Ansett Cup. I think it was Foster's Cup before Ansett. Yeah. Now, it was the Wizard Cup. The Wizard Home Loans Cup. The Wizard Home Loans Cup. <laughs> and this one had some iconic images attached to it as the coach, Grant Thomas, didn't let him or Captain Lenny Hayes smile in the photo of them holding up the cup. So, there's this, they're on the dice holding up the cup, but looking real sad. Uh, who didn't allow them to? The coach. The coach. He's like, this is just pre-season. Yeah. We've got bigger things to do. Yeah. Right? Let him enjoy it, mate. Come on. <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, it's, uh, it's made for a pretty funny photo. But, Dave, you know what was about to happen? Mm. Something iconic that I've talked about on the podcast before. When the season proper began, it featured a then record of 10 consecutive wins. Oh, that's right. A.K.A. The Streak. The Streak. <laughs> DVD worthy. Box set. <laughs> Special. <laughs> We'd love to release a DVD when we win... The last 10 games of the year. <laughs> but at this point, 10 in a row is 10 in a row. I've still got it. Still yeah. got it. Yeah, the box set is in my bookshelf. <laughs> it's so funny. It just feels like such a minor thing to celebrate. 10 games. Oh, like t- to win the whole thing. Oh, no. no, no somewhere in the season, we won 10 in a row. 
so funny. As, as Holmesby said, 2004 was simply a slice of St Kilda magic. <laughs> it was the year that Revolt truly broke onto the scene and took the next steps into becoming a legend of the game. He finished in the top 10 of the Coleman and Brownlow medal. And like we were saying before, it's hard for forwards to pole high in the, in the Brownlow. He also took out his second Trevor Barker award and reeled in a league high 256 marks. He went on to, he retired as the greatest, uh, he had the most, most marks of all time. Yep. I think it maybe has been overtaken since, but. Yeah. Um, the and game's changed. It, it has changed. Yeah. It's just a halfback flanker probably. That's right, yeah. Got it now. Uh, he also ha- took one of the most iconic marks of all time that year. Uh, a courageous grab running back with the flight of the ball against Sydney, um, which is still put up there with, you know, whenever you see uh, compilations of the greatest marks of all time, mm. that's right up there. Revolt went on to become a modern-day grade of the club, winning a record six Trevor Barker awards. Uh, he also overtook Spud as the club's longest-serving captain, 11 seasons, and became only the fifth Saint to play 300 games. He also earned five All-Australian nominations and, yeah, like I said, took the most marks of all time. He won a league He won a league MVP. I think he was That's right. Yeah, the Lee captain, Matthews maybe. Awards. Yeah, yeah. He, he was, you know. And I still, I mean, it's hard to make the argument anymore, but I still think he's the better rival. Oh, I think I think most people agree that he was the better individual player, but Jack had won the better career. Won three yeah. kicked more goals. There, there are things. Yeah. I think a lot of people would say that means had the better, had the better career. career. Yeah. The better career. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Revo was a bit more. Uh, Nick was a bit more <laughs> dynamic than Jack, perhaps. But that another two Tasmanians. You know, I was talking about before, Dave. How mm. a lot of our great players, Daryl Baldock was yep. also, and was Ian Stewart Tassie? No, Fernand uh, Howell was. Yes, a lot of our legends for yep. some reason have come from Tassie. Uh, Coleman medal winning season for the G Train, Fraser Gehrig. And he, I think it was around the time he was setting up his famous uh, restaurant in Caram Downs as well. <laughs> so, we had a lot going on. Um, that also played a, a, a big hand in guiding the Saints to September, making the top four with the preliminary final against Port Adelaide, resulting in the cult hero's 100th goal of the year. And you'd remember this. You, did you go to the, this game? I didn't go to this game. I didn't go no. to it. I was watching with Arnie, the guy who couldn't quite get my camera to work when I was shaking Shulo's hand. But- he, uh, we were watching his place, and it was so close. Brent Guerra couldn't quite get his toe to the ball, which would have mm-hmm. leveled the scores yep. deep in the last quarter. But we were flogging him at the start of the game. We were. And then G-Train kicked his 100th goal, and the crowd flooded onto the ground. Play stopped for 10 minutes or whatever, and killed our momentum. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah. Just unfortunate. And people said before the game, like, Saints do supporters, it. don't, don't do, do it. it. I think it was it was Stephen Baker's dad. I think let everybody out yes. into the yeah. Should have known one better. Of the players, yeah. Um, but yeah, we we just got done by a goal against the eventual premier Port Adelaide. I mean, this must have happened quite a few seasons where it, in coming up that we get knocked out mm-hmm. by the team that goes on to win it. Uh, the customary ground invasion following the goal is what killed the Saints' momentum. It was close to an exact repeat in 2005. Garrick took out the Coleman again. St Kilda finished in the top four and were again knocked out of the finals race by Sydney, who would go on to claim their first premiership as Sydney and the first for the club in, I think it was like, it was 70-something Something years. Something like eight. Yeah, it might have even been 80. Uh, they beat West Coast. That was the longest the longest drought in the AFL at that stage. Right, that's right. And, mm-hmm. yeah, they've all been knocked off in recent years. Melbournes, the Bulldogs, Richmond, Tigers. Yeah. Uh, ours is the only one remaining. Geelong. 
Yes, Geelong, Geelong that's right. Yeah. Now, only, like, Carlton being the second longest is so bizarre. <laughs> it's, it's only 20 years or something. Well, 25, 95, yeah. So it's yeah. 30. Yeah, yeah 28 30. years. Yeah. Mate, let's round it that's up not to a, 50. That's not a drought. <laughs> Call that a drought. <laughs> Call that a drought. That's <laughs> not a drought. <laughs> Someone make that a meme. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that was, I went over for the, the first final that year we played in Adelaide. And it was I was one, there for that one. One of the great football memories of my life. Went over, caught the bus over with my... Cousin Rhino and we just uh, took Adelaide by storm. Me and him <laughs> and the Saints. Mm-hmm. Frankie Peckett played a great game. The Duna, Jason Gwilt. Robert Harvey. Jason Gwilt. Yeah. James Gwilt. James Gwilt, James sorry. Gwilt. Yeah. James Gwilt was- The big afro. Awesome. Is he called yep. the Duna because his name sounds like Quilt? Yes. Yeah, so that is an incredible <laughs> name. There's also a defender, so, you know, he'd cover the players. But, but he kicked two goals in that game. Yeah, he was awesome. Yeah. So good. Yeah. He was a big fan of the Duna. And the U. <laughs> James Blake. James Blake. Yeah. Jason Blake. Oh, my God. James Blake's the tennis player. And the singer. <laughs> I am becoming an old man before your very eyes. Uh, so, yeah, that that was a great game. And I remember it like it was yesterday and everyone's names. <laughs> and the after party after the game the after at the party. hotel bar. That's right. And we were, t- were you talking we about were this on we, we were both at the same pub celebrating the win afterwards because we both had uh, a friend who was involved with the club. He said, come catch up for a drink and then ended up- yeah, I was drinking with Ozzy Jones and Luke Penny. Yeah. Robert Harvey was there. He ended up going upstairs. He yeah, I remember Harvey hotel, coming the in. The hotel bar on the ground floor. And I remember Frankie Packett came in and Cousin Rhino was, uh, we were a couple beers deep and he knew, knew how much I love Frankie. And he, so Frankie Packett walks in and him and Harvey are two of the old, you know, they would have been 30 years old at the time. So they were the older, more mature players at the time and everyone else is sort of partying. And Packet comes in and my cousin goes, Hey, it's Frankie! And you sort of see him do a U-turn and go straight out the other door. <laughs> be cool, Rhino, be cool. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we once again knocked out by the eventual Premier's Sydney. And uh, and then 2006, we made the finals again. Uh, but I think we went out maybe in straight sets or even in the first week. We went out we to, lost Melbourne. to Melbourne. And they didn't go on to win the flag. No, that's right. Uh, the Eagles won that following year because I was yep. I was over in Europe backpacking, and uh, I remember watching the score of the Melbourne game on a computer in the hostel um, <laughs> computer area, and it was just like a line. You know, mm. it wasn't like watching it's like a, a game. Score worm. It was the score worm. I'm watching slowly tick <laughs> over. It was a brutal way to watch your team I think lose. We lost, I think we lost about four players injured that game as well. Right. Aaron Hamill. And- <laughs> and I'm pretty sure, I think that day or that week, Steve Irwin died. Ooh, I was maybe. staying at that hostel when he died. And Peter Brock died around that time as well. I remember after that game, actually, there was a rumour going around the ground that Robert Harvey had retired in the rooms. I don't know where it came from, whether someone on Twitter said it or it was on the radio. I don't remember, but someone said- Robert Harvey's just retired in the rooms because obviously our season's over. And, yeah. Um, Grant Thomas got sacked after that game as well. That's right. Uh, but someone had, someone had started this rumour that Robert Harvey retired and a bunch of us just sat down in the stands and like just bawling, like just crying. <laughs> crying not about cause, it. Not because the season rumor. was over, yeah. but because Robert Harvey retired. And then, of course, it turned out that he hadn't. He, and he played on for another <laughs> few years. Did you go to his testimonial, which would have been around that time? Was that Doc Lands? I've still got the little the invite, which came in like this sort of weird puzzle box puzzle. Yes, I've got the puzzle. Yeah, I got yeah. the puzzle. I got a couple yeah. of those puzzles for some reason. Yeah, was it the the Harvey? It was Harvey testimonial, wasn't it? For Harvey three fifty. Yeah. yeah, something like yeah. that. I've got a t shirt, I think, as well. So hey, we've been in the same room multiple times. 
Um, so yeah, Thomas gets sacked after that final series, which is pretty wild. Normally, three final series in a row isn't what gets you sacked, but his best mate, who was the president, they became frenemies and then basically just enemies, I guess, around mm-hmm. this time. Is that part of the reason why he was sacked? Pretty much, yep. yeah. Yeah, I think there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes there, but I think there was money involved and there was business deals and yes. whatever, and they became yeah hardcore enemies. I yeah, think. which isn't something not ideal for a president, and your head coach. Yeah, so not I ideal. remember I was um, I was at Oktoberfest when I heard that Ross Lyon got the job. So <laughs> how you could sort of place yourself <laughs> around the world when that sort of stuff's happening. A quirky game involving the Saints in 2006 is now known as the Siren Gate match. Do you know anything about this one, Dave? Siren Gate. Siren Gate. Just that very lazy naming convention, putting gate at the end of. Oh, no, that's not ringing any bells. It's off the top of my head. So, I was playing in Launceston in Tasmania. You would remember this. It's the place Long Dave uh, set the world record. Yeah, of course. He, he booted a beauty that day. <laughs> he booted a beauty right up the guts. Uh so, basically, the siren sounded when Fremantle were leading by a point, but the on-field umpire didn't hear it, and the match continued until Saints player Stephen Baker scored a point to level the scores. Uh, then all hell was sort of breaking loose, and then the umpire gave him another kick at goal for some reason. He got he got <laughs> pushed over as he kicked it, as he kicked the right. point. And so, that leveled the score. And, and he then got another shot at he it. He got another shot. Which he missed as well. Which was directly in front. Yeah. It was about 35 metres out. Like every AFL player should kick that goal. But and he, he missed that. Missed it again, got a point, but levelled the scores. But this was like 30 seconds after the siren went, but mm. the on-field umpire just didn't hear it. Did everyone else hear it? Like if, no, it sounds like a few people coaches. did, but not many. The, set, the siren was pretty low. Right. Mm. It, but like the Fremantle coach walked out onto the field. Yes. And there was a bunch of people that just Chris walked Connelly. out on the ground. And, yeah. But- um, the rule technically is that it's not when the siren goes, it's when the umpire hears the siren and blows the whistle, time. puts yeah. his arm in the air or her arm. And um, But it ended in a draw and it wasn't until the AFL commission had a hearing during the week that the result was overturned and the Dockers were given the win. Oh. I think Fremantle appealed, I think, on the Monday or something. Which is it's fair enough, you know. Yeah. But- yeah, Did they a, win? In, in other scenarios- Not officially. Yeah, in other scenarios, you know, you can say they go on the other way. If- like this year, there was a bad one where a goal was awarded a point, which meant oh yes, all that one that the Crows lost and the Swans won, mm. and that really affected the finals. Crows would have ended up playing finals, but they missed out because of it. But that didn't. Well, they they lost the last week anyway, which meant that they wouldn't. No, have they beat anyway. the Eagles. They oh, that's right. Yeah, they ended yeah, up being yeah. so they would have the official. If that result changed, they would have made finals, and the uh, Swans would have dropped out. But there was like a minute. To go on the in the game, so you can't say that the Swans right. wouldn't have kicked another mm. goal off that. But whereas in this game it was the very end of the game, so that's where he, mm. I, I mean I'm like it's hard to take when you, it's against you, but it made sense. But for some reason, Dave, the Saints and Dockers have a history of sharing quirky moments together. Another one happened during the first quarter of the team's round 15 match in 1999 at Subiaco Oval when field umpire Peter Carey took a chess mark in general play. So the <laughs> The ball was- So, the umpire. The umpire, umpire. Sorry, what? (laughs) So, the ball was kicked and it was going past him and instant kicked in and he just marked it on his chest. (laughs) It literally just came straight (laughs) at him. That's so great. And he was, he just, he he sort of looked a bit shocked and he just blew the whistle. (laughs) Gave himself a red card. (laughs) Doesn't even know what sport he's playing. So, he just ended up bouncing the ball. But yeah, that was, (laughs) that was a bit of a funny moment. And then another one uh, has become known as 
the whispers in the sky controversy. It's very dramatic. Yeah, very I think dramatic. That, that's a way better name yeah. than Siren Gate, though. Yeah. Whispers in the sky. Uh, so, in 2005, the week prior to the Saints-Dockers match, Saints coach Grant Thomas made disparaging remarks about the quality of umpiring and uh, gave some advice to the umpires on how to improve, saying they should, quote, leave their ego in the locker when they start their career. Thomas ended up being fined 20 grand by the AFL for the comments. So this is the week before the game. Then before the game, Thomas and assistant coach Matt Rendell, who you've also had in, on your show, I believe, Matt Rendell? No. No, we didn't We didn't have Matt Rendell. We've had, we've had Tomo on a couple of times. Yeah, I've had Tomo on there, yeah. Um, but uh, so both of the coaches noticed that when the umpires came through the rooms, so that's before the games, the umpires would come through the rooms when we shake coaches' hands. It's uh, just this weird old tradition, I guess. And um, they noticed that the umpires were very cold that day. They didn't shake hands. They didn't say good day like they normally would. They didn't chat. And uh, this is what Thomas later told SEN. He said, I was leaning up against a wall with assistant coach Matty Rendell, just talking about some matchups and some particular strategy. And the umpires walked in in single file, regimented like they do when they walk out on the ground. They walked up to the end of the change rooms, did an about face, turned around and walked out without shaking anyone's hand or recognising anyone. It was just basically a token gesture to say, yeah, we're here, we've been in the rooms, but that's it. Matty Randell dug me in the ribs and said, I think we're in for a tough one, Tomo, which proved to be the case. The cameras during the start of the match caught Randell and Thomas laughing in the coach's box at the start of the game. If it wasn't so serious, it'd be funny. But we were caught on camera in the first five or ten minutes of the game laughing our heads off, which I think a lot of people thought, what are they laughing for? We're laughing because of the decision making. We just thought, what is going on here? It's just not right, Thomas said. It's just the umpires were making strange decisions. Right. They were all going against the Saints. He said, something was really off that day, really off. The players felt it. Everyone felt it. In a lot of ways, you can say it's my fault because I tried to give that advice and they weren't happy. So basically, it sounds like it was just the umpires taking revenge, which is very unprofessional, obviously, and quite odd in a professional sport. Mm. The game ended up being a thriller with the Dockers just winning in a nail-biter. But there were quite a few contentious decisions that went against the Saints on the night. The following day, Channel 9's Tony Jones reported that umpire Matthew Head had said to him while boarding the post-game flight back to Melbourne, quote, now I know what a victory feels like. So the umpire supposedly said to the journalist. Right. Saints- That's a stupid person to say that comment to. That's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, Saints fan Mitch Rentesis was also on the flight and heard the conversation. He said he couldn't be certain at the time who said what comment or who head was, but was adamant he saw and heard the conversation take place, so much so that he wrote the quote down on his boarding pass. And there's a photo in media reports at the time of him with the, the quotes written down on his pass. He said, Tony Jones, who was a row behind me and putting his gear away and settling himself in, made a comment to the umpires along the lines of, you boys had a good night tonight, or where's that effect? And I heard the famous words, yep, it's nice to have a win, or now I know what it's like to have a win, Rentixa said. I did a double take and had a look and I thought, i got to write this down. i just got to remember this. So I did. <laughs> Another Saints but assistant- sounds like he wrote it down, but then he also said two different yeah, versions no, of the quote there. It's like, <laughs> can you just read the quote yeah. you've got written down? Uh, another Saints assistant, Mark Parker, was also in the vicinity of the plane conversation saying, the umpire had got on and he'd said something to the effect of, that'll teach them four points and 20 grand or something like that. Everyone's got a slightly different version of it. 
I heard this conversation. I wrote it down on my board. <laughs> <laughs> I heard this conversation. Then I saw Tony Jones stand up face to face with the umpire, Matthew Head, and say, you can't say that. And he sort of mumbled something and then went back. Head wasn't sitting in business. They were down in economy. So Jones looked at me and looked at a couple of others and asked, do you hear what he said? Umpire Head admitted it wasn't his best umpiring performance, but denied that he was cold in the change rooms. In fact, he said the Saints weren't in there at all when he walked through. He also denied saying anything like what Jones, Rentesis or Parker quoted him as saying. So it's funny, his Grant Thomas is like, he came through, just ignored us all, and he's like, they weren't even in there. So I'm wondering, were they, were maybe the Saints invisible. <laughs> like, it feels like was there like some sort of glitch in the Matrix or something. He's walking through going, they're like, it's been so cold, it's just because he didn't see him. The only logical explanation. Yeah. <laughs> were they ghosts all along? Uh, an AFL investigation was launched, but ultimately cleared ahead of any wrongdoing, which is weird. The AFL don't normally cover up stuff like this. <laughs> There's so many witnesses saying that something like that was mm. said. Uh, it is, yeah. Matthew Head's done a bit of a media tour in the last couple of years as well. He's finally started talking to, to media outlets about it, and he's adamant that it never happened. Right. Adamant that it never happened. Yeah. It's one of those ones where both so Tony Jones still swears yeah. that it definitely did happen. They, yeah. had, they interviewed each other. They did. They had a sit down. Yeah. They had a sit down, and they both agreed to disagree, I think, at the end. <laughs> it's just like- <laughs> One, it's not the kind of thing where people are just slightly remembering a thing different. It's like one of them is Complete lying. Complete opposites. Yeah. yeah. And Grant Thomas says that, I, th- I don't know if it was Mark Parker or one of the other assistants or someone that was nearby, called him when they got off the plane and kind of reported this thing to him. And, and GT was like, that can't have happened. Right. That, that couldn't have happened. Yeah, right. Yeah, it doesn't that doesn't nah. happen. Let's go back to Holmesby. So, Ross Lyon comes into the fold as senior coach. Revolt is now fully handed the reins as captain in 2008. And the Saints continue to impress with their dominance, winning another pre-season premiership. What was this one called? We beat the Cats. I can't remember mm. what it was called that year. Um, but, you know, more silverware in there. Can't remember all these pre-season in premierships. The <laughs> some, new, some other defunct <clears throat> business now. Like the Bilo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, they went into the season... Going really well. They finished in the top four after a stunning 108-point victory. NAB Cup. Oh, the NAB Cup. The NAB Cup. Of course it was. Whatever happened to NAB? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Speaking of the big four, uh, (laughs) they finished in the top four, winning by 108 points over the Bombers in the final round, which uh, brought them from seventh to fourth and gave them the double chance. But although a different year yielded an all-too-familiar result as Hawthorne ousted the Saints and went on to win the flag. That Hawthorne game was Harvey's last game. It was, yeah. Which was announced before the rooms. Yes. (laughs) But I remember being up in the sand. It was such a hollow feeling. Yeah. We beat the Pies the week before. I think maybe Frankie Packett retired that day too. Maybe. I think that might have been his last game as well. Yeah, so Harvey retired after 383 games. Still a club record. And Peckett after 252 games. Even with the Legends' time at an end, the red, white, and black would piece together its best season to date in 2009. And that's of all time, home and away, best season. Saints won 19 straight games to start the season. They lost two games late in the year, but only just. Mm, and a basically, couple of each. Because with, with multiple games to spare from second place, uh, the famous game in the middle of the year, it's now known as the Battle of the Unbeaten, uh, which went down as one of the club's most enthralling matches against Geelong in front of a record crowd at Dockland Stadium of 54,444. Widely widely accepted as the best home and away season game 
of all time. It's such a great game. Incredible. The big game. Gardner mark. Mm-hmm. It had all the iconic moments. So, with the two unbeaten juggernauts level with just over a minute on the clock, Gardner rising like a colossus, another great bit of commentary, yeah. reeled in an unbelievable pack mark, put the Saints up to carry their on their incredible winning streak. Unfortunately, the Cats had the last laugh, though. We played them in the grand final, and we won every stat on the day, apart from goals kicked, which turned out to be the more important one. That ended up being decisive, did it? Huh? Yeah. And the... So we had the in '66. There was the iconic wobbly punt from Barry Breen, but unfortunately, the iconic moments in this one went the other way. Like Matthew Scarlett's toe poke, the famous mm-hmm. toe poke people still talk about. If it just got past his toe, we were out, and probably Zach the, Dawson just got a hand on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Paul Chapman sealed the game in the final minutes after that, and yeah. It was the we should have won. We were easily the best team of the year. Yeah, but just couldn't quite get it done on that big day. We were better in the first more, half as more well. More scores, I think, as well. Yeah, it was which just we points that we should. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, another moment in the game included included Geelong's Tom Hawkins being paid a goal despite it clearly hitting the post. Uh, because of that goal, goal reviews were later introduced again. The rule changes <laughs> soon after. If it was reviewed, then you know that would have. Uh, wouldn't have been a goal. Uh, like, I was sitting behind that end as well, and it just ricocheted. It was so clearly hit the post. Uh, also, the Norm Smith medal winner for the best player on the field was uh, Chapman, and he'd been receiving a controversial blood injection therapy to mm-hmm. help him get over a hamstring injury. He ended up kicking three goals, being best on ground. He was the difference. He kicked that th- the winning goal. Uh, the following season, this type of therapy was banned by the World Anti-Doping Body. Right, because like he, they're turning into some sort of mutant X-Man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's out there s- shooting webs from his arms. <laughs> and this is not fair. Yeah, in 2009, that was allowed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2010, no longer allowed. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was having some sort of super soldier serum. <laughs> yeah. So, we were desperately unlucky. But in the end, should have won the game anyway. Outplayed the Cats, but- yeah, all those little things. Any of those little things don't happen. We probably win that game. So, you guys there that day? Yeah. Was it yeah. as devastating as it sounds? Yeah. Oh, gosh. But and it, yeah. it should have been probably a comfortable- Like, at, it was the kind of game at halftime we should have had a pretty good lead. We had yeah, a small absolutely. lead, but it should have been like a match winning lead. I think we were lead. nine points up at three-quarter time. And I think we'd missed probably four or five shots of goal that normally they'd kick. You know, whether it was just wet and it didn't quite yeah, dribble through. Yeah, there was or- Milne trying to dribble it through. Yeah, I think McWalter had I think, one. Robert I remember the right, right, was it when um, Gilbert went forward or was that the next year? That was the next year. That was the next year, yeah. yeah. Um, um, the disappointing games blur together a little. <laughs> <laughs> Although people are like, hate losing grand finals. I'd never, I'd take losing grand finals over being, finishing 12th on the ladder. Any For day. sure. Because you, you can't take away the, pre- yeah. uh, the prelim wins. Which- yeah. Some of the, you know, best nights of my life were- Absolutely. Celebrating those premierships and then having that whole week as a grand finalist team. Do you remember, do you remember who we beat in the 09 prelim? Yes, and the- And 10, the 10 prelim. It was uh, Dave's Bulldogs. Hmm. Hmm. Still hurts, guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> and in 97, when we played it, you were ripped off by- The uh, the Crows beat you when you should have won. They uh, called a point, a goal. Right. They called a point, Liberatore kicked- and, um, yeah, it should have been a Saints-Bulldogs 97 grand final, but brutal. Um, anyway, Holmesby continues. We're getting close to the end here. If anyone is still listening, 
Send us a tweet. Just, it'd be interesting to see if anyone got through this far. <laughs> um, Holmesview continues. It wouldn't be the last grand final birth from the red, white, and black, but even with all the agony, heart-wrenching sorrow, and long-standing suffering across the club's history, few rivaled the pain that was to come in 2010. Desperate not to let their shot at grand final glory slip through their fingers, the Saints returned with a vengeance in 2010. Another strong season saw the red, white, and black finish third, advancing to an identical preliminary final against the Dogs again. Which they won. This one slightly less convincingly, or was it the this other way around? This one was more convincing. This one was more convincing. Oh nine, we yeah. were we just got over the line. St Kilda seemed destined for their long-awaited triumph, with the 2010 Grand Final mirroring so many facets of the fabled 1966 victory. Uh, so the, here are some of the things that were mirrored. '66. Uh, there was Premiership heartbreak the year before, off the back of a final quarter fadeout. It's another chance at the ultimate glory against Collingwood. One kick, spelling the difference between agony and ecstasy. The script was perfect. After going into halftime 24 points down, the Saints began to turn the tide. Brendan Goddard's iconic screamer, which would still be seen as, I think, one of the all-time great grand final moments. Uh, And also Lenny Hayes' roost from long range, outside 50, had the red, white, and black just one straight kick from their second premiership and could have joined Barry Breen's match-winning point as part of the immortal club history. I mean, Goddard took the one of the all-time great pack marks, went back, kicked the goal, which put us in front yep. with a handful of minutes to spare. But unfortunately, we went defensive. Mm-hmm. I'd love to... Uh, that's a sliding doors moment where that's we a- stayed on the attack. Yeah, I, put the foot down. Put the foot down. But yeah. Yeah, well, I think that would have changed everything. Anyway, what ifs, huh? So, with, <laughs> with two minutes history. on the clock... The Saints found themselves a point down. So we went defensive and Cloak kicked a goal from long range, which gave them a narrow lead again. Yep. One point down. And then in a final moment of desperation, a tumbling punt from Lenny Hayes went inside 50. It bounced over the Collingwood defence and a vacant Stephen Milne was lying in wait just outside the goal square. Milne was centimetres away from putting the Saints one step closer to a stunning triumph before that bounce. In a cruel twist... The ever-unpredictable Sharon, which is the brand of the football, bouncing at right angles, darted past the St Kilda goal sneak and scurried through for a behind, levelling the scores. The siren rang to the sound of pure disbelief from the Collingwood and St Kilda armies. Game had ended in a draw. Most commentators have since said, and at the time said, the Saints were finishing on top. If the game went into overtime, they surely would have won. But unfortunately, the rule was drawn grand finals must be replayed the following week. The depleted Saints... Couldn't muster enough strength to challenge the following week and ended up getting flogged by nearly 10 goals, even though Lionel Richie played a fantastic set before the game. <laughs> so, was there two halftime shows then? Two pre-game shows, yeah. Yeah, so who... John who Farnham in the first week. I think they get Lionel with only one week's notice. Yeah, I think he was just on tour. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so it was pretty handy. Gee, that's, that's, that's a win. Oh, no, Farnsey was 09. I mix... I get a lot of details between those two years when was, mixed up. Which was Meatloaf? Meatloaf was the 11, I 11. think, with okay. pies and cats. Okay. Um, which is infamous for all sorts of reasons. Absolutely worth a look, look, a look online if you haven't seen his performance. Yeah. It's he, incredible. There's some audio issues <laughs> and his voice is not covered there's by some, any backing there's track. There's some meatloaf the issues. Singers. Yeah, there's some loaf <laughs> issues. His voice isn't quite what it used to be. Um, but Lionel yeah. Richie was good, though. Lionel Richie was really good. Yeah. It was yeah. definitely the peak of the day. We, I reckon that game, and I haven't had the guts to go back and watch it, but I remember that game- going quite similarly to the first week mm-hmm. where they started well, didn't quite get, 
put it all on the scoreboard, and then we started working our way back into the game. Yeah. And then, like a thief in the night. Heath Shaw. Heath Shaw. Nick, Nick Revolt was running into the open goal. Didn't realise that Heath Shaw was closing in on him, and he smothered him, and that was that was the end of the game. Which, it just felt like we were working our way back into the game at that point, but that broke our hearts. Anyway. It's hard to argue any moment leads to a ten goal loss, but <laughs> I still, I still, that's kind of what it felt like. I still maintain that had had we won that first one after Goddard took the mark and kicked the goal, it would have been the greatest AFL moment of yes. all time. You break the drought with a mark like that and a goal to win the grand final. That that becomes the greatest moment. Yeah, it's like, and it it was a better mark than Leo Barry's famous mm-hmm. mark, Jezelenko's mark. Yep. I think yep. it was. It would have been the great grand final mark, and it should be, but. They don't remember the losers, unfortunately. That's right. um, so yeah, the AFL changed the rule the next season <laughs> again. Yeah, mm-hmm. so grand finals now go to extra time. So even Collingwood fans say that if they played five more minutes, yeah, they wins probably by a couple of goals, like not just by a couple of points, but yeah, it's how dominant they were in the last quarter. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, pretty brutal. But yeah, it's just a long history of rules. That went against us being changed Robbed. straight after. Robbed. That's so St Kilda. That's but so like St. I say, every other supporter would have a list of these things about their club as well, I'm sure. Um, sorry to the Collingwood supporters listening. I don't think you would have made it this far, but just having a bit of fun with you here. Although you are all cowardly racist dogs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the following decade was rough. So... Ross Lyon, and another link to Freo, he mm. left. It seems like the Saints weren't really paying him that much respect as a a pretty handy coach. Well, he was st- when when he signed, when he became the coach at Security, he was just a rookie. He was a first-time senior coach. He was on essentially minimum wage for, I think he had a four-year contract. He made the finals again in 2011, which we lost to Sydney. Yes, at, at Docklands. I, mm-hmm. I had a ticket to see... The DC3, Damon Cowles band, that night, which I booked in advance, not knowing the Saints would be playing that night. And I had to make the decision and I ended up going to the gig, which was the right call because- Was Damon Cowell there? Or did he go to the game? <laughs> Damon Cowell was there. I think he was also <laughs> glad. But I'm for a while because that was our last final for yeah. nine years. I thought I'd cursed us by, <laughs> by not, not, going. not going to the footy. Um, but, yeah. So, the story goes that Ross, Ross had had some- Investments fail. It was the global financial crisis a couple of years earlier, and his pretty much entire investment portfolio had plummeted or whatever. And oh, he had lost right. a lot of money. His family was struggling, and he asked he asked the club for a raise. Yeah, you know, he was he'd taken them to two grand three grand finals in two years, three final series, uh, four final series, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, um, and was essentially outside of the sixty six premiership the most successful St Kilda coach of all well, time. He still is. Yeah, 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 um, but. The club just said, we'll deal with it later. Mm. And, you know, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to make you an offer. And he's um, stressing probably like, yeah. well, I didn't realise the money issues. Yeah, but I just, yeah. yeah, they're dragging him out. And he's like, eventually. And, and so, a lot of Saints fans have never forgiven him for yeah. it, even though he's now come back to coaches again. Mm. Um, there's other things, reasons not to forgive him, I reckon. But that one, I think, fair enough. You, mm. if you, It's your job. Yeah. And your yeah. boss isn't. Isn't coming to the party, then that's right. You get another offer that is securing your yeah. family and whatnot. And people forget about the other coach that got shafted in that case as well, because Mark Harvey was under contract, I think. That's right. Yeah. And behind closed doors, I think, was it Ross's manager and Mark Harvey's manager were the same, oh, the that same is, person? Oh, and he had to like no withdraw because he was 
Yeah, okay. Something like that. I don't, well, I don't remember the story that's exactly. But yeah. Hmm. So anyway, he leaves, and uh, yeah, that was the beginning of a rough decade. Uh, and I'm not going to go on it to it too much, but rather than the bottoming out of the 80s, uh, we only won one wooden spoon that year, but obviously winning lots of them would have meant we would have had a bunch of number one draft picks. <laughs> uh, but so we won, we won one, uh, we won one wooden spoon and, uh, the number one draft pick we picked up ended up having to retire. He just retired this year again um, for the second time because of, uh, concussions. He, ah, uh, yes. Um, he, so yeah, it was an unlucky pick. Whereas, who was uh, that? Who was that? Sorry. Paddy McCartan. Gotcha. Whereas the, Probably the guy that everyone else would have picked at number one, Petraka. Petraka, sorry, I said his name weird, but he um, he's gone on to be a modern day great. He's, he's a, a Premiership player at the Demons. That's yeah, that uh, was a in hindsight. Who knows? Paddy McCartan was going to be a really great player as well. I think so. You you know, there's bad luck, and this was just a bad luck thing. But it is funny because everyone said, everyone like all the experts were saying. Petrarca's number one. Whereas the other one that people talk about a lot is we picked Billings before yep. Bontempelli, but no one was saying Bontempelli was- No. That was the choice. No. It's only in even, hindsight everyone's saying Even that. the Bulldogs, like I've spoken to a few people in, inside the Bulldogs and they've said that if Billings had been there at four, they would have taken Billings yes. over Bontempelli. So he was a consensus pick. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So I, I think people going on about that is silly. I, the Petrarca one's different, but um, anyway, we it was a tough decade. The teens. Um, yep. Yeah. But instead of bottoming out, we've done a lot of middling, finishing just out of the eight down and, you know, sort of from ninth to twelfth-ish mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, and our, at one point, Alan Richardson, another Alan coach, was the second longest ever coach of the Saints mm. and he never coached a final. We just kept- Yeah. We had, a, we had a couple of years in a row where I think we had winning seasons, like yes. 12 and 10 and he just missed building, out. Yeah. But our, our drafting and play development through yeah. that decade wasn't too good. Yeah. But he he also left and, and won a premiership with Melbourne as an assistant coach with Petrarca. <laughs> anyway, he would have had something to say about uh, picking he, McCartan. He wanted, to, he wanted to draft Petrarca. Did he? Yeah. He got overruled by the- Oh, yeah. God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that would have been frustrating as the head coach. Anyway, so yeah, it was a pretty pretty tough decade, Dave. We don't need to go on it too much. Um, maybe well, here, the here's most- another hour of details about it. Though. <laughs> yeah. Probably the most positive to ha- thing to happen that decade, though, was the formation of our women's team. So the AFLW was announced in 2017, and 13 clubs, including St Kilda, applied for a license. Annoyingly, the Saints were unsuccessful in the bid, as it felt externally, at least, or to me, that the Saints were one of the most proactive clubs in pushing mm. for women's football at the top level. Yep. Obviously, the Bulldogs and the Demons were right up there, but I felt like the Saints were really doing a lot of good things, and I think we thought we were a pretty good chance. But They'd done a lot in the community around inclusivity and bringing people together, and I think they thought they had a really good shot at, at getting one of those initial licences. But Yeah, yeah and it, it's, I mean, who knows? Again, it feels like we missed the jump on that, and uh, it's probably hurt us a bit. We ended up getting in on the third intake of clubs uh, in 2020. But unfortunately, the women's team thus far has started off in the traditional Saints style without a lot of on-field success. I uh, haven't played a final. But the team is really well supported with some of the highest membership numbers in the league, uh, which is quite different from the men's team, which is traditionally in the lower third of the league for members. Though the club this year hit a new... and the, uh, Does this include women's and men's? 
But it, we, so. we hit a new uh, record this year, over 60,000 for our, our, our biggest amount of members ever. Still has us in the bottom half of the membership ladder anyway. Collingwood broke the new record with over 100,000. 106 something, yeah. 106, seven. Yeah. Good luck getting finals tickets if you go for the pies. <laughs> um, other landmark moments for the club happened when the men's team played the first match for premiership points outside of Australia in Wellington, New Zealand on April 25th, 2013. I was there. It was great fun, apart from losing. Um, we played there again in 2014, 2015, lost both of those games. <laughs> well, these, we seem to lose, like the Spuds matches we always lose, mm-hmm. those Event uh, Wellington matches. Yeah. Dude, did you go to any of those Kiwi no, games? No, no. I had a great, I had a great trip over there, but uh, yeah, the footy was unfortunate. Um, I messaged Cal Wilson, another great Saint supporter, who's a Kiwi, to see if she'd be up for telling a Saint story. But unfortunately, she's in the middle of shooting the Great Australian Bake Off. Uh, but she said I could tell her story anyway. That's just a bit of a nice story. So she was a new to Australia as a Kiwi, and she went to a game with some friends who were barracking hard for the Saints. Can the Saints? Can the Saints? Right. And as the game went along, she started getting into it as well. Carnassars, Carnassars. <laughs> but she wasn't saying Sainers like the rest of the crowd. She thought everyone was saying Sailors. So, she, <laughs> so she's screaming, Carnassars, Carnassars. <laughs> and it wasn't until later in the game she realised that, um, yeah, she got it wrong. But that was a bit of a fun story. That's, I, mean, I guess it makes some kill to Sailors. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. No, I quite like it. The Sailors as a- Bayside, yeah. I, lo- I like <laughs> team names that are unique as well. Like, that's what I thought. Giants was a bit disappointing when at the newest AFL club came in. Well, why not be the Wombats or something? You know, like something that <laughs> you, there's no world team with that. Why are we going for these yeah, still. existing American franchise names? Um, we also played in Shanghai and China. Uh, we were the third team to play a game over there in 2019. It's a real cursed trip, though. Mm. The whole team or half the team got food poisoning before the game. Still played anyway, but got flogged by Port Adelaide. Well, clearly the team was not at full health. And then the following year, we were meant to play them again, but that was also a little cursed uh, because there was a little thing called COVID. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the game got cancelled. And I don't think there there's no real plans to play no, in China again. Now. I don't think so. No. Um, I think Jaron Geary also, he have one of the, he had this weird thigh that's right. There's this iconic photo of Geary with the stitches yeah, all the right. way up his yeah. leg. He had like compartment syndrome or something. And yeah. Yeah. Had to, oh, I don't know. It's gross. It? Yeah, the China curse. Um, but yeah, so in some ways, I've, I wouldn't be surprised if the Saints brought on COVID. Yeah. <laughs> some people talk about pangolins and bats and stuff. I, I don't know. Made the stop in Wuhan yeah. on the way back. Yeah, the Saints were what they did a captain's run at Wuhan <laughs> that week. Um, but I, I love the, the idea of the Saints trying to build an international following. And I also love the idea that in our own small way, this podcast has started doing that a little bit. Oh, man. Bit. If you're this far in and you don't have a team yet, come on. Yes. Get you're involved. a Saints fan. You're a and, Saints I, fan. and I know there are already a bunch of Dugan listeners around the world who are Saints fans because of this podcast, uh, including Paul Meller, who's uh, one of our great Patreon supporters. Uh, he lives in England and he's become a Saints member which I love. And I messaged him to see if he would um, had anything to say about that, and he sent in this clip. Good morning, guys. It's Paul Miller here. Matt's asked me to uh, give you a few words about my uh, interest in the Saints. Uh, so I'd record your little voicemail 
while out on my walk with my dog Rosie in the wilds of Oldham. Um, yeah, so I think listening back to the podcast oh, in 2018, I think was when I got into it, uh, probably second or third episode that I listened to was Matt's podcast on the AFL. So, and I've never really been into uh, that sport. I've not even really heard too much about it. And, um, yeah, kind of intrigued by Matt's fascination with uh, the Saints and uh, the fact they only won their one flag in 1966. Kind of the same as the England senior men's team, football team, that is. I do support football. Uh, I don't support rugby for some reason. It's kind of weird. Um, and then, yeah, kept my eye on the scores, but didn't really do anything about it until the pandemic hit. And then, I guess pandemic year I didn't really get a year off I was in work constantly because of what I do uh, as an engineer I had to keep the factories running so uh, therefore you know it wasn't really a year off for me it was just a weird year but that weird year most people took up languages and knitting and strange hobbies and I took up a new sport which was uh, watching AFL and following the Saints uh, I think they were doing quite well that season, so I thought I'll get on board with this and, and watch it. And uh, I was kind of surprised at how easy it was to become an international member, which is not the easiest way to watch the games live uh, and on, on playback. So yeah, I sort of went from there. Joined as an international men- member, it was quite reasonably priced. Sent me out a lot of good impact from the club, and I've watched them ever since. Now. Uh, third year member and I like the fact that you get a little badge for every year that you're a member um, but lo- loving it and uh, yeah it's a, just a really fast interesting you know game but it's you know football English football can be very much stop start uh, AFL doesn't seem to be that at all it's very fast even though there are lots of stops and starts in the game uh, it's a very fast game and quite a long game but uh, just, just really exciting um, I love an underdog. Uh, underdog. I uh, follow all the athletic. They're my team, um, and, and they've not done well for a long time. Um, but it's the little things. It's the little nuances. The now and again success that, that gives you hope, and it's the hope that kills you, I guess. Uh, and I guess that's why I uh, I, I went for the Saints. So, you know, something about the underdog screams to me as as, as you know. Someone who needs support, but uh, and it's just it's just more exciting, you know. If you, you know, people support around here. They support Manchester United, Manchester City. They're right on my doorstep. Why would I support them? You know, who got millions behind them? You know, the guarantee of success. You know, it's not it's not for me. Um, I'd rather watch the underdog and and and, and enjoy the, the the smaller successes, but uh, it's more exciting that way. So yeah, this year uh, for the Saints, uh, you know, as, as, as recording this, uh, they are you know into finals, which is just awesome to see. It's been a really exciting season. I think standout moment for me, uh, uh, you know, some of the Jacks. There's lots of Jacks in the team. Jack Higgins <laughs> popping the collar at the 150th game uh, for the 150th anniversary game, and that was an amazing game. The game the other week um, against Geelong, uh, you know, again. Just a Standout performance, and um, the team is doing really well. 
Uh, Jack Sinclair is awesome. Jack Steele playing with a broken collarbone. What's that about? Um, we wouldn't get that in football. They'd, uh, they hurt the knee and they go down like they've been shot. So, uh, just incredible. Hang on a minute, guys. I need to go and find my dog. I just got off the pad. One minute. <laughs> carry on. So, yeah, so when uh, I, I watch the Saints, it tends to be uh, an odd hour, uh, usually early in the morning. Uh, if, it's, if it's too early, I'll just get up and, and, and watch the game later. Or sometimes I watch the game later at night with a couple of beers, just relaxing, praying for a win, even though the rest of the fans probably know what the outcome is. I enjoy listening to um, Saints TV podcast. I think that's awesome. I just, just enjoy, enjoy following them from afar. I uh, hope to get there next year. I'm 15 December. Didn't get there this year, but uh, sort of planning a family holiday. So next year, maybe around Easter time. Hopefully that could coincide with the start of the season. We can get to a game, but if not, you know, it'd just be nice to go, go over there and, and visit Australia anyway. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good to be a Saints fan right now. So uh, go on, go on, you mighty Saints. Cheers. Bye bye. Oh, thanks so much for that, Paul. Love <laughs> Paul. I love it. I love it. He took us out for a little walk with the dog. <laughs> that was really nice, wasn't it? <laughs> a little walk with the underdog there. Relaxing. I think yeah. anyone who can who can honestly say on record, success is not for me. <laughs> you, you are a St Kilda <laughs> fan. <laughs> oh, it's weird that he was drawn to the club. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite line was, it's the hope that kills you, I guess. <laughs> There's a through line with all our guests. Um, our, our guest uh, guest supporters that we've heard from today. Oh, that's so good. We met Paul last year when we did a show in Manchester, and yeah, we were talking to him a lot about um, how he's a fan of Oldham Athletic, who play the in the the uh, they were the Premier League. Then I think they're the now they're in the uh, the National League, the fifth tier. Yeah, <laughs> so he's really following. I follow him on social media, and he's he's very passionate about the Saints and and Oldham. He gave me a, an Oldham hat when I was there as well, flat cap, which I love. Um and yeah, Oldham are definitely my fifth. Uh, <laughs> Your fifth league team. Fifth league team, yeah. <laughs> they're not, they're not, Yeovil's not in that league, is it? Is they? <laughs> I'll look it up for you. I've got so many te- English teams that I'm like, it's okay when they're in separate leagues, but <laughs> what if they Yeovil or Charlton? They're not in the same league, are they? They'd be some of the teams would be absolute mortal enemies of each other anyway. <laughs> um, we're so close to the end now, Dave. Um. Let me tell you about just the last last thing. So the team made the finals in 2020, the COVID year, like Paul was saying. Um, we had quite a good year. Won a final again, mm-hmm. sorry, Dave, against the Bulldogs. <laughs> We've got a good finals history against mm. the Bulldogs, I'm yeah, we do. realising as we go yeah, on. You're welcome. Except for 92. Yes, that's yeah. right. They knocked us out in 92 and we never let them, we never let them back in. Dogs. Even though they've won a premiership in, that, in, in the years since. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was our first time back in nine years. Unfortunately, it was... During COVID, and there were no crowds allowed. Um, I was in Queensland. That's right, and in we the bubble. again lost the eventual premiers in Richmond. We did. Uh, then this year, to celebrate our 150th year, we've made the finals again. Like I said at the time of recording, we're a few days away. Actually, we're now one day one away. Day. Hmm. Nick and I will be at the MCG tomorrow. Yep, uh, playing the Giants at the MCG. Uh, and whatever happens in that game, this episode will forever exist in a time where we're about to play finals and anything is possible. And I quite like that. Even though you, dear listener, are listening to this in a time where the game has resulted 
You can't affect me from here. I'm in the past, untouchable, <laughs> and stoked that the mighty Saners are once again playing in September on the big stage. One thing the Saints faithful is very good at, it's continuing to believe and hope that the second premiership is around the corner. And I believe that to be the case. Come on, you once mighty Saners. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, how you can bottle hope. How do you bottle hope? Because this is the thing that we're not really used to, right? Going to finals, hopefully winning finals. But we generally lose. And so that hope is gone, at least for another year. Mm. Um, this is a way. Yeah. This is eternal yeah. hope. Ca- Capture in the moment. That's right. No, we can't be touched from here. Not now. This is out. This will be out on the internet forever. Eternal hope. Exactly. This is bottling. This is um, bottling it. Thanks so much for joining us, Nick. Uh do you like being involved in world records? Because this is, I believe, <laughs> unless the edit is really brutal, <laughs> this is by some margin the longest ever episode we've done. I'm honoured. I'm absolutely honoured to be here. It's my favourite thing to talk about. I do it all the time anyway. So, yeah, yeah thanks for having me. I've loved it. And, uh, yeah, I was thinking, I don't know, if, you, if we think of a, a quirky story from the history um, after this, you'll have to come back and, and tell it. But I think we have covered nearly everything. <laughs> Some people will be out there going, I can't believe they didn't mention the 1949 (laughs) blimp disaster or something. (laughs) Remember when the Saints had that blimp? (laughs) We probably did. Um, But thanks so much for joining us. No, I loved it. Thanks for having me. I guess if people are looking for a way to get into Aussie Rules and AFL, they can check out zerohanger.com. That's right. Yes. Absolutely. the GM himself is here. An unplugged podcast. Yes. The episode that came out on August 31st. Please give it a listen, and um, yeah, uh, and yeah, I um, I love listening to it every week. The thing I love about it the most, it's just it, it's a safe place for Saints supporters. I I hate consuming footy media after a loss, apart from Unplugged, because it's it's like a debrief with people who care about it as much as you do, probably more to be honest. And <laughs> well, it's so hard I to think-, think of people who would care about and and wear a Saints loss harder than I do. But, yeah, you three do. And you're. I love how I was saying this to you after I was on the episode. I love how the three of you have such unique voices. You all look at the game a little bit differently. And you seem like you're probably from three totally different worlds. But the Saints bring you together. Yeah. And the, the debrief and the pre-brief, or is that just the brief, <laughs> every week about the following week's game, it's always exciting. And you're, you're able to put it into words, uh, th- things about the game that I, I cannot enunciate. It's, it's generally it's generally lucky that we don't record straight after a game or kind of first thing in the week that we kind of wait until midweek when some of the things, especially when we've lost and we've had a bad a bad loss, that kind of the the storm has settled yeah. and we're able to kind of look at things a little bit more objectively. But I think we can still be fairly critical when it when it needs to to happen. Um, but yeah, we, we're all from different worlds, uh, different experiences. But the one thing that's kind of always bound us together has been this footy club. So good. Um, and yeah, we'll catch up for pre-drinks tomorrow. Sounds good. Forever. We're about forever. to be having pre-drinks forever. <laughs> it's my favourite bit. Almost having pre-drinks. Eternal drinks. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, have we converted you? I know you've been a lifelong sort of Bulldogs fan. Well, you know, my passion for the, the Bulldogs runs deep. But uh, this final season, I know who I'll be rooting for tomorrow. Yeah. Dave now knows mo- more about St Kilda than 99% of St Kilda fans. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. Somehow I've wound up on a football podcast. <laughs> Look at me go. 
Uh, well, thanks so much for joining us, Nick. We'll let you go. But uh, in a moment, let's do everyone's favourite section of the show where we thank some of our fantastic Patreon supporters. Yeah, so this is everyone's favourite section of the show. And uh, obviously, people like that first bit um, and they sit through it. Yeah, it's just like it's a four or five hour warm up. Yeah. But now we've got to the big dance. They're like the preliminary exactly, finals. Exactly, which we won. And this Nail is- biters. We got into the granny. And uh, what we do here is we thank some mini of our- Mini grand final. Mini grand final. We got, <laughs> we got into the know. granny. Yeah, that does sound a bit sus if you don't know the context. Uh, but what we do in this little section at the end of the episode, we spend about half an hour, maybe 40 minutes, thanking some of our great Patreon supporters. And uh, these are the people who- you know, keep the show alive. And they do so by signing up at patreon.com slash do go on pod. And that supports this show, do go on, but as also the back from hiatus book cheat where Dave consumes a book and then he spit like a bird. He regurgitates it into your mouth uh, in bite-sized chunks. So you don't have to chew for yourself. That's right. Two brand new episodes out uh, for the new season already. A Good Man is Hard to Find by Flannery O'Connor. A spooky gothic tale. And more, more recently, I just covered in Brisbane, Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Oh, man. And I was meant to be there. But I, I don't know if people can hear in my voice. I'm just recovering from a bit of a sickness. And I missed it. I didn't get up to Brisbane. Which means that Dave also hosted... My show, which is on this network, Who Knew It With Matt Stewart. <laughs> yeah, what's it going to be with Dave Warner Key? I love that so much. Um, and yeah, that's uh, we've just got to our one year anniversary, I think, for Who Knew It. And so we're 50 odd episodes deep. Recently had guests including Tommy and Carl from the Little Dum Dum Club. Uh, Meso has been on it a bunch from the Weekly Planet. Jess and Dave have been on it the most. I think Dave maybe is the records holder for. At least games played, if not games won. That's probably <laughs> definitely, both. Definitely, I don't think I'll be up there for games won, but you know, I've been on the ground more times than any other. But you've given yourself the nickname of the carryover champ. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that does sort of feel like you've, you're a winner, even if you're not. But anyway, you, if you support us there, you're supporting all these shows. And you get bonuses like bonus episodes. We do three extra episodes every month. Uh, we're about to record one now. So, if you sign up, you might hear the most unhinged- <laughs> bonus episode we've ever done it's just me and dave one-on-one <laughs> mano and, mano. and we've already been talking this episode will be edited down but i'm looking at the clock we've been recording for over five and a half hours <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna roll straight into a bonus and i've got a tale it's a it's a it's a wild tale too i'll tell you that even without delirium it'll be wild so. oh, i'm really excited to hear it uh so yeah get bonuses like that but you also get shout outs you get early info about uh tours like for instance our Patreons heard that we were so close to locking in an American tour this year. But they were also the first to hear that that didn't quite happen. Is that right, Dave? That's right. They heard it before anyone else that uh, we almost got a visa in time, but then we got knocked back and asked for a few more documents. But that meant we didn't have time to continue on with the application. So, we're going to have to postpone to next year. But now we think we know what they want. Yes. So, if you want to be the first to hear good and bad news... <laughs> Sign up at patreon.com slash pod. We also do shout outs, but we always start with a section called the fact, quote, or question section, which has a little jingle, I think, goes something like this. Fact, quote, or question. Ding, 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 He always remembers the ding and he always remembers the sing. And the way to get involved in this one is to sign up at the Sydney Scheinberg level or above. And then you get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question, or a brag, or a suggestion, or really whatever you like. And you also get to give us or give yourself a title. And I read four of these out each week. 
First up this week, we've got one from Chris Torres. And I should say, I don't read them out until I read them out. No, this is fresh news for you you and me. So, these these great supporters could put any words in my mouth. Oh, my gosh. And, I'd, and I'll refuse to edit them out, whatever they say. That's not quite true. But, Chris, so far, no one's ever made me say anything too offensive. Except for tongue twisters. Oh, yeah. They're fun. Offensive tongue twisters. Um. The first one comes from Chris Torres, who's given themselves the title of official North Carolinian living in Ohio with family in Gary, Indiana, of the podcast. Oh, my gosh. The triptych of amazing places. Jeez. All along the Golden Mile. If you told me that someone in your family also lives in Vermont, Mm. you've got access to creamies, I'd be so happy to hear it. I don't know if we've officially, until right now, added North Carolina to the Golden Mile. (laughs) It was a relatively straightish line, but I think we've got a, we've put a bit of a hook turn on it, and now it's going south down to uh, North Carolina. So that is awesome, Chris. You are all over that Golden Mile, and Chris is offering us a fact. Writing, hey gang, you may recall that I was on a quest to update your go-to fact about North Carolina. Since it seems like I've been successful, Venus flytraps are native to North Carolina. That's one I bring up that's quite a bit That's the now. one that's taken off. Oh, that one or the, maybe the blue fire engines. And also the mini golf course. Yeah. Which was had a punny name that I, it was called like Have a Go. <laughs> I can't yeah, remember what it was. But- um, it says, I thought I might pause my quest to follow up on David Loring's fantastic flamingo fact, triple F, from the Barbie episode. Writing, as it happens, I'm a bird evolutionary biologist and paleontologist, and one of my specialities is flamingos. Oh, my God. So good. David is exactly right. Flamingos are badass. (laughs) They often live in places that are so extreme that only flamingos and what they eat can survive. Matt, you were partially right when you said they get their pink color from what they eat, but it's not from the fungi. It's from the blue-green algae. Damn it. So close. God, I hope someone got fired for that blunder. Uh, which are neither fungi nor algae, but bacteria. Uh, cyanobacteria directly, or by eating things that eat cyanobacteria, like little crustaceans. Which brings me to my main fact, which I think is either grim or fun. Matt and Jess, please judge accordingly. Well, Jess isn't here. She's resting on her laurels, so I'll be the judge of this fact. Dave, do you want to step up for fun fact judgment? Oh, really? You see, I'm for boring facts, aren't I? Yeah, I think you could step up. But if I, if I say it's not boring, it's probably the opposite. Right. If you say it's not boring and I say it's not grim- It's probably what, fun. It's one of the three. Yeah. <laughs> As AJ pointed out on the Barbie episode, baby flamingos aren't pink. That's because their mouths are shaped totally different from adult flamingos, and so they can't feed themselves. So, they rely on their parents for food. Parent flamingos secrete what's called a crop milk, a nutrient-rich fluid- that they transfer to their babies beak to beak. That, much like you do with book cheek. <laughs> yeah. From book chook beak to book chook beak. That's right. Baby chick. Book chook to book chick. Anyway. Um, so, that crop milk is bright red, so sometimes it looks like parents are coughing up blood into the faces of their babies. <laughs> There's not actually any blood in it, though. Well, that's borderline grim. <laughs> yeah. As the babies grow up, their beaks change shape, then they can start feeding themselves and they turn pink. Sorry for the long fact, but I got very excited. What are you thinking, Dave? That's not boring. I don't think it's grim. I think it it's It must fun. be fun. Uh, while I wait to see if the Venus flytrap thing sticks around, I've decided my next quest will be to find a North Carolina fact that Jess thinks is fun. She wasn't too impressed by my Venus flytrap or mini golf facts, so I want to find one 
that will win her over. Books forever. Thank you. And books forever to you too. <laughs> book, book. Um, let me see if I can find this mini golf thing. I know we... Um, hang on. Here we yeah, go. What was it called? Have a go. Thistle do. Thistle do. That's it. Love it. This'll do. So, it was it as, as opposed to my example, it was an actual pun. Yeah. <laughs> Have a go. Have a go. And the next one comes from Lee Wright, a.k.a. Mr. Webb, Wally Webb, C. Crowl, and Deadman 3. Okay. What a combo. And we got a quote here from Lee writing. I've got a bit of a quote and a suggestion for you. Here's the quote. I want you to try and remember what it was like to have been very young. And particularly the days when you were first in love, when you were like a person sleepwalking and you didn't quite see the street you were in and didn't quite hear everything that was said to you. You're just a little bit crazy. Will you remember that, please? Does that ring any bells to you, Dave? No. This- It's quite a nice thought, though. Go back to your memory. This quote uh, is from Our Town by Thornton Wilder, and that's the second part of my answer. Read, or better yet, watch Our Town. Dave may have come across it in his days of theatre. It's truly a classic. The first play I ever did and the last one I did in high school. It was also the first play I ever set designed. And now I'm a technical director by trade. So pretty influential in my life and the inspiration for my newest tattoo, a wooden folding ladder and the moon. Cool. The play and some great scenes and quotes are also featured in the movie Wonder with Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson. Thank you so much for that, Lee Wright. You, you, you're writing that down, Dave? Yeah, yeah. First you saw it was Our Town. Our Town. Our Town. I'm, I, I'm looking up Thornton Wilder. I've, I've nearly done for my Christmas episode before. He's got a play called The Long Christmas Dinner. Ah, oh, my favourite kind it's of Christmas dinner. It's come up before um, when you when you uh, look up uh, stories about Christmas or Christmas stories. So, maybe I'll be doing some of Thornton Wilder Do you think sooner that, than you know. Is that a Christmas dinner with uh, Long David and his friends? <laughs> yeah, Long David. <laughs> You know what Remember saying? when that? Remember we talked about that about three weeks ago. <laughs> long David, long Christmas. The next one comes from Andriana Genualdi, and thank you so much for writing that out phonetically. And Andriana <laughs> is known as Doctor of Podcasts. Congratulations! Well done. Yes, you, you did. finished what Dave never exactly. could. <laughs> finished what I couldn't even start. <laughs> uh, for context, years ago, before we, just before we started the podcast, I uh, did apply to do a PhD after I did my master's in media, and um, the subject was going to be podcasting in Australia. And instead of doing that, I just started a podcast in Australia. So. Hey, you learnt on the job. That's right. All right, and we got a fact here. Andrea writes. Hi, gang. This is my first fact quote question, and I thought I would combine a fact with a question that's close to home for you all. The fact is, episode 14 on Do Go On was the episode where Jess took up the mantle of Arbiter of Fun Facts. It goes that far back. And the question is, what was the topic of that episode? Oh, question number 14. Oh, okay. 14. Mary Poppins, maybe? All right. Uh, Andrew has written a clue here. It was a Matt episode. Okay. Back to the Future? No, was uh, very Jess related. Jess got involved with this. The Triple J Hottest 100. Good one. It's interesting we got to that so quick. Yeah, that was in the first 14. Mm. Um, Jeez, yeah, that must be due for an update. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Andriana says, thanks for making this show. It brings me so much joy. Oh, my God, Andriana. 
Reading that brought me so much joy. You bloody legend. And the last one this week comes from Tessa Chilcott, aka Elephant and Sparkly Sloth Wrangler when they escape the Dugon Zoo. <laughs> and I guess that happens pretty regularly if we need someone on that full time. So you're doing great work. <laughs> That's who you want to be. I mean, I'm up for the sloth wrangling. <laughs> Elephant wrangling a little trickier. Yeah, that feels like you've drawn the short straw on that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Tessa writes, so... When I was a wee baby Tess, I was obsessed with the cartoon Baba. Baba, I should say. Ba- I love Baba. Baba is what we said, but like we used to say, but I know I've heard it different ways. Oh, I always thought it was Baba. Baba, Baba, Baba. I definitely, I definitely said Baba, but I don't know that's oh, true. There you go. I, lo- I loved Baba, as I called it as a kid, the cartoon. And I feel, surely, did you learn it from reading a book? Yeah, probably. Well, that's maybe why, because I reckon I learned it from the cartoon. So, it'd be funny if I got the pronunciation wrong. Definitely watch the the cartoon with Cornelius, the old- That's right, the rhinoceros? No, the old elephant was Cornelius. I think he was the grandfather. Um, But But I don't remember much plot-wise, except that I liked it. Mm. Um, So, yeah, Tess was obsessed with Baba and Winnie the Pooh. When you were little, what was the one show or cartoon that you were absolutely obsessed with? I mean, at different times, it was different cartoons. Mm, it does depend about the, the era. I remember loving the Ninja Turtles at a time. Captain Planet. Captain Planet was definitely one that came to mind for Widget, me. Widget the World Watcher. I love- is, is it definitely cartoon? Uh, yes, cartoon. Because okay, Power Rangers also, also came to mind. But um, yeah, definitely. And then later in middle primary school, it was Pokemon. And then Dragon Ball Z Ooh, got to catch huge. them all. All the Dragon Balls. Got to catch all the Dragon Balls. <laughs> you got to reunite them. I'm trying to think of the cartoons. Really young, I remember loving the Lost Cities of Gold or something. It's the vaguest memory. I think I watched it when I was three or something. Um, I loved uh, Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, but that was probably when I was a teenager. Oh, yeah. I loved uh, of the Hannah like Barbera style ones. Love Top Cat. Oh, Okay. I remember loving the Flintstones Christmas specials when they oh, would play yeah. TV went all Christmas in December. I loved watching some of those old cartoons. Other cartoons. I'm going to think of a bunch later. What else? Oh, I loved Blinky a show Bill. called SWAT Cats. Oh. It's a more obscure one. Astro Boy. Loved Astro Boy at a time. Biker Mice from Mars. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Samurai Pizza Cats. These are all the knockoff. The Ninja Turtle Ninja knockoffs. Turtles. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so many good ones. I liked- uh, Or DuckTales I loved. A bit of uh, Dexter's Laboratory, which we covered an episode on your on Primates, uh, Primates podcast. That's right, that was great. Um, Darkwing Duck. Oh, that was good. I enjoyed that a lot. Do you remember uh, Count Duckula? Yes, I had a toy of, of that. Of that one? Toy of that from, uh, from a Happy Meal, I remember. That's a good get. Uh, hey, Arthur, or just Arthur? Oh, yeah. Hey, Ar- no, hey, <laughs> hey, Arnold. Hey, Arnold. And that's I've put two together. You're absolutely right. Yes, I like both of those. Ah, uh, Real Monsters. Loved that. Man, we watch a lot of cartoons. Street Sharks. That's come up here. Now. That's another big Turtles knockoff, I yeah, think. Yeah, that, that one had really good toys. Mm. That, was, that was just for selling toys. Transformers. Oh, yeah. X-Men. I don't think I ever- I don't remember ever seeing X-Men. But- oh, my absolute favorite Cartoon Network cartoon- Angry Beavers. Did you ever watch that? No. I absolutely loved it. That sounds no, like it was fun. Daggett and Norbert, <laughs> the Angry Beavers. Uh, what about uh, Bangers and Mash? 
I don't know that. Bangers but, uh, and mash, bangers and mash. The chimps are in there, run up, bam. I did a promise about that as well once. A couple of chimps, uh, but it was a short show that was like for little kids. Oh, what about Super Ted? You ever watch that? Yes. Yeah, so- when he takes his special pill. He becomes Super Ted. Same as Banana Man. So I love Banana Man. And Lo- also, loved way Banana. back in those days, there was um, Roger Ramjet. Oh, yes. Roger Ramjet okay. and he man get all, all the, the crooks there after. Yeah, Roger my dad Ramjet loved that. Man. When he was a kid, so when that was repeated, he'd be like, we got to watch this. Well, that's the funny thing about cartoons. They didn't look as dated as other TV shows, no, other yeah. kid shows. So, like, old kid shows- could look sort of creepy somehow. I think there's something about old kids shows date really badly, but cartoons don't. No. Oh, two more I loved. Inspector Gadget. Oh, I loved Inspector Gadget. Penny. Oh, Penny. Uh, Brain. What was the dog's name? Oh, that was Brain. Brain. <laughs> Pinky oh. and the Brain. <laughs> Pinky and the Brain. I actually like that too. Oh, I said two more and then I've lost the last Ren one. Ren and Stimpy. Was that one of yours? I, never I didn't get that much get into Ren. No, into I don't think my mum well, approved of it. I can't remember. I feel like that was maybe on MTV. So was uh, Beavers and Butthead, which I never really oh, saw Oh, you didn't see that either. Uh, Scooby-Doo, huge oh, into yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Scooby-Doo. Up. Had a Scooby-Doo hat. Trying to think of other shows that were on Saturday Disney with, hosted by Champagne James Sherry, um, who oh, went yeah. on to be the Marvel Stadium MC at times. Good on him. He hosted Amazing as well. I don't Could know if be, oh, yeah, that was that, fun. Which wasn't cartoon, but still. Um, oh, there was oh the Where's Wally adaptation. Oh yeah, I had that. I had that at home. That the first was, edition. That was Where's Wally. Where, 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 where? <laughs> Did you see him? Huh? <laughs> and then what, there he is. <laughs> was was the wizard played by Rodney Dangerfield or a Rodney Dangerfield impersonator? Oh, good question. Hey, uh, what's going on? Here? <laughs> hey, Wally. <laughs> oh, that's um more walking than Dangerfield. Anyway, um, geez, that was. That question kicked us off a bit there, Tessa. Yeah, Appreciate so- that very much. I don't know if Tessa did Tessa. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tessa did answer a question. Baba and Winnie the Pooh. I never Winnie the Pooh was on last on Saturday Pooh Disney. Pooh Bear, Winnie the Pooh. And I always Pooh found bear. that to be the downer of it. I liked it. I it might have been because I was associating it with the show coming to an end because it was the last one they played. And you'd be like, oh, no, it's finishing. Oh, what about that one I've talked about in previous episodes where Baloo Bear from The Jungle Book became a pilot? In a different spin, oh. the tailspin, and then we couldn't believe that that was real, and then it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, yeah. I liked a lot of shows, as it turns out, and I reckon I haven't thought about a lot of them in a lot of time. Great question, thanks Tessa, thanks Andriana, thanks Lee, thanks Chris. Next thing, Dave, we like to do is shout out a few of our other fantastic supporters. And normally, Jess comes up with a bit of a game based on the topic at hand. Do you, do you have any ideas for this? i got to say, some incredible nicknames came up on this episode with yes. Spud. Buckets. B- buckets. Nikki. Hollywood. Elvis. Hollywood Trevor. <laughs> which I, I think I put that on there. But um, he had his the Hollywood good looks. Yeah. His, his nickname was Barks. But I think Hollywood Trevor is way better. <laughs> but yeah, there were some incredible nicknames. I thought that maybe- I don't know. Do you- Banger. Robert do we Banger come, Harvey. Do we come up with their nickname or do you assign them a nickname from a Saints player? Yeah. The Doona for <laughs> yeah, James Gwilt. Because it sounds like Gwilt. And the Ute for Jason Blake, who um, he was- We called him the Ute because he was a utility. He could do anything. Yep. Love Blake. He's one of, one of my favourites. He's on the board now at St Kilda. Hey. He really can do it all. He could play any position on the ground and in the back office as well. <laughs> uh, 
All right, yeah. So, what do you want to do? You want to read out the names, and I'll I'll find a list of saints. Oh, wow, Jones, another great. Oh, don't use them up. We've got to use some of these. All right, I've got uh, I've got the names here. If you want to assign them a nickname each. First one. Thank you so much to Patreon supporter from Everett in Washington in the United States. It's Dean Reichdell. Dean Reichdell. Or right. Reichdell could be Dean Reichdell. Dean Reichdell. We're doing nine names, aren't we? Yeah, I found an article. It's a listicle, and it's counting down the top twenty uh, nicknames of Saints players. Oh, great! So I'll just maybe I'll just pick out my favorite. Should I just do the top nine? I'll, I'll just do the top nine. Okay, I'll take it at, out of my hands. Starting at number nine, D- Dean Rakedale, aka Doggy, <laughs> Doggy Dean, Doggy Dean. That sounds good. And that was Ian Rollins. Nickname. He played from 60 till 66. He was the leading goal kicker in 61. <laughs> good, good on your doggy, Dean Rectal. Next up, I'd like to thank from Albany in New York State. It's Alexa Riley. Alexa the Tank Riley. <sighs> awesome. Uh, the Tank was Eric Arthur Guy's nickname, a tough and fearless halfback flanker. Served as vice captain for three of his six seasons, as well as representing Victoria at interstate footy. Good on you, Alexa the Tank Riley. Now from great Cran, nickname. great name from Cranburn West in Victoria. It's Megan Graham. Megan Tractor Graham. <laughs> uh, Tractor was the nickname of John C. Dernan. Was a defender from Narandera. Uh, so far, we're three. I'm um, zero from three of having heard of these players. That's amazing. But they're they're obviously all some of the some of the greats. Nickname wise and people wise, I'm going to go that far. Tractor. Tractor is awesome. So, that's for Megan Graham, though if she was from America, she'd be uh, Megan Graham. Mm. <laughs> you know what I realized when I was in America last month? What was that? Went to a supermarket and I've heard of Graham crackers. Yes. That isn't G-R-A-M crackers. That's a Graham cracker. Whoa. What the hell is that? <laughs> How about that? Oh, there was a bit of a discussion in the Patreon Facebook group a few weeks ago when we were talking about uh, on the Brennan Phrasing the Bar episode recently- about uh, porn sh- porn shop chronicles. That's right. We we covered porn shop chronicles last month, and a lot of Americans were talking about how they, when we say porn shop, it sounds like porn shop. And I'm like, yeah, I think they like, are like pornography. Yeah, porn and porn, but they must say them differently. They must hit the W more. Yeah, that also surprised me as well because because I always thought they were said the same. I thought that the, often a joke would be a porn shop. <laughs> what do you mean pornography? Yeah, shop? that's right. But apparently they they hit the R or don't hit the R. I don't. Yeah. There you go. Which is interesting. It's also it's funny because in the explanation, someone said we say porn like it rhymes with dawn, not porn like it rhymes with torn. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, they all rhyme in my head. <laughs> Mine exploding. Uh, so, did, who'd you give us then? Uh, that was Megan or the Megan. <laughs> but next up, this one is uh, from America, from Tacoma, Washington. Big shout out and thank you to Drew Goodman. A.K.A. The Doc. And this is the greatest <gasps> ever saint, Daryl Baldock. A.K.A. which I'd never heard the nickname before, but Nick was saying also known as the magic one, was it? Oh, yeah. Something like that. The da- Doc. Daryl the Doc Bulldog. <laughs> who we, whose nickname is the Doc now? Drew Goodman. Drew the Doc Goodman. That I like sounds that. good. And also the Doc works with where they're from? Tacoma. Tacoma. In Doc Washington. Coma. <laughs> Toc fr- the Doc from Toc. Omer. Omer. <laughs> 
Anya Drew, I'd like to thank now from a location unknown. We can only presume they're deep within the fortress of the moles as we speak, listening to this podcast. And it is a shout out to Wesley. Wesley, okay, Muncher. <laughs> Wesley Muncher. Muncher was Brian Maloney, a serviceable ruckman originally recruited from St. Pat's in Ballarat. He was a hardworking toiler. <laughs> wow, have you heard of him? No, I haven't heard of Muncher. Doesn't Wes- say what era he played in. Wesley Muncher. Muncher's a great nickname, though. But uh, remembering where these are ranked in ascending order. Do you feel like the, the quality's been increasing with each one? But only slightly because we started so high. Yeah, that's right. Because the next one is probably is so good. Okay. Well, this one is going to go to another person in a location unknown. It's Philippa Lyons. Philippa Lyons. Okay. Philippa Jazz Legs Lyons. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's great. Jazz Legs. Uh, Jazz Legs was one of the finest St Kilda footballers of the interwar years. Cyril Gambetta. Uh, eked out a VFL career for himself despite suffering from badly bowed legs, which were a legacy of an attack of polio as a youngster. Oh, wow. That's it. Yeah. Amazing. That's amazing. Still made a, a career. One of the, yeah. And one of the finest to do it in, in that period. Even the name Cyril Gambetta is good, but Cyril Jazzlegs Gambetta is, we're getting into all time greats territory. Incredible. Thank you, Philippa Jazzlegs Lions. Now, from Dublin, I would like to thank Etain Hobson. Etain Hobson, Coconut, which is <laughs> the nickname of Brownlow medalist Neil Roberts. Okay. I didn't realise that. Uh, who excelled at centre-half back. I think, was he the one that Nick was saying uh, was switched from half forward to half back? And yeah, mate. And then won the Brownlow medal in, in 58, captain the side from 59 to 62. He, yeah, he's one of the all-time greats of the Saints. I think he's in the team of the century. Coconut Hobson. That's so good. Coconut, what a great fruit. Oh, yeah. I just, I re- talking about kids' shows, I remember it was maybe- a, It was either on Sesame Street or Play School, you know, when they'd cut away to a video. Mm. And there was this sort of short documentary without any narration of just this guy on an island climbing up a tree, cutting down the coconuts, and then chopping them open and drinking from them. I'm like, that just looks like- What a life. That's paradise. Yeah, it really did. I wonder, that's going to ring a bell for someone out there. Yeah, let us know. And from Robbinsdale, MN, is this Minnesota? This gets me every single time. Maine. There's so many. It is Minnesota. Minnesota. Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Shout out to Bradley Borst. Oh, Bradley Borst. Okay, the Golden Greek. (laughs) Okay, Bradley Borst, the Golden Greek. The original Golden Greek was Con A. Gorazidis. Who had tremendous skills and flair, played in the 80s. Oh, great one. I was Golden. the biggest thing in the footy field in the 80s. The Golden Greek. And finally, I would like to thank from Stourbridge in Great Britain. It's a big shout out to one name here, only needed, Joe. Oh, Joe. Okay. Cowboy. Cowboy Joe. <laughs> Cowboy Joe. That's great. And Cowboy was another one of the 66 heroes. That was Kevin Cowboy Neal, a burly- Tough character from South Warrnambool, who was one of the most popular players of all time at St Kilda. His bow legs and distinctive gait and his high flying led to the nickname Cowboy. So, two of the two of the great nicknames had bowed legs. Yeah. he. I think he was also the one who, after winning the premiership, he put his premiership jumper on the statue of- uh, There was a statue in Moorabbin of this guy, Tom Bent, I think. 
and he was I think he may, maybe even was a dodgy guy <laughs> but he was who Bentley's named after the oh, right. next suburb to Moorabbin and he put his his premiership jumper on I think that was right on um the Tom Bent statue in the long celebrations after the game another iconic moment there's there's so many more I think we're going to do another 5 hour episode <laughs> Follow up coming up Coming up, up soon. Coming up soon <coughs> for the 151st anniversary. So, thank you so much to Cowboy, Golden Greek, Coconut, Jazz Legs, <laughs> Muncher, The Dock, Tractor, The Tank, and Doggy. <laughs> you know who you are. Okay. Joe, Bradley, Attain, Philippa, Wesley, Drew, Megan, Alexa, and Dean. And that leaves us only with one last thing to do, and that's welcome a few people into the Trip Ditch Club appropriately this week. Just three into the Trip Ditch Club. Uh, Dave, do you want to quickly explain how the trip to the club works? This is our Hall of Fame for people that have been supporting the club, uh, or supporting the show. Uh, fourth, Whether do go on football club. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a grand old pod. It's a high-flying pod. We uh, basically, to shout out to people that have already been shouted out to, basically these people have already had their shout out, but to say thank you again if they've been on the shout out level or above for three consecutive years, Matt checks the records and he welcomes them in each week a new crop comes in, and once you're in, you can't leave, but why would you want to? Because it's inside, it's a restaurant, it's a hangout zone, it's a live music venue, it's a chill bar. Mm. Jess has got food and drink, I've got music, you know, it's all happening. That's right. Uh, I'll play Jess this week behind the bar um, to celebrate the Saints, of course. Uh, all drinks come served in a replica 1966 Premiership Cup. Wow. Uh, and the drinks are all uh, a red liquid. Uh, maybe cranberry juice mixed with a white liquid, which I can't think of right now. Maybe cream. Milk. Milk. I can't think of a white <laughs> liquid. Milk, cranberry juice. Oh, no. Oh, this sounds weird. And uh, Sambuca. Oh, really stuck Black the landing Sambuca. there. Oh, beautiful stuff. Eight curdles in the cup, so <laughs> we'll save it curdling in your tummy. <laughs> yeah. Your tummy. We, we curdle it so you don't have to. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, the snacks are, you know, just classic footy franks, party pies, whatnot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Dave, you normally book a band. You are never going to believe this. If you tell me you got the Fable Singers, I Oh, my God. You, you couldn't have possibly got the Fable Singers. I've, I've been booking this band, trying to book this band for so long. Obviously, been trying to do this report for so long. So, I can't believe on the same night we've just done the St Kilda Football Club tonight, hitting the stage, legendary Australian rock and roll band, The Saints. Oh, are my here. God. Can you believe you it? You certainly know your product, Dave. Can't and- believe it. And I don't feel stranded in the Triptych Club <laughs> at all. That is so good. I'm burning just like firewood. And um, <laughs> so hang around on? for the after party. <laughs> Enjoy the Saints here. Um, yeah, the Fable Singers are probably dead. <laughs> Although that hasn't stopped you before. No, absolutely. Um, it never stops me. So three uh, great and uh, proud members of the Triptych Club. I can only assume a staunch St Kilda supporters as well. I'm going to welcome him in. I'm standing on the door. I'm the bouncer. I'm lifting up the velvet rope. Uh, you run in if you hear your name. Dave's on the stage. He's hyping you up. He's going to do a bit of soft wordplay on, on your Absolutely. name or your place of, of origin or or you live, you're where you are. Oh, my God. We're running out of steam. We're so <laughs> no, close come in. on. 
All right, so three names this week. First in, please make them welcome. From address unknown, can only assume from deep within the fortress of the moles, it's Travis. Travis, I'm travitating towards you. <laughs> You've got this pull. Dave, you have lifted this week. You're magnetic. You're playing on the- <laughs> it's the big dance and you're doing some of your finest work. Also, <laughs> please welcome in from Glasgow in Scotland. It's Amy Moretti. Some people said they needed Lizetti, but I said no, Moretti, <laughs> Amy Moretti. He's on fire. <laughs> and finally, from Apopka in Florida in the United States, it's Adam Niedekor. A damn, son. Thank God you're here. <laughs> Come on in, Adam. <laughs> welcome in, Adam. We did Amy it. Amy and Travis. We did it, everyone. Make yourselves at home. Get ready to see The Saints, one of the all-time great and one of the first ever punk bands to release a single. Um, so, that really doesn't leave us with anything to do. Anything we need to tell people before we go, Dave? Hey, we'll be back next week with another episode coming up so, so soon. We're, we're heading towards Blockbuster Toba. Oh, I can't believe so it. So, who knows? Maybe coming up soon, all the episodes will be this long. Because, you know, we've got the biggest and best topics coming up this for October. This record may never be beaten. <laughs> I think we say that every time we break it. Yeah, that's so. true. Who, who knows? But yeah, thanks for, for supporting the show. Uh, you can uh, check out all our links to everything at dogoonpod.com, including where you can suggest a topic, buy some merch, support us on Patreon, check out all our other podcasts and uh, hit us up on email and the like. But until next week, I'll say thank you so much for listening. And until then, it is thank you and goodbye. Laters. Can't assign us. 